Now get ready for the time of your life, cause you are now watching Godcast. Hello everybody, welcome to Godcast, the show where an alpaca proposed to Hatsune Miku. No, I didn't. Ha- this is lies, slander. <laughs> Defamation. <laughs> I'm your host, Hydra Wave 99, and I'm joined here today with my co-host and now ma- soon-to-be-married host, Floof Alpaca. How are you today? Lies. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I don't know. I, I have a, uh, a, a slight epiphany. Um... And it's it's not healthy. Thank you, thank you, Roger. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what we're we doing? Um, supposedly we're gonna start a show that talks about some tech news, I guess, and gaming what? stuff too. <laughs> and meanwhile, we just had to congratulate you on your engagement with, you know, Hatsune Miku. Oh. Okay. Now I bye bye now. (laughs) (laughs) And meanwhile, I did provide wedding gifts, which more news later in the show. (laughs) Bye bye now. (laughs) Anyways, um, (laughs) bye bye. Uh, this is also the same show where one of the hosts actually went to a Bitcoin-backed pizza party. Yeah. I, I lied. An NFT-backed pizza party. Uh-huh. And now I can't trust him. <laughs> yep. Because, I actually believe it or not, so... My friends over at Death Serpent Gaming invited me over to, you know, this... It's like let's seem like a, like a block big of a pizza party up in like southern Manhattan and like a little Italy area. And so while I was there, I went on my way and walked around the city, check out the Nintendo store and then the Microsoft store where I played a pretty fun like dodgeball game. Actually, it was actually really fun. And then I went over to like, you know, the M&M store, the Hershey store, and then I went down to a retro gaming store where I got this lovely gem called River Raid, made from a time before a certain CEO took power and, well, you know, what happened then? Yeah. Yeah. River Raid is absolutely fantastic. I mean, right now, I mean, I have, you know, Mr. Metallica himself in pop figure form, guarding over my Atari and Sega Genesis games. You had to say Mr. Metallica, didn't you? (laughs) You just had to. Yes. James Hetfield. Fun times. Uh-huh. And then during the pizza party, it was pretty much all we, I mean, so it was a little bit more involved than I thought it was. Like, we actually had, like, walkie-talkies 
involved that turned out worked really use at all. And when and during the early phase, I got these walkie talkies. All I did jokingly was like head to Bravo, head to Alpha. So it was like a freaking Call of Duty match. They're cupping B. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was doing for like the early part. And then all I did out there was just walk around, ate some pizza, talked to some people, and that was pretty much it. It was a pretty decent time, though. I really enjoyed my time with it. And I thank the Serpent people so much for doing this and for inviting me along. Certainly. The organization is Pizza Dow, if anyone's curious, but... That's for another time to explain about all that stuff. Anyways, but just know that even though I was part of a, a group that's you know involved in like the NFT community, both myself and Alpaca view the, the trend as something that is, you know, not the best in its current state that can be approved upon in the future. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I, I don't dislike, well, I, I dislike NFTs as they are right now, but I cannot say that they're um i can't say that i think they're useless i don't think they are i I think they are uh just unfortunately the the connotations behind them are much much less uh, uh have much less uh good uh good behind them i guess i don't want to say it other than that it's like they're they're just they could be used for um like i guess for like instance like we we've said this before but serializing like digital assets and making them much uh you know making them have value um that isn't artificial you know I mean, of course, I can always have a copy of something that I have screenshotted. And that's that. But if you understand what I mean, it's like there are ways of using NFTs in a way that doesn't seem like a Ponzi scheme and that isn't a Ponzi scheme. So, right. Exactly. That's what that's the current implementation of NFTs is. It's like, you technically are supposed to gain like some sort of ownership of a unique digital good, but at the end of the day, it's like it's like trading a stock. <laughs> Pretty much, except there's less meaning behind it. You know. Yeah. There's way less uh, authenticity behind it or the value behind it. So, flip a pack. I mean, besides getting engaged to Hatsune Miku, which is an no. amazing compliment, is there no. anything else new with you? <laughs> Don't that. <laughs> uh, well, I guess. I guess. Uh, how do I say this? Um, recently, the uh, my circuit breaker has been tripping, so I actually switched the um my computer to a different like different outlet altogether um so that's been fun just you know trying to find out why it keeps on happening it's whenever the microwave and the ac is on at the same time that that happens so it's like uh, 
So if somebody's downstairs cooking something in the microwave, then unfortunately I have to uh, either not have the AC on or as I found out, just switching it, switching my computer to a different outlet because it's also pulling from the same plug uh, or same outlet. And yeah, you know. God, that must have been a pretty um, poorly built house if you have to rely on swapping your computer from an outlet from a circuit breaker. That's what you know where the microwave and the AC are sharing. Yeah, this uh, this place, as far as I remember, it's from like the 30s and such, so it's probably uh, it's probably not seen much in the way of uh, any because uh, back then, of course. We didn't really need that much power, but now we have computers and ACs and yeah, no, just many, many other things consuming more power than before. So it's like it wasn't really built for, you know, the sci-fi eighties that we saw, you know. <laughs> right. Back and that was back during when anime was looked more like Western cartoons. <laughs> People are every chance to blow it. <laughs> All right, I hear you. Uh-huh. So I mean, so obviously we've been gone for a while because we've having some technical it difficulties and lack of you know mental you know you know not saying lack lack of mental but you know improper timing with one's mental health and. All this other crazy stuff that's been going on for the last month. And here we are now just trying to catch up, catch up with the news, because there's a lot that's been happening in this crazy month. Mm-hmm. Certainly. We've been getting started with what would have been E3 season with a ton of crazy showcases, one of which has happened today as of this recording, which is June 12th. <laughs> because usually we like to cover the news like the week prior. We record on Sunday and cover the news the week prior, but the Xbox Bethesda showcase is the one topic that is going to break the mold. I'm not sure it starts to do that, though. Sorry. Because, mm-hmm. of course, in that showcase, the legendary, the myth, the legend, the chess God club, Howard. Yes, the chess club champion. Mr. Faze Clan Todd Howard. Yes. The legend was spoke about Starfield. And showed us the game. And we also have various other announcements, such as Sonic Frontiers, and we also got Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. We got various uh, I got some plans regarding a bracer group we got some games coming on other platforms we got various tech news including those regarding elon musk and the twitter situation as well as some minor things regarding the james Webb telescope apple stuff with you know the wwdc conference and the m2 chip that's showing it can run certain games One of which has actually impressed Alpaca when I told, talked about it. Yeah, I was very um, impressed by that. I I was almost like, I was kind of blown away because it's like, you don't expect. I mean, 
then again, that game was optimized pretty well, but still, it's technically it's still pretty, pretty, uh, you know, um, pretty cool to see it uh, run on such hardware. Yep. And we got like some speculation on like when a supposed PS5 Pro and Xbox Series X and S Pro comes out and a lot of crazy stuff here today. So with that being said, I'm going to take off these sunglasses so I can read. Thank you, Death Serpent Game, for giving me these glasses. These been, you know, they make seem like they're total swag. Look these up. Gain the unlock the power to read. And let's get started. The first of which is we have to talk about some several things regarding Embracer Group because we found out a couple things about them. And the first of which is we kind of have an idea what they want to do with the studios they've acquired from Square Enix, which is a, practically a good chunk of the Western studios. As we can see here, this was from a press release that they that Embracer uploaded. And it says how after the end of the quarter, we further strengthened our development capabilities and IP portfolio by entering into agreement to acquire Crystal Dynamics, IOS Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane, and other IPs. The announcement got an overwhelming and positive response. We see a great potential not only in sequels, but also in remakes, remasters, spin-offs, as well as transmedia projects across the group. We expect the transaction to close in the July to September period. Also in the same camp, we also have the fact that Saber Interactive is helping Aspire with the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake. And you can see here, as part of Embracer Group's quarter four financial report, board member Matthew Kark announced that Saber Interactive, which most recently released Evil Dead, is now working on the project. Aspire's gone full into make this the best game they can make. When we acquired Aspire, we knew from the start that they would require our assistance. Saber has tremendous expertise in creating these types of products. We've done it on Halo, on multiple Halo products, so we've been spending a lot of time working with them to bring the title over. Kark also added that they were fully confident that the game is going to be fantastic, but it's a massive project, and massive projects require a lot of effort and a lot of time to make good. And especially when you're talking about a game that's very old, we basically had to remake that game from scratch. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so... I mean, personally, I think this is interesting to see, you know, Square, you know the Square Enix Studios are being... Those IPs are going to put a lot of use. This is something that we've seen a lot of time with other, you know, things that they that Embrace Group has acquired is that they'll make a lot of remasters <laughs> and bring these games up to current platform, which is a very good for the player sort of thing, as we like to say in the show. There he is, but is good for the player. So yes, now, yes, now we can see the possibility of games older than the Tomb Raider reboot possibly being available on modern platforms. Yeah, that'd be um that'd be pretty nice to see. You know. Um so um yeah I mean I, I'm interested in you know in, um seeing like you know remasters and such, you know. Um 
I I wonder um I I wonder if like uh the how they're gonna handle like you know like uh the uh cultural remake and like um I'm only just a little bit afraid about you know how modern Star Wars games have been, but then again it's not EA, of course. But uh yeah, you know. Um I'd hope that it uh isn't just nostalgia goggles, you know. Right. I hear you on that one. And yeah, but I mean, like, this is going to be great overall, like, to see these games brought up from modern platforms. I can only imagine, I mean, especially for KOTOR. Let's go back to that again. You know, the fact that Saber Interactive is now being brought on to make this game as, you know, as amazing as possible is a good sign that they're taking their time with it. And they're trying to pour as many resources they can to make the game this remake the best it could possibly be. So I, I find that to be a good song. Certainly. Certainly. Um, yeah. No other comments. Mm -hmm. Also, too, I mean, we got also some games coming to different platforms. Such as the fact that, as you can see in this article, the Twitter post here with the image still loading. Let's make this anniversary even better, shall we? We're delighted to share that the next-gen version of Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is planned to release in quarter 4, 2022. This is amazing news for those who are fans of The Witcher and want to see the game be pushed even higher. Like, I know Witcher 3 Wild Hunt was already a pretty, you know, impressive-looking game when it first came out. And this is a game that looks to be one of the best of the generation. Definitely. I, uh, I'm interested in seeing what it, you know, I know it's just going to be, you know, a remaster, but I'm interested to see them uh, push, because I, I know The Witcher 3, especially, um, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to see it pushed even further, you know, how, like, when some games come out, they look amazing and to see them get like rehashed and sent to you know a completely different future console it's like uh it's almost like preserving artwork in a sense but if you know what i mean exactly it really is yeah like it's gonna this game's gonna look stunning like the, i can only imagine the mountain ranges and the villages and you know, the certain scenes that he, the characters involved with are going to look absolutely amazing. Of course. But, Honestly. you know, yeah, I'm going to say too, you know, we look at CD Projekt Red and we know them to make this beautiful game. But what if the other side of the coin gets an anime and that's actually what happened with Cyberpunk 2077. That's oh, I just left the server. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for Flufo Paca, and for fans 
of this game. No. <laughs> I present to you Cyberpunk Edge Runners. It is an anime about Cyberpunk 2077. They and didn't have to do this. <laughs> and according to Net it says that Netflix actually debuted a clip for Cyberpunk Edge Runners, its upcoming anime, which is a spin-off in collaboration of the Cyberpunk 2077 video game. And the teaser features hard metal music and gives a gritty vibe despite being very colorful. Also, this is going to be a 10-episode anime that'll be animated by Studio Trigger. And from what I heard, this show, act these are the guys. I mean, at least the, the, the main director. Yeah. So, Hiroyuki Im Imaishi made Gurren Lagan. Masahiko Atsuka did Promare. Hir Hiromi Wakabayashi is was from Kill a Kill. That's the only anime I'm familiar with, even though I do not watch any anime. But Kill a Kill is the only one I know of. Even though mm -hmm. I have no... Only by name. I don't know anything about the characters. <laughs> yeah, I... I I've heard of it before, but I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't recognize any of these as animes, I guess, you know. Right. But if we're talking about Kill a Kill, which is known to be one of the more mainstream popular animes, and there's talent that was from that show, I'm sure this is going to be a surprisingly quality show, despite, the game, despite the game being a uh, you know, buggy bus. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, uh, I think it's gonna be more of a Sonic Boom situation where Sonic Boom actually was a a very terrible Sonic game, but the show was actually really good from what I heard, what I've seen of it. Okay, then. So, what if the anime went better than the game? Uh, then uh. We'd have a fucking big problem. <laughs> That's all I can say. I hope it runs at more than a few frames per second, the show. You know, hope they filmed it correctly. The right shutter speed. Of course, of course. Also, too, I mean, what if Skyrim got ported to the Switch a second time? That's what I Skyrim... used to be a part of the chess club. Who's laughing now? <laughs> that's what Skyrim Anniversary Edition on the Switch is being rated for. And this was spotted in a Cordua report from Switch Brazil. And you can see down here Skyrim Anniversary Edition rated for the Switch. You know, I we, we talk about NFTs a lot, but Todd Howard is the real MVP <laughs> when it comes to selling digital assets. <laughs> and uh, for for like at least at least he sells it for the same amount every every time. But still, I mean, goddamn. Then again, I mean. I mean, I recently, I mean, 
I became a madman too, and not only do I own the PS5 version of Grand Theft Auto V, I now own the Xbox Series X version of Grand Theft Auto V. Um, but but well, Skyrim well, is bad too, because not only do I own the disc on the Xbox One, I bought the next-gen upgrade for the same game. I, I hope you can count every every pore on um, the Dragonborn's face. Otherwise, I'm sorry, pal, you've wasted your money. Or every whisker on the Khajiit's face. Right. But another game is also coming to more platform. This actually was a popular multiplayer game on Steam and PlayStation 4. Ladies and gentlemen, Fall Guys is going to be available on Nintendo Switch, Xbox, and the Epic Game Store. And this will be starting on June 21st. And yeah, and they're going to start a new season alongside it. And on top of it, too, here's the thing. For those of you who launched Fall Guys before June 21st, on Steam or on PlayStation are going to get the Legacy Pack, which contains a new set of cosmetics and the season pass for season one. That's interesting. I'm glad they're at least, uh, you know, rewarding people for, uh, you know, for like a tangible like reward, not just like at least including the season path the pass sorry pass is um i mean that's good enough for me uh for at least season one because honestly i'd rather i'd rather it be something more tangible than just oh hey here's a few cosmetics and all that you know just put a hot say miku skin for alpaca Fuck here you. and we're good to go now keep in no. mind this is epic games that owns mediatonic and unfortunately, when the season drops on June 21st, this game will no longer be available on Steam. So if you want this game on Steam, go buy it now. That's I know this a similar thing happened with Rocket League. Um, so that's a bit unfortunate. They're kind of just doing the same exact thing with their I mean, it, it is their choice, but it just feels too greedy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. But now we can move on to the final game in the topic. Also, proof of Packers wedding gift. Please don't be terrible. Please don't be terrible. Hatsune Miku Project Team of Mega Mix Plus. God damn it. Available for PC. No. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is Blue Alpaca's wedding gift that gave him no. to honor the, his proposal to Hot no, no. <laughs> This fucking guy. <laughs> no. You know what? I, I I still haven't accepted that gift. He, he sent it to me. He sent a gift of of this game. He sent this as a gift to my Steam library. I still haven't accepted it, and I don't know if I should dare do that, because, well, you know, 
uh, I'd just be giving in to the fact that <laughs> that he, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'd just be giving in, and I feel like I shouldn't. You, you know what's worse, though? You know what's really unfortunate? Uh, is that I, I, now that I see this, all right, now that I'm on this webpage, I go on any other webpage that has regular I go on Engadget, okay? <laughs> I turn off my ads, or I turn off the blocker. And I refresh the page. All right. And guess what I get for ads on just on the sidebar? <laughs> guess what I fucking see? It's just, it's just. Uh, all right. For some reason, Engadget isn't working, but let me go on PC Gamer. <laughs> Uh, and all the ads, all the ads are just, damn it. It's not loading for me, but basically all the, the, um, advertisement ID tracker thing, whatever the fuck it's called. I just see Hatsune Miku project diva edition on this, on the, on the sides all the fucking time. I just see this exact still. 24 7 now and it's just it is just like uh let me give me one second you know let me just okay now this is what i see this is all i see on the side and before before when he sent me this i you could see that the entirety of the fucking screen was covered in that exact image, like that the the ones on the, the the vertical ones, the top banner thing. Just <laughs> and now fucking the Microsoft ad tracker ID thing fucking thinks that I you know hey you want this I see it in your Steam library. <laughs> 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 but anyways, yes, so this game is gonna be is available for $39.99 just for the game or the one that Alpaca got because he's such a big Hatsune Miku fan. You're a proper and proposed to her. Is the $59.99 version that contains an extra 72 so actor songs and in-game access to in immediate access to in-game content. <laughs> None. And here's the description of the game. Over 170 songs featuring songs such as Melt and Sendrillin. Plus new favorites like Catch the Wave. There's endless customization, two visual style options, multitude of modes. And you could configure button inputs to harmonize with your playstyle and accessibility preferences as supported by Steam compatible controllers. I have no words. 
I mean, Alpaca, I know you're very happy about this game. I know you were so excited when I sent you the, the game. I didn't. I wasn't. You're lucky I... I... You know, I didn't decline it yet. <laughs> right, right. Hey, I, I don't, I don't know exactly why, but I haven't. I should have declined it immediately. Well, it's either you would accept the gift, or Hots, I buy the game on my Switch, and she appears on stream. No. <laughs> Just no. Because the game did arrive on Switch a few years prior. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's where it should have stayed. But Away then, from the computer. Yeah, but then think about this way. You could then get a Switch and then play Smash Brothers. With all the DLC characters. And then, when you get really bored and late at night, you could just switch over to Hatsune Miku. And she'd rather kick. I'd rather kick a toothpick against the wall. So you're saying you'd rather, you know, be with. metal you, you know a, another thing let me tell you another <laughs> thing that okay so another thing that has to tie in with this game <laughs> with this fucking game is I was, I was I was just fucking watching YouTube okay and there's a streamer that, well, I don't watch her. She's part of a group that I watch that like the part of like somebody else that like, you know, yeah, hopefully you get it. Um, you know what she was playing in that advertisement? It was it was literally the entire fucking video, by the way. I don't know why YouTube does that, but the entire two and a half hour stream was just her playing Hatsune Miku Project Diva. And I just heard, Hi, everyone. <laughs> so they released a new Hatsune Miku game. And I was like, Because <laughs> <laughs> you know Alpaca's nope. a big Hatsune Miku fan. Fuck you. <laughs> But you know what else is a popular thing these okay. days, too? Is Pokemon. In real life? Yes, in real life, but also in Spain. Because uh, we're talking about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Send help. <laughs> and Oh, wait. No, never mind. I like Pokemon. Sorry. There we go. And they got the brand new trailer and some new details on the website here. You know, I'm 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 obviously Team Grass Cat, Team Sprigatito right here. Wait, Coco and Quacks are cool and all, but I'm Team Grass Cat. 
Yeah, I, I personally, I'm, I, I love Spaghetti-do. Uh, or however you say it. Mm-hmm. I don't even care how to say it. That is, you can tell that that is the marijuana cat that we all show love. Exactly. But you scroll down and you see some other cool things. Like, four-player open-world co-op. And a Pokemon game. Oh, yes. I, I was absolutely I was I was I, when I heard about that I am so it piqued my curiosity because like wait Pokemon a single player game now with co-op that isn't just going to a battle tower <laughs> like I don't know that's just like it's like oh my god you know yes because now because not only can you just trade in battle like you can before, but now you can explore an entire world together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's even better about that to me is like, um, you know, Pokemon, I feel, has been very stagnant when it comes to like, uh, you know, finding innovation in its games. Because like other than, you know, brand new Pokemon and all that, you know. Anyways, um, <laughs> that was a Pokemon game I lifted up, I swear. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Saw it out of the corner of my eye and I was like, <clears throat> anyways, um, sound like a. My Pokemon. What sword. is that, Digimon? Sorry. My Pokemon <laughs> Sword and Shield double pack. So it's Digimon. Sorry. <laughs> You know, actually thinking about it, um, they really should like they should do that more often is have double packs. Pokemon actually does usually do double packs for like a lot of their games recently. Yeah. Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon got double pack. Sword and Shield got double pack. Okay. Hmm. Never mind then. (laughs) Um, And this game had double pack. But anyways... Anyways, um, yeah. Also, too, going down the list, we got some new characters here. We'll talk about them shortly. And yeah, let's go through the pages. First off, is the explore category, and from what I can tell here, I believe a lot of the screenshots were the same as when we last took a peek at them. Other than you can see co-op. Areas, certainly. That. And then, yep, you can see more open world stuff. You can. Now, there's Talonflame. I love Talonflame, one of my favorite flying type Pokemon out there. It's an amazing Pokemon. Another picture kind of detailing the co- some group of pictures detailing the fact you can have this open world co op. And if Fluff Alpaca gets a Switch. The two of us can actually play this game together. Online. As he streams it. In real life. Exactly. God, that'd be an amazing time, actually, if you managed to get yourself a Switch and we did that. You know, I I wouldn't mind doing that, honestly. 
I'm I'm actually I, I wouldn't mind it. I like I, personally I don't have a switch right now, but the pawn shop they're they're literally I just go there and they're probably like two fifty maybe for like yeah less than that. They're they're nothing really. If you have to get a new switch, get a switch OLED. Of course, of course. You, there's more storage on that and everything, so better screen for portable play. So when you go wake go to bed and then have to play Hatsumiku Diva Plus, you're good. No. Anyways, Never. we're on the Pokemon page now, and obviously, like we said before, the two of us are both Team Grass Cat, Team Sprigatito. And then we also get to see the legendary Pokemon of Coridon and Maridon. I prefer the 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 violet legendary Maridon. I I kind of I mean yeah I, I mean I was looking back at the I was looking back at this and like I like that the violet one it, uh, you know honestly though it kind of looks looks like a mix between uh that like uh you know the uh fully evolved um gen 5 grass starter where it's like a, a snake mm-hmm. it looks like a mix between that one and i had another um had another it looked like a mix between that and i believe gosh i don't know um yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Um, but it, I, I swear it looked like that uh, serpent one and another one. I can't place right now. Right. I hear you, but I, I, I mean, I like the fact that it's a space dragon, space serpent dragon thing. Give me that. Oh yes. <laughs> so I understand that. But I mean, these are pretty cool legendary designs overall. Like, I probably will be getting the dog pack for this game. Even though I still haven't finished Sword and Shield yet, but I'll still get it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then we got some other Pokemon they showed off. Such as Palmy, which looks to be the Pika clone of the of this game. Lishonk, which was memed when this got revealed. Cause it's a pig with Shonk. And then the last mm-hmm. Oh my god, Lichonk. Exactly. And then the last of these Pokemon is Smoliv, which looks like the Oddish of the game. Like you're beginning grass type Pokemon that you would a cute spot. It it looks like uh I've seen this before. It looks like the uh Sprout like uh one. Like uh, I forgot what the name of it. It looks very similar to uh I think it was Bud something. I forgot what it was called. Right. But anyways, now we get to move on to some characters. And I'll see the protagonist, which, by the way, the clo- the default clothes change depending on which version you get. So if you're Violet, you get the darker color clothes for your starting clothes. But if you play, you know, Scarlet, you get the brighter color, more orange clothes. Mm-hmm. Now, ever since Gen 6, you could customize your trailer to look pretty much however you want it to look. But still. 
And then you get to a different quirk of this game. Two different professors. And obviously, depending on what version of the game you get, you get you get between Professor Sada and Professor Turo. And there's obviously a past and future theme with these two games. Yeah, I noticed that the, like uh, um, Sada looks very um, like way too much like sort of like primal sort of uh color well this guy looks like he's wearing like a like a i don't know like a space suit almost looks like something from dead space ah <laughs> uh, yes professor chad professor chad <laughs> yes we got uh we got somebody who looks we, we got professor sada who looks like a hawk and professor turo who is literally just a chad uh me verse uh character <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> this is literally a fucking. This literally looks like Chad, though. It looks like that fucking image. Yeah, but he looks like a me. <laughs> <laughs> right, because well, Game Freak slash Nintendo involvement. Oh, yeah. Also, we got the Pokemon, the rival character. Personally, to me, Nimona. Her in-game bottle looks so much better than her artwork. I don't know what it is. Like you look down that pose, like on the bottom left, especially in her scarlet outfit. Mm -hmm. And you compare that with her artwork up here, and you're like, the model looks better than the, than the 2D artwork, and I have no idea why. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. Um I think it's just because the fact that she has an actual like nose, it isn't just like this strange, like uh, slightly curved line and like freckles. Like you can actually see some definition in the 3D model, of course. Mm. Also. Yeah, personally, I like I like the way she looks in the Scarlet uh, outfit instead of uh, the um, wait, no, Violet. Sorry, uh, not Scarlet. Durr. <laughs> Yeah, Violet's the one on the right, and then Scarlet's the one on the left. Mm -hmm. I hear on that one. But yeah, exciting update on Pokemon. But then we got another thing on this. This is one from one of our favorite composers. No. No fucking way. Undertale's Toby Fox. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. So the Undertale, Undertale creator and Homestuck composer Toby Fox is re returning. Wait, you mean he's already You mean he's already done Pokemon stuff? He's actually done some music for Sword and Shield too. What? <laughs> so technically, I own a game already with his involvement. I lied. Two games, technically. I, I don't know how to, how to take this. And he mentions here, I had the honor of composing the field music for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. After creating a concept sketch, Game Freak arranged it into many versions that you'll hear throughout the game. 
Uh-huh. Yes, and if you look down here, yes, he did previously compose a song for Sword and Shield. Specifically, a song that plays in Sword and Shield's Battle Tower. An optional stage in the game. Okay, so don't go to the Battle Tower from now on. All right. <laughs> but I thought you loved Toby Fox, though, so this will be exciting news for you. And plus, we can spam Megalovania while you go through the field music. No, we're going to spam... Um... <laughs> Hatsune Miku covering um, uh, whatever the fuck that song was, and the, it's like the mashup of oh and Polka Megalovania. Yeah, like okay, so for you, for this is an in joke, but basically, before we started recording this, I put that in the chat because he made this off joke about something about Hatsune Miku, and I was just like, okay. I left the call, went directly to the Godcast chat, and just add play. And it, it I was like, wait, this isn't Megalovania. <laughs> um, and then you hear the end. Anyways, of, and then you hear the end of the entire remix. You're like, oh, now we see it. Yeah. Sorry. But back to the music, though. We have some unfortunate news that happened, and this only happened recently. The DP Sound Library, which is a site you would go to and get, you know, be able to use Diamond and Pearl songs inside your YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. It's no more. Oh. So, as it says here in this article on Eurogamer, Nintendo is shutting down the Pokemon DP sound library. Mere months after it became available, the sound library comprises music and sound effects from the 2006 DS game Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, which locked, which the servers locked back in February. However, an announcement on the library page states it will it would shut down on May 31st, which obviously we're like 13 days past that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you haven't um, managed to download the, the software, you know, not the software, the, the songs, you can still use it under the agreements that were in place. So if I managed to take part and get, download the DP sound library, I could have used my famous rubber ducks. And every time I squeaked, There'd be a Pokeball sound effect. No. Never. Dude, no. I'm glad that they shut this down. Never mind. <laughs> but nah, on a serious note, um, I think this is absolutely like the, I, I don't know how to put this. Um, it, it's only been it's been less than a month. We covered this in like March, right? Like around like February, March time. It's Gosh, been like only like, a few months and it's been less than a quarter of a year, I swear. Hmm. Like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Literally, and then they shut this down. Sad. 
The only thing, yeah, I mean, it kind of shows like how out of touch Nintendo and Pokemon Company can be at times. Yeah, I mean, they've always been quite out of touch in a sense, but, uh, you know, it's just like, I, I don't know. It's like, this is beyond like, like they just shut it down immediately, like only it's it hasn't been less than it's been less than half a year for a sound library that they put up it's like as if they i don't know they 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 haven't taken enough time to you know experiment and now they're like i don't know i just there has to be a reason because this is like a you know this is a uh give me one second this is like uh like right it's, uh, 16 maybe 18 year old game right something yeah 2006 so literally it is a 16 year old game so it's it's a 16 year old game that's 15 years ago that's over 15 years ago mm-hmm. and they're still afraid of people using it for this and that like they're so clenched onto this like and it's not even it's not even close to and and this was uh this was in tribute to legends arceus right because doesn't that isn't that kind of like the, yeah around uh, the time of legends arceus and pokemon brilliant diamond and shiny pearl and yet they now that the hype is over with I, it it's as if they are like they don't care you know they they shut it down i don't know it's yeah. just it just seems so it just seems way too like you said out of touch uh i they've they like i said they've been out of touch with a lot of stuff like a lot a lot of stuff like it's it's amazing that they're still around you know when it comes to like uh because you, you know the whole youtube fiasco i had to enter like a partner program this and that all that crap i don't know it's just like they nintendo's strange <laughs> they get in touch with the greedy aspects but not much of the ease of use and, and you know things that make sense department yeah and i get that that they're a business, but it's like, right. Have some humanity, I guess. I don't know. Of course. But another game that was shown that got some gameplay revealed recently was Sonic Frontiers. This is the oh, upcoming yeah. Sonic game. So all I'm going to do is I will link down to all the videos that IGN has released down below because IGN actually has exclusive coverage for this game for an entire month. Mm-hmm. So so I'll link down to all the IGN videos that relate with this whole thing down below. But there's a good chunk of information that came out about this game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to loop the trailer. You know, the, the main like teaser trailer and repeat but we're going to talk about all the videos that are pertaining to you know this segment okay so anyways let's get let's get on to this so i'm going to start here 
And yeah, this is the this is the a look at Sonic Frontiers. And as you can see, there's a lot of interesting things going on with this game that make it quite a bit different from, you know, other Sonic games in the past. Mostly comes down to the fact that this is an open world Sonic game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an open world Sonic game. Combat has been more fleshed out than it has been beforehand. And a whole sort bunch of stuff. In fact, there's even a skill tree for Sonic. That's a bit interesting. Yeah. And on top of it too, like the main gist of this game is that you're in this open world because apparently Sonic and his friend traveled through a wormhole and Sonic has to go out of his way to save his friends. Okay. That's kind of the whole plot, and that kind of helps explain a bit why Sonic seems pretty out of, you know, out of touch with the world. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm noticing, I, I notice a lot of, like, uh, enemies in this game from what the IGN interviews, you know, what they've shown. Um, I noticed that there's a lot of, like, enemies that are very much... Uh, they're they're strange like they they look a lot like uh if i had to give a you know a uh an idea they look like the enemies from like subspace emissary from smash bros brawl like i'm gonna be honest they look out of they look very out of left field i guess and it's 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 cool that you know that that uh, we're seeing like newer enemies that aren't in the same realm of reality that the Sonic franchise is, you know, showing off before. You know, it's, I, I like that. You know, now Sonic always has done more realistic enemies before. I mean, if you look at Sonic 06, Sonic, you know, yeah, yeah, Sonic 06, Shadow the Hedgehog, even like Sonic Adventure 2 to some degree, too. Like, they they've had done like not so cartoony enemies before. Mm-hmm. But this kind of brings back a more serious edge to Sonic rather than like going back to games like, you know, Colors or Unleashed and Generations, which are all and even Lost World, which were more cartoony in nature. And then Force has obviously stepped up the edge with like characters like Infinite. And mm-hmm. yeah, so sure. we're, now we're seeing Sonic kind of going back more toward a se- more serious direction again. And you can kind of tell the environments even too, how they're more realistic. But the thing is, from what I've heard, it seems some people thought the model that Sonic is in this trailer seemed to be the Sonic Forces model. Which for a game that had a more cartoony visual style, even though it had a more supposedly serious story to it. may apparently seem off. Also, too, other complaints include the fact that Sonic animations seem to be a bit stiff. Yeah, and I, I do notice that, but then again, this is uh, very early game footage, like very, like, towards middle of development, right? Yes, What in the IGN first inter- impression video that they had, which was after the two gameplay trailers, 
the IGN spoke, the, the person that was covering the game specifically mentioned this was an early build. And the problem was that neither of the two gameplay videos indicated clearly that it was an early build. Okay. I see. So. Because, yeah. um, because, uh, yeah, you do notice a lot of, like, it, it's very, like, you snaps to either direction. It's not fluid. There's no, like, um, what you'd come to expect of, like, I don't know, any other, like, third-person game. Like, they have more animations that transition to each other very smoothly. Um, and I noticed, like, uh, there's, like, a spin attack that... I, I like the lasso. That, you know, the little, like, uh, you run around them and you lasso the enemy sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I noticed, like, when, he, when they're done with one of that spin attacks, uh, Sonic is just spinning around upside down for, like, a few seconds and it's a little bit bad but once you realize that that's early early build gameplay then you can forgive it i also notice a lot in the distance more pop-ins and stuff but that's 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 forgiven you know mm. and especially if it's on a different uh you know like uh, if if i'd come to expect that a little bit you know um depending on what hardware it's on you know mm. but uh continue on yeah also too an, in an interview because they had an interview with the main director of the game itself he mentioned that he hopes that the this framework they had built up for frontiers could potentially be used for a sock adventure 3 now sock adventure 3 is like the half-life 3 of the sonic community the sequel that, that the fan base has practically always wanted. Definitely. <laughs> so that got people really excited on the internet. But they have some people are they're like, okay, you gotta prove this game is for good for before you can use it for a Sonic Adventure 3. Considering Sonic's track record with th 3D games has been spotty with both people. Yeah, I I know a lot of people when they think of 3D Sonic games, they they either think of the Adventure series or they think of 06 and I don't know, just really meh games, you know? Um, right, because the Adventure games is, are known by some people that be considered to be the best 3D Sonic games out there. Mm -hmm. But then 06 kind of came out and ruined the formula that adventure set out. Yeah. So rather and than improving upon, you know, looking back what made those games great, they decided, let's just change the entire formula to what Unleashed Daytime was. Nighttime mm -hmm. was the Werehog, by the way. So that's why they specifically mentioned Daytime. Yeah. And then all the games ever since then were, besides Lost World, were trying to refine upon what made the that formula great and generations was essentially the magnum opus of that entire formula lost world though took a completely different approach though because it had like parkour mechanics it had like you had like there's a you had a there was a dedicated sprint button that game pretty much mm -hmm. um and uh, about that actually um I hope when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to 
more modern Sonic games. I hope that they don't fall back to that, you know, press this button to gain more speed than, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just um, sometimes it feels like earning the ability to go fast. Like, I feel like that's it's just given to you like a free uh, bit of candy or something like that. I feel I don't feel like it's uh, it's earned. Right. That's one thing that we have to keep in mind with is that some some of the stages, especially like unleashed the unleashed daytime formula, which involved in obviously the Sonic colors and generations and forces. Some of the stages is literally you hold the boost button and gives you max speed and you win. Mm hmm. The thing with Sonic Lost World, though, is the fact that you your analogs, your basic movement was literally walk speed, and you can't go to like the proper running speed until you hold the right trigger. That game did not have a boost button at all. It just it was just a sprint button. Yeah, and it was. Uh, I mean, personally, I haven't played them, but I'd hope that it would be made so you weren't just allowed to easily gain uh you know momentum you'd have to um you'd have to you know make sure that to get to a to b as fast as possible you'd have to you know make sure that where you're running you don't lose momentum you know instead of just having a you know like a boost button you know right stuff like that and that's what the classic Ooh. games especially did very well if you go like sonic one two three I guess you could consider classic Sonic, but not in generations, but not really. And four physics were just off to make the formula work, but in Mania, mostly Sonic one, two, three, and Knuckles and Mania had the had this nail to a T, mm -hmm. where it's literally like you gain your speed via momentum and making sure you go through the correct paths. Yeah. But when you go down a hill in Classic Sonic, you just tap down, and when Sonic rolls to a ball, and as he goes down the hill, he gets faster and faster. Mm -hmm. Like, as if he was an actual ball. I mean, from what I've seen, I don't... The spin dash does not seem to be back, as far as I can tell. But that could be a nice thing to give back, because obviously... Sonic, you want to make sure Sonic has all of his natural abilities, you know, ground pounds and grinding on rails, light speed, you know, the, the ability, light speed dash, which allows to dash your rings, etc. Definitely. I, I wonder if they'd, uh, you know, if they'd have some sort of way to uh, bring about that, like, through that portal, maybe. You know, because of that skill tree that you mentioned, um, I, maybe you could unlock the spin dash, you know. That's what I'm thinking, like that. yeah. maybe you could... Probably something like that. But also, one of the interesting things in the open world, now that you have this big open world, that these open worlds you could go to, these islands, as they like to call them, you also do have traditional linear levels as well. Okay. Yeah, so in other words, I think after some points, however, as you explore, you'll also find the linear, the classic, more linear levels that you've been more used to with a Sonic game. Okay, sounds interesting. Yeah, so that's an interesting concept there, but yeah. All I can say is right now, I'm intrigued with what how Sonic Frontiers is going, but as a big Sonic fan, 
I know I'll be checking this game out at some point. Like, I am definitely going to check it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited to talk about this, and I just hope this game helps bring back, like, a bit of Sonic's glory that he he's lost. Because all the spotty, all the games that have been spotty at best, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed a good chunk of those games. Like, I've actually enjoyed my time with Sonic 06 and all those. Uh, I haven't played Shadow, but I have enjoyed, like, Sonic Heroes. And my time with Sonic Adventure 1, I actually enjoyed that game. Mm-hmm. But, and I've, I also enjoyed Sonic Secret Ring, Sonic, <laughs> Talk of the Black Knight. I've enjoyed those two games. Like, I've enjoyed a lot of Sonic games. Many of them are in the, what many would consider the bad territory. But I just wish that we had a game that that people would actually enjoy about talking about Sonic again. Yeah, and I hope it does bring that. Um, I do hope that it brings that uh, level of, uh, I guess, notoriety, I guess, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, popularity back not yeah. being infamous for buggy and all that other stuff that a lot of people just stereotype it as in a sense you know yeah because i mean as of right now the movies are doing great just mm-hmm. get that love back to the 3d sonic games like 2d is doing fine now because you have mania and origins coming out soon i'll bet it's sketchy you know scrap that we had to look at for a 2d sonic collection yeah and uh you know, the uh, Amy and Tails, uh, you know, uh, uh, scene in the movies. That was wonderful. That was best choreograph. I, you know, clapped my hands and oh, my God, beautiful. That's not in the movie. <laughs> yes, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we also have to talk about the fact that there also was a Sonic showcase during this time as well called Sonic Central. Okay. By the way, it's the very last article on that list of the Sonic section, if that's what you're curious about. Oh, yes. Yes, I see it. I see it. And we can see here. Yeah, so you can obviously get a Sonic Central live stream. It was a short stream, but nothing crazy. The first of which is the fact that there is another trailer for Sonic Origins. Just remind people it's coming out June 23rd. We talk, we know about this game. It's a collection of these games. Nothing worth, you know, having to talk about too much. Um, and then afterwards, they show up Sonic Speed Simulator, which is a Roblox game. No. No, please. Not Roblox. Eggman has kidnapped some electric chow to use their life for it to power up Metal Sonic. It's up to you to save them in within Roblox. Play through the new chemical plant area when it releases on June 11th. Players can unlock Amy Chow using the code Sonic Central. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> Roblox, of course, it had to be on Roblox. Now, if only we could find that. Yeah, now, if only we could find the Hatsune Miku Roblox game for Alpaca and enjoy. Prick. Nope. <laughs> Anyways, uh. And then you got some other, you know, updates regarding their mobile games, showing that in Sonic Force, Sonic Jack, Dash, 
Super Shadow will be playable. Okay, cool. Oh, and Mephilus the Dark will come to Sonic Forces during the Halloween season. For those who don't know, Mephilus is the shadow looking like Hedgehog with like the crystal skin. That's famous in Sonic 06. Oh, okay. And then they showed off a, a preview of Sonic Prime, which is the animated series for the new animated series coming out for, you know, Netflix. And, they sh- and the screenshot shows a picture of Shadow up there, but it's like, you know, the hey, Shadow's in there. Have fun. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's hoping he doesn't have any firearms on him. And then they also just want to remind you that, hey, Sonic 2 is going to be on Blu-ray on August t- 2nd. Shrine is going to have blooper delete scenes and blah, 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 all that stuff. Absolutely love the way Tails looks. <laughs> I don't know. Also, they had to spend a good chunk of time spending on merch such as G Fuel. What the fuck? <laughs> There's Sonic G Fuel. Actually, to make it even more interesting, it's Knuckles themed. <laughs> I, I need to see this. I, I need to see this. Gosh. Jack specific Sonic characters. There's an Xbox controller. I mean, yes, actually. They, right it's actually made by Razer. Oh. And as a charging stand and rechargeable batteries, you can charge it. Unlike modern Xbox controllers that you still have to either buy a, the rechargeable battery pack or get double A's. Yeah. Well. <sighs> they got some more art sets, some new poster things coming out. There's going to be some clu- clothing, especially some hype. So, literally Sonic Drip. Pez dispensers. There's going to be Pez dispensers. Yes, I actually... You know, the funny thing, where I live, my state is home to a Pez factory. What? You can just... What? No, literally. So, Connecticut actually has a Pez factory. And they have tourist attractions. And there's like a little shop you can buy different Pez dispensers and custom-flavored Pez and stuff. No, I know where you're gonna where you're gonna be leaving too. You're gonna go straight to that Pez factory and like just <laughs> buy buy these and then send me them in the mail and say hello. This is Hydrowave. <laughs> <laughs> and then also there's an X E there's an EXG Sonic controller that is a you know just to make a, a Sonic themed. Yeah, controller holder. And the Amiya is also making so- classic Sonic figures. And then there's also a soft figure made by Belfine. But, Belfine, but. Continue. But besides the merch, they also mentioned that the Sonic 30 anniversary concert will be traveling around this year. And you could go ahead and schedule a show. You could go to one of the concert dates and you could actually see this orchestra live. And by the way, if you want to know how the set list is going to go, this is actually on YouTube. Oh. And it's actually a really good concert. Okay. We're checking out. It's two hours long, but it's really good music. All the Red Ninjas are excellent. And then they got some Fall Guy skins for Sonic and Knuckles. Why, why, does, why does Sonic have a line through 
Oh, okay. You can, you can make the top and bottom parts of the skins. <laughs> For some stupid reason, I'm seeing just Sonic, but he, his mouth is just that line. <laughs> Sorry, he looks like Dory from Finding Emo. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. And also, they ended the show off with a little teaser for an animated short based off Sonic Frontiers. Yeah. And they showed a clips of Sonic Frontier gameplay. Like, if you go to the bottom of the article, they actually had, like, like the space dragon thing that was traversing, like, the main, like, grass island. You had to, like, shift between the two lanes, you know, and then, like, then you get to the, like, combat area, and then you try to be this, like, cyber dragon thingy. It was pretty interesting, though. But yeah, I mean, the Sonic news has definitely been interesting. I know for sure that Alpaca will be picking up that Knuckles G fuel. I'm, I, I don't know how to feel about that. I hope it's not an exclusive flavor. Um, but it'd be worth it'd be it'd be worth trying the, just to have the tin, I guess. All right. Uh, at the same time, I don't know. Just <laughs> that G fuel don't. Right. Anyways, I think now we can move on to what I call the showcase extravaganza. Okay. Because there's a lot of showcasing stuff happening. A lot of it. Yes, let's talk all about that. So we have to start off with some of these massive games. And... This is this is just a high cap recap from IGN here, so a lot of the stuff is gonna be out of order. But let's start with the first announcement. I think it's the, this this section here, the biggest one. The Last of Us remake. Also known as Last of Us Part One. So yeah, there's gonna be a remake that's gonna be close with the PS5. With new en enemy AI based on the Last of Us Part 2, they're going to modernize controls, performance boost, all that stuff, and get this. This is going to make a certain alpaca very happy. What, do, what does this say next to PS5? PC version on the way. That's right. You two can now officially play Last of Us. The original game on PC. After it comes out for PS5. At some point in the future. That's going to be wonderful. I hope they can make an October, you know, around Halloween sort of reveal because like or at least uh, release because well, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's probably going to be a more than that, unfortunately, because the game's gonna come out on September second for the PS5. Yeah, but like uh, the PC version, I hope that they find a way. I think it likely if they had to be within three months, probably. I don't think it's gonna be Halloween. That's unrealistic for them to do that. I see. Nah, well, yeah, I can dream. I guess I don't know. I it'll probably it could probably release on a random Friday the thirteenth next year, so who knows? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. 
not not as good as Halloween, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> also, too, there's going to be a Last of Us multiplayer game that's going to have its own story and be as they say the saying here as big as other Naughty Dog games. This is actually what's happening here is so for a while, you know how Last of Us was going to have two was going to have a multiplayer mode. It was going to be like a, it's like a faction sort of thing. It's going to be kind of a standalone game. Uh-huh. Well, the thing is, that actually became so big, it had to be completely untethered from both Last of Us Part 1 Remake and then Last of Us Part 2. It's going to be its own fully set game with its own story mode and everything. Okay. So, that's going to be interesting to see. Also, we got a trailer for Street Fighter 6, and we, this is for Guile. Oh, okay. The same game that features Luke, which looks like someone that we know. Also, we got Alien Dark Descent. This is actually a like a top-down perspective Aliens game. Sounded pretty decent. And then we also get a hint of the Last of Us HBO series. As being. Yeah, and you're going to have. That it's also revealed that Joel's voice actor, Troy Baker and Ellie's voice actor, Ashley Johnson, will have a role in the upcoming series as more in the cameo. Okay. The voice actors were Pedro Pascal for Joel and Bella Ramsey for Ellie. You can see a screenshot of it down here. So I think such a pretty decent. For just for this screenshot, this looks like a fairly accurate looking portrayals of these characters. What they could do in a live action setting. Oh, yeah. I, uh. I, Joel Morris. Yeah, Joel looks a little bit more. Uh. A little bit more closer to, uh, you know, um, the game version of Joel, but I don't know about Ellie. I, I like because of the angle, I can't yeah. really tell. But and also, too, that again, I know that you know the person who you know originally did the scans, and everything for Ellie transitioned to Elliot. Oh, I see. So that's a whole thing. But after that, another thing they show off here, too, is the Callisto Protocol gameplay. And this is actually being made by the creator of Dead Space. And tell me that this isn't just Dead Space. Holy crap. I can see the similarities already. Now, Alpaca, you have actually played Dead Space 2 on one of your streams. Yeah, I have. Um, I uh, I did play through it. Very gory. There was a point where I did get stuck, but it, it was very minor. Um, and also there was like uh, a bit of an issue with like maybe the resolution made one of the QT prompts a bit difficult to see because whatnot. But... 
this aside is, from all of that, I yeah, loved it. Yeah, this is a game I have a feeling you would definitely try to get your hands on and make sure you could play and stream this game. Without a doubt, I wouldn't mind trying this out just to just to see, like, because like it, it actually looks very much like the like the actual setting, of course. Um, um, looks very much like Dead Space. You know, the characters look, and uh, I can, um. I don't know. It just looks very much like a Dead Space type game. You know how like uh, you know how certain games can look almost very similar to the point where like it's like uh, you, you can tell they're spiritual successors. Of course. So that's what I see when I look at this as well. I hear you. I hear you. Also, too, down below, we also have from Bobby Kotick Studios. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 gameplay demo. Yeah, I I saw this um firsthand uh and I was you know I liked um I liked how it looked. It looked like a mix between um the one of the the second mission of Modern Warfare, uh, you know the COD Four. Mm -hmm. um, it looked a lot like wet work mixed. Like the very beginning looks like the only easy day was yesterday from Modern Warfare Two, but mm -hmm. the end towards could look way too much like wet work, um, especially with all the the ship like moving and the the cargo sort of sliding back and forth. I think you can get crushed by it, but they didn't really show that. Right. Um, I think it's um i mean i like the look of it it's just it um it gets me excited for modern warfare 2 um not to be confused with modern warfare 2 <laughs> um but i gotta say on a a certain aspect of it, it kind of um i wish it was a bit less i wish the tone was a bit um a bit like uh, you know how the Modern Warfare 2019 how it had like a sort of um uh you know it was like uh be stealthy and you like uh, you saw like uh there's parts of it where it was more slowed down and it had like especially um clean house which was the one where it's night vision and the you know know who is an enemy and who is not that sort of theme I noticed with this is it's more like just doing action missions mm. and it's basically being a, a, like a sort of team together and all that i i hope that there's more um putting it on its head sort of stuff right because so with, with this with this game um it's got some shoes to fill like a certain other uh game that we'll get to uh because it has the more for two name of course, it's going to be the reboot spiritual successor of the same exact game. Uh, of course, not like, you know what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope that the campaign is as um, as good as the uh, as uh, Mono for 2019. Um, right. As far as multiplayer, as far as multiplayer, we haven't seen anything about that. 
Um, That's probably going to come at a later point in time. There's going to be like a they're, they're going to do a whole standalone thing for that, detailing more about what's going. They're going to make changes to and all that other crap like they used to for all the other shooter games. Yeah, I did uh, hear from, like I did look up other videos and uh, like that insiders and all that sort of stuff. And apparently there's going to be like attachments and th you're going to have three attachments out of five choices. And then you're going to have the ability to customize the body of the actual weapon and you can choose how accurate or how fast it fires and certain things like that. That was pretty cool. But right. for the uh, for those in the campaign side, I've I, I thought I read or heard something that there's going to be no, again, there's going to be no mission to the game that will be like controversial, like the no Russia mission. There's not going to be anything like that in this game. Uh, I hope that's only alleged and not true, because you know, with the, the uh, campaign, uh, I didn't like how with with, with the uh, remake of Modern Warfare 2019, I didn't like how they were like, oh, it's going to be gritty and all that stuff. You saw a lot of horrors of war, but they it just felt a bit too much like they're trying to soften it enough. They're trying to be edgy for the sake of being edgy but they also didn't really actually show anything. Like, there's a point where there's like a child who sees, I believe his father get killed by one of the main antagonists. And then he w runs away into a smoke and the wolf, uh, the character shoots him off screen, basically. Another thing is, um, <laughs> I mean, this is stupid and it's obviously, obviously you shouldn't really show this stuff, but there's a point where there's like a, an infant and yeah, that happens, I guess. Right. So that's unfortunate. Um. Anyways. Yeah, let's move on to the next game that and that's in this thing. There's another one called Layers of Fear. This is apparently a psychedelic horror chronicle, and this is actually made by Blooper Team, which did the medium. Mm -hmm. So if you're a fan of the medium, you're probably going to like this game. And this is actually made on Unreal Engine 5. It was pitched as some of a rematch and a sequel that built on the foundation of the original Laser Fear, Laser Fear Inheritance, and Laser Fear 2. So take that for what you will. Also, Marvel's Midnight Sun reveal a Spider Man. And this is that strategy game with the card system and all that stuff. But the reason why this was apparently a big deal, because this is one of the first times in like a long time that Spider-Man appeared on the character appeared on X in an Xbox game. He does technically take two and for axes. Like this is the first time in a while that the character appeared in a game that's on the Xbox. We'll move on to the next game next. I haven't heard anything. Next game on this <laughs> Sorry. Course is Gotham Knights. And they actually show some gameplay for Nightwing. So that's guess that's kind of exciting. That, and after that, you got a look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. This is the beat-em-up game, considered like Turtles in Time and stuff like that. And it shows that Casey Jones will be a playable character. And there will be a six-player co-op mode, both local and online. 
Okay. That's not often you'll see a six player game locally these days. Oh, yeah, of course. I, don't, I can't really place a game that has that uh, six player co-op sort of. Uh, or maybe it's just beat em up sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah, definitely not beat up. I mean, one of the only few games I can think of that actually does like, you know, eight player local play is a lovely little fight in another lovely little fighting game. Oh, yes. And I know this. Smash Bros. The same game that features a me costume for Sans and a me costume for Doom Slayer, and you can match them up together. The Doom Slayer was death himself. <laughs> the only thing they fear is you. Right. I still have to play Doom Eternal and finish Doom 2016. I know they're both fantastic games. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, I, uh, like they're basically don't play it for the plot ever. Yeah. Play it for killing and all that, I guess. Right, right. And the next game that's on this list is Saints Row, which is the reboot. And they're going to have a demo that you can create custom characters before the game arrives. So essentially, you get to treat your character before the game is made. And the game is a reminder for those who are interested, such as myself. It'll come out August 23rd. All right. I'm personally I'm a huge Saints Row fan myself, so I probably will be checking this out. Actually, Kyle, I'll check this out because they actually are offering unique weapons and stuff for those who actually play around with it. So that's what I'll be doing. And I know Alpaca yeah. is sure going to make a character with this sort of face on it. Honestly, I, when I saw when I saw this um when I, when I saw this this thumbnail, I was like, "Who is this Uwu? Who is this Uwu master with the cat ears?" Mm. <laughs> and now Alpaca can make it the ultimate Uwu master. No. <laughs> also, they showed off some gameplay for Cuphead, the delicious last course. This is the Cuphead DLC that will be released on June 30th. It's been a thing. This is a thing that's been eagerly been waiting for for several years now. I still personally have to defeat Cuphead. I know it's a solid game. And I've been very fascinated by the animation style. Oh, yeah. Um, hopefully you've learned how to jump by now. <laughs> oh, I already jumped. I, I, jumped right. before, I know how to jump before IGN even couldn't could learn. Oh, wait. I mean, honestly, that was the hardest part for me was learning how to press A, you know, right. Or whatever the button was. No, I was thinking the funny joke was because I was just like over here. I'm like, at least I did before IGN. And I look up and I'm like, oh, wait. I'm reading on IGN. <laughs> I feel bad, IGN. Don't roast me, please. <laughs> After that, we get to the to Neon White. This actually was a it's it's like a card based shooter platformer game. 
This game actually was being used to hint that of a Nintendo Direct coming up during the week, but this day actually threw off that leak out the out the window. So it made that leak false. <laughs> so that's good. That you know, we don't have to get a Nintendo Direct spoiled to us, so that's good. Um also we have humankind coming to consoles on November 4th. That's actually kind of interesting for me because well I'd play this game on PC. And um well I didn't expect this game to come over to console. I know Civ did. Civ 6 came to console and Crusader Kings 3 did. Didn't think this one would. And I'll definitely be checking. Yeah. I'll probably check it out though if it's going to be on Game Pass, like the PC version is. Unfortunately, I guess you won't be able to do anything with the Switch though, because like no having Switch. it portable. Yeah, no Switch version. Yeah. If it did came on Switch, I'd probably buy it for the Switch. That's what it did for Civ Six. So, and then you got Flashback Two. Now I never played the original, but but believe it or not. This was actually a sequel to a game released in 1992. 30 years later, even the trailer is um very like tongue in cheek about it. 30 years later, the return of an iconic franchise. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm surprised this is getting a sequel. So you'd be surprised oh, when yes, game gets sequel. I wouldn't be surprised at this point if you know, I mean, oh, wait, they already made a sequel to Bubsy. What, what the hell? I was literally thinking about the, the Wooly Strike Back as you were saying, as you were like, man, I can't wait. I was literally thinking of Bubsy, the fucking one they released in 2015. That was hilarious. Or was it 2017? I forgot. I think there was like one other game for Bubsy after that one, and that was it. What? <laughs> Anyway. You know what's funny is, you know what's funny is, you can complete the Wooly Strike Back when under two hours, and you can get you could refund it on Steam. <laughs> well, um, and then you get Witchfire, which apparently made a return after being shown off in 2017 Game Awards. I mean, that kind of makes sense considering the fact that Jeff Keighley does the Game Awards as well. So, nothing surprised me. Seems like a cool game, though. Um, Why is this guy stroking his revolver like a... Sorry. Weird cut to thumbnails, number 5,752. And then oh. you get Fort Solace Stars. Fort Solace, and apparently this is going to star Troy Baker and Roger Clark. Troy Baker being the voice for jo Joel Miller and Roger Clark being the voice of Arthur Morgan. You're okay, boy. That's something. <laughs> uh, Routine is a horror game with robots, and apparently this game wasn't developed for like 10 years. It was announced nearly a decade ago. But then they show off gameplay and apparently according to the IGN here. 
I promise IGN, I'm not going to roast you again. It looks like a mix between Alien Isolation and The Terminator. What? Alien Isolation is actually the horror game that came out a couple years ago. That's actually a critically acclaimed game. So if you're into horror games, that's probably if you if you are interested in horror, check out Alien Isolation. Don't check out the one that came out a few years prior to that one. That was like a shooter game that was not that was critically panned. Don't check that one out. Check out Isolation instead. And then there's Stormgate. This is actually being made by former Blizzard employees. And it's gonna be a post-apocalyptic styled themed RTS game, so real-time strategy game. So this is probably going to have some StarCraft influence, likely. Alright. So that's got it. That's so good for those Blizzard employees that found a new studio and are making a game they truly enjoy making and not feel pressured by a certain overlord. Oh, yes. Also, too, we got Goat Simulator 3. Wait, there was a second one? Uh, I, I, I don't know where Coffee Sting gets these naming schemes from. They probably got the same Windows scheme that Windows had when Windows 8 went to Windows 10 and how everyone joked about Windows 7, 8, 9. So it went 1 to 3. Yup. These motherfuckers. They probably counted the add-ons as Ghost of Leader 2. The, I guess Ghost of Leader 2, 2 with the friends we made along the way. Hase Miku and Rubber Duck. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, we also got a look at Warhammer 40k Darktide. This is a, a follow-up to Warhammer Vermintide. So, good to see for Warhammer fans. We also got Highwater, which is a game that takes place in a world ravaged by the effects climate change. So, I guess... Wow, they forgot to add of here in this title. Jesus. And then for all those One Piece fans, such as Alpaca here. No, I'm not. This guy looks like a symbol monkey from Call of Duty Zombies. Well, that's because his, na his name literally is Monkey D. Luffy. What? Luffy is the name that everybody associates him with. That's like the nickname everyone calls him, but his full name is Monkey D. Luffy. <laughs> oh, so I don't feel mean by saying damn it so for all the one piece fans including Fufa packet this is the perfect game for you you know else is a perfect game the one right sponsor one right <laughs> below it which is the made by miho miho yo which is you know the or hoyo verse which was the maker of Genshin impact and they showcase this game called Honkai, Honkai Star Rail and Zenless Zone Zero. And they showed off this wolf character 
who looks very much like Crystal from Star Fox. Except she looks like she's a mercenary now. I know what character Alpaca is going to be very excited to try and get. A refund? <laughs> well, then again, with the, then again, Fluff Alpaca also has to play Genshin Impact as well, because he likes that stuff, so... No. And then we're also going to look at Nightingale, which is a survival game from Aaron Flynn and Inflection. So that's cool. And then we got Metal Hellslinger. It's a music based rhythm shooter. And it's going to feature like music from System of Down and other like metal bands. We also got to look at. Is it going to feature Mr. Metallica and Mrs. Baby Metal? Sorry. If it does, I'm gifting you that game. You motherfucker. I damned it. <laughs> ah! Um, We also got to look at a new Warframe expansion. I mean, I played quite a bit of Warframe. I need to get back to that game, especially if they get crossplay for that, that game. It's a really fun game. The movement system in Warframe is amazing, and the cut and the way they treat the game monetarily is amazing. Literally, one of the best free to play experiences out, out out there. That's good to hear. I was afraid to try out Warframe for the longest time because I was afraid of that. Like, so that's good to hear. Yeah, it might actually. Yeah, all the all you you actually you actually earn the most of the things through gameplay, like all the cosmetic. It's most just some cosmetic stuff you get as like as like stuff you buy. Even then, there's a way to get that some of that stuff in game. Mm -hmm. So, and then we got a 2.5 indie side-scrolling game called American Arcadia. That's cool, and that's what the show is. I mean, overall, I mean, the show did mention that it was gonna focus largely on existing games and it definitely did. But then you got Goat Simulator 3. There's a second one? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's going to be a fun time. I mean, I, I kind of felt like I didn't miss much just from not watching this live, personally. Because it's all games that currently exist or plan to come out soon in the future. There were some announcements, but it was nothing like super groundbreaking. I mean, Go Similar 3 is amazing, but you know. That's a game that me and you would have to play. It's a perfect game. Yeah. And do a 1v1 with Luke in Street Fighter 6. Sorry. I mean, oh yeah, by the way, we can go Street Fighter 6. Um, that game is confirmed to have crossplay. So if you get the PC version, I get the PS5 version or whatever version I feel like playing the game on. And then we can beat each other up. Wonderful. Wonderful. I, I can't wait, to be honest. So that means I could be the one playing as Luke. You can play as whatever character you feel like you'd be. You know, you feel the coolest looking character and you can beat me up with that character. 
play as Kirby. Down B all the way. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's gotta be a cooler character. But anyways, now we get to move on to the topic that well, the part of the showcase extravaganza that I myself was hesitant on including for this episode because, you know, it wasn't from the week prior or in this case, the month prior. But because this is technically breaking news as of this time of this recording, I kind of felt like I wanted to include it. And that, my friends... Okay. Which those of you who's looking at my screen now in the Xbox and Bethesda game showcase. There were some pretty wild announcements in this show, personally. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of like indie games in the show, so a lot of this will may seem like forgettable stuff. But the game they showed that were like AAA quality, oh, they're pretty easy to remember right away so let's scroll down the list here and we'll, we'll see what these games are and they show this little diagram here showing all the games that are coming to console naraka blade point was a game that was originally on pc that's coming to console and i did i remember i was tech i was messaging you know proof alpaca as i was watching this show and yes they did show off some fallout 76 content in the show Pain is all you'll find. And then, yeah. Um, so. Um, as far as I go, this is breaking news for me because as as well, because I unfortunately didn't watch this mm. live. So all of this is going to be firsthand. Holy crap. You know, sort of experience. Yep. So. Like, oh, my God. We're going to scroll down this list. We're going to skip this explanation and. We get to do this first thing, and that actually kind of makes sense. This actually is not the end of the show. They ended it off with Starfield. We're going to get that in a few seconds here, because we, myself and Alpaca, have a lot to say on this. But we're going to start off with this. Xbox Game Studios, Kojima Productions, announced a partnership to create an exclusive game. And yeah, and as you can see here, leveraging the power of the cloud. So uh, it's been rumored for a while that Hideo Kojima is making a game that would leverage the power of the cloud. They're probably going to do some really crazy stuff with that in addition to it being a native game. And I'm kind of curious of what Kojima is going to do. Like what sort of wall, like what sort of wall breaking stuff is he going to do with the cloud? Maybe it's going to be as simple as using your real name or maybe it could be. You, you remember how in Metal Gear... Um, you know, the twin snakes, you know how, um, uh, what is his name? Psycho Mantis. He could read your, uh, memory card. Oh, you're playing Super Smash Bros. Melee. Mm, that's Day Potato. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> um, maybe something on the similar vein or you're watching this or you're playing this game on Christmas Eve. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But there's probably gonna be something much more advanced than that. Maybe they might incorporate some sort of procedural generation or it may take place close to like the real world. Do something simple like flight simulator. Flight simulator actually Maybe. Yeah, flight simulator actually what they do is they use the power of the cloud for flight simulator 
like Bing map data to generate like a lot of the like the geographic features of that of its map. Oh, I see. In fact, they do model some. They actually offer some like, hey, if you want like a fully modeled like version of this sort of thing, we definitely offer like a DLC sort of thing for that sort of thing, I believe. But I do know that a good chunk of that game is all like generated with Bing map data. Really fascinating stuff. Uh, yeah, I I couldn't imagine using like Bing Im- or Bing uh, Earth or whatever the fuck it's called now. Um, I, I, I could only imagine like it it look pretty. I don't know. Just I yeah. wonder what it does look like. You know, like if you because I don't. Yeah, well, Flight Simulator is already out. You could take a look at it and, and get it on Game Pass. Oh yeah, I just haven't um taken the time to look uh, like I've saw um a little bit of gameplay of it, but I've never taken the time to experience it, you know, from video at least. Right. And then we get to the thing that Alpaca and I have a feeling of wanting to most talk about. Starfield. And unveiling the first gameplay footage from Starfield, game director. The myth, the legend, the chess champion. Todd Howard took fans a tour of this next generation role playing game set amongst the stars. The first new universe in 25 years for Bethesda Game Studios. Starfield will allow you to create any character you want and explore with unparalleled freedom as you embark on an epic journey to answer humanity's greatest mystery. In the year 2330, humanity ventured beyond our solar system, settling new planets as a spacefaring people. From humble beginnings as a space miner, you'll join Constellation, the last group of space explorers seeking rare artifacts throughout the galaxy and navigate the vast expanse of the settled systems in Bethesda Game Studios' biggest, most ambitious game. And honestly, from the gameplay they showed, this is easily their most ambitious game. Mm -hmm. Like, the gameplay itself, because I was the one that watched it, and I actually forced Alpaca to watch it while he was making out Hatsune Miku. That's a lie. <laughs> um, um, I yeah, I did, I did look through it. Um, and I gotta say, thinking about it, it's. I mean, I mean, no disrespect, but one of the weapons, um actually made me realize this which I, I it might seem like stupid and like oh wow he's basing it off of a reskin of a weapon but one of the weapons looked like the the institute one of the institute's rifles where it's like a you know um it looked very much like that and i was like hold on a damn second though i wonder since this takes in takes place in 2330 and the fallout universe is usually around a century before that. I wonder, maybe the Institute is the Constellation or something like that. If you didn't blow up this Institute and Fallout 4, but then again, I don't know. I uh, feel this is definitely a unique universe. Okay. Because I, I think it would be pretty cool if you could find like remnants of a destroyed nu- nuked Earth. 
Right. I think that would be pretty cool. I feel like that could be Easter egg, though. Like, imagine if you did find Earth, because there's actually a thousand galaxies in this game. Like, a hundred galaxies and a thousand planets. Oh. Okay. So. Yeah, I. Yeah. So that's a, that, that's a thing they mentioned in the gameplay, because as you walk the gameplay, they actually like detail, like, this is what the game's going to do. This is consolation here. And they detail all the stuff. Like, what mm-hmm. the plants of this game are going to be like. And this is coming out next year. And, well, it's sort of going to come out this year, but unfortunately it delayed. And I would have really wanted to play this game. Out of doubt, yeah. Though I am... Like I am happy to um, say that while I, while I am wary about it, and they didn't really show too much of the other planets, like Hydro mentioned to me when we were talking about this, that it was, um, there's like a few other biomes that they haven't really shown off. I'd, I'd love to see them because... You know, we only saw this like desolate, barren, you know, Mars looking hunk of rock um, for most of the gameplay trailer. So I'd love to um, explore beyond that, you know, make sure that, you know, make sense of it and see if it's because I'm only afraid that it's going to kind of like, uh, you know, be fallout in space or skyrim in space and like you know the radiant quests um stuff like that i'm worried that some of the planets will be a bit um you know radiant questy or the same exact thing but not really as well in a sense like procedurally generated right but continue on hydrum yeah thing to say. Like, like i said a, a more like jungle variant maybe of a planet or ice basic something that's not typical of a bethesda game that's typical that has been of recent because skyrim is mostly a winter baked environment i mean obviously like elder scrolls online covers the entire continent tamriel mm-hmm. they have done a lot of different settings like a desert bear setting and all this other crazy stuff in that game but i mean like in terms of bethesda studios itself yeah and the fallout franchise um as well because you know it's a very difficult thing to do with a nuked earth when it comes to biomes because like the earth is massive it's got a bunch of it's very very varied and stuff but one thing that's a bit hard to do is when well you know the entire fucking world's exploded and it's difficult to take that and uh create like a a winter or something it almost makes you wish for a nuclear winter you know um so i'd like to see a lush environment like that because this also is more close to fallout timeline um yeah in terms of technology um, oh, without except- a doubt but i mean obviously the weapons are more futuristic and but the core gameplay and gunplay will make you remi- have so many more comparisons to fallout but at the same time a lot of people also compared it to no man's sky as well Especially, and that is a good sorry go ahead yeah especially when you look at like the mining gun like how you mine resources mm-hmm. it does i seem, did see that yeah it does seem a little similar to no man's sky and i actually have no man's sky 
for my PlayStation system. And I've actually, it, I mean, I haven't played as much as I'd like to, but I did enjoy my time with it. And this was back at launch, which No Man's Sky was at its worst. <laughs> but as you were saying before, I was going through my rambling about this being a good point. Um, well, I think it's a good, uh, what was that about No Man's Sky? Yeah. Apologize. Yeah, it's a good point because, um, you know, it's a first person galaxy exploring sort of, you know, the, the galaxy is limitless sort of thing, except they made a hard limit of a thousand planets and such, but you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's kind of difficult not to compare it, but that's also saying like maybe Battlefield and COD or Halo and I guess Titanfall, maybe. Um, they're completely different franchises that share similar things like, you know, Battlefield and the modern warfare series take place in modern times. Usually some of them are in World War II, some of them are in Vietnam, some of them are Cold War-esque. Um, and with Halo, both of them are futuristic, you know, you know, armor suits, all that sort of stuff. But they're not the exact same thing. Mm. And I hope that when Bethesda does release this, that the gameplay is unique to Starfield instead of feeling like a ripoff of No Man's Sky. Because I don't believe that this is anywhere near No Man's Sky. Oh, hell no. Like. I mean, there are some similarities, but the main difference is the fact this is more of an RPG like Fallout. So this is more like, what do you get if No Man's Sky and Fallout literally watched some sort of anime porn and they made it? Became Cyberpunk 2077 anime edition. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's um, if you got the people behind Kill a Kill and then Cyberpunk, you know, doing something. Like, if they had... You know, they did the deed. But that's not the case here. This is more if No Man's Sky and Fallout. Or No Man's Sky in Skyrim, because, well, at this point, we'll just say, say that Fallout is literally the adopted brother of Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I also hope that they iron out is the... So... One thing that No Man's Sky had at the very beginning of its launch that was a pain, give me one second, um, was the issue of being as wide as an ocean and shallow as a puddle. And this is one thing that Sea of Thieves also had. It was literally a wide ocean, but the gameplay was very shallow in the beginning. I hope that with the experience of Sea of Thieves with Xbox. Um, I mean, I know that was rareware, but you know what I mean. Um, and seeing previous developments with No Man's Sky, hopefully some inspiration is taken into the, you know, um, you know, No Man's Sky, but also making sure that the problem of Sea of Thieves literally being wise notion and shallow as a puddle in gameplay Hope that they're able to iron that out because, like, being able to explore a thousand planets is, you know, I, I as you said, they're they're it's very ambitious, and I can't fault that. I'm just afraid of it being a bit too, 
reliant on being fallout in space yeah like this is definitely um, a game that you have to make sure that it's like it's ambitious but it's like you have to see how they put the plans for it before you judge mm-hmm. like just because it's ambitious doesn't mean it's good i mean look what happened with cyberpunk and look what happened with um let's look what happened with uh gosh how do i say this a lot of games have to fill shoes with the prior like that's the problem with sequels sometimes is that they are trying to one-up them every single time or be a you know when it comes to a completely different franchise i mean cyberpunk was delayed for like it's been 10 years right it's been a decade since it was first announced right it was a very long time and it turned out to be cyberbug or cyberjunk, you know, and it's slowly been ironed out. But I hope that unlike a failed ambitious launch, I hope that it's able to I hope Starfield's able to uh, one up in a sense, because you see Halo Infinite. Um, it launched and it was a great gameplay. Um, of course, now it's drought of content, but at least it was a finished game at launch. Well, not really, because Forge and Campaign, but you know what I mean. Co-op Campaign, I mean. But at least the multiplayer was fine. And it was fun to play, and the campaign was fun. A little bit of bugs, but not really. Hopefully, you know, as another Xbox uh, first-party title, Hopefully Starfield has um, launches perfect, you know, in a sense. Not perfect because it's a Bethesda, of course, you know what that means. But hopefully it's not as buggy as when New Vegas launched and how it is still sometimes. Mm. Of course. Or God Race Through the Hills. That's terrible. <laughs> mm. Right. So, I mean, yeah, this is good. I personally, this actually got me really excited for this game, and I really want to check this game out, especially because it is all because all that's the thing about Xbox first party games. They're on Game Pass day one. I can just gift you Game Pass PC for like $10. Mm-hmm. And you can play this game day one, and you and I can both critique it. Definitely. And, and chat about it and like what our experiences of the game are like and where we're going. Because the thing is that because this world is going to be so massive this time around, well, supposedly, we don't even really know how large the planets are actually going to be or anything like that. Because the idea seems so expansive and vast, that's what makes it interesting. What are our ships going to look like? Because the thing that they show in the gameplay is the fact that you could literally design your entire ship. And like you could pick different modules and rooms and everything to make it look exactly how you want. Yeah, I saw that. It was like um, if Kerbal Space Program got fleshed out. Yeah. As a RPG, I guess. I don't exactly. know. Plus The Sims. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Well, it's like really exciting for me though, because like I love game with deep customization. I've always been fascinated with the El- like you know the Todd Howard Legend games. Of like Oblivion and Skyrim and 
Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. I never get an opportunity to beat them, but I always love checking them out and just playing them. Of course. And I wish to continue on with like Oblivion and Skyrim and stuff like that. I, I really want to play these games. And I honestly would love to just beat one of them. <laughs> but that's all about Starfield. I mean, Starfield is just looking like an excellent game. I, I am excited for that. And then we're going to look at Redfall. Redfall is that co-op art FPS game with vampires. They actually showed some gameplay of it, and it looks like it's going to be, you know, a bit Borderlandsy, but not much. Like, it's being made by the dude behind, like, Dishonored and all that stuff, so... Combat should be pretty good, at least. There needs to be a Morbius uh, Easter egg, I swear. Oh, what? What? Oh, okay. Alpaca? What? You're a goddamn memer. You just mentioned Morbius. It's Morbin time. <laughs> Morbius sweep. Morbius sweep. I wonder what the modding community is going to be like for that game, too. Like, especially if, like, if you're going to be able to mod this game, because obviously it's, it's, it's a vampire. You, you have different heroes or everything. They actually show off skill trees and everything like that, too. So, in a way, it kind of feels like Borderlands. Yeah, I'm looking at the gameplay reveal, actually. It's like, uh, um, huh. It's like a Left 4 like Dead mix. Yeah, it's like a Left 4 Dead mix with Borderlands. Yeah, I was going to say, it It reminds me a bit of, um, like, Back for Blood, except the characters aren't as annoying, and you'd wish you'd mute them immediately. Um um, and like you said, Borderlands in a sense, because it has, uh, I mean, these, oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Vincent. yeah, see, that could be a solid game, I believe. So definitely look checking out if you're into like vampires. I like the invisibility cloak thing, very crisis-like. Yeah, every they're like four. It's that's what I mean. It's kind of like Borderlands. Each character having unique abilities and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Now that you mention, it is very like it. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, they show off. But another game they show off here is the new Forza Motorsport. Now you would think. Hydra Wave and Flippa Packer. Why in the world do you want to talk about another racing game? I like racing games, and two, they they're good at tech tech to, you know technology show off. Yeah, um, now, one thing that racing games to me, sorry, one thing that they have to me is like they're beautiful a lot of the time. Exactly. So. Now, here's the funny thing about this game: what's the difference between Grand Turismo Seven and Forza Motorsport? Uh, uh, real-time ray tracing, advanced car damage, dynamic time of day, not always online. <laughs> one of these things does not belong here. <laughs> well, you got one of the parts right, because it, it, it seems like you can play this game offline. 
I'm talking about the fact that this game is purely next gen and not being held back by the Xbox One. That too. Gran Turismo <laughs> 7 actually it is released on the PS4 as well. Like, if you get this, you know, the deluxe edition here as well, you get a code for the PS4 version. <laughs> this game did not have a PS4 version. Like, or, like, okay. or Xbox One version. So it's not being held back by any, you know, prior gen version. This is a pure next gen game, which is exciting. And from what I heard, too, for Grand Turismo 7, ray tracing was only for replays, not for the core game. Okay. Versus for the motorsport, they actually put ray tracing like as part of the gameplay. Like if you like play or walk the gameplay of Forza 7, not Forza 7, but Forza Motorsport, I don't know why they'll call us Forza 8. <laughs> Um, they, you can see that they needed to find. They need to find a way to put the, uh, you know, where it says motor. They need to connect the two O's and make it infinite eight. Not a bad idea, actually. Like if you put like an eight, like sneak it in there. Not a bad idea. But, anyways, yeah, like they're gonna make it. Like, God, it's gonna be so cool to see this. Like, I generally think like this is gonna be. I think what they're going to do here is going to be absolutely brilliant. This is going to be a very beautiful game. Oh, yeah. And then after this, they showed off Minecraft Legends. So it's another like Minecraft spinoff like game. But this one is kind of like a banner. Mountain banner, like Overlord or something like that. Mountain Blade Banner Lord. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but with Minecraft. Wonderful. So, I mean, it's interesting. The concept is literally you're trying to unite the overworld to defeat the underworld. Oh. Okay. And then hmm. they also show up this game called Pentiment. And this actually is a very graphically interesting game. It's literally a game with a graphic style of, like, medieval times. It looks like a medieval painting. Oh, cool. It's like uh, Never Ending Nightmares or something like that, where it's uh, um, it's a bunch of like pseudo like 2D sort of things where it's like it's it's stylistically it only use, has like a few frames or like walking and animations and stuff. Yeah, I like that. Are you taking a look at the gameplay or anything or? Yeah, I'm clicking on the titles and just looking at the um trailer and stuff just to get a better idea gotcha gotcha and then below that you get a game called aura it's another historical strategy game so as far as i know it reminds me of like civilization humankind age of empires that sort of thing these people look like these people look like in the thumbnails they could be on dollar bills (laughs) yeah i mean this could be worth checking out honestly but there's a lot of strategy games like that. And then there's As Dusk Falls. This is one of those, like, you pick your choices sort of game. <laughs> so that's got to be interesting. 
And then you get to one of the big announcements here. Riot bringing their games to Game Pass. And the idea that, you know how it's like Riot, like League of Legends, whatever, you have to pay money to unlock all the champions and everything like that? Uh-huh. What if I told you that just by being a Game Pass subscriber, you just get all the characters unlocked? Well, I can say that they've officially won up Sony again by including all the DLC in, you know, their subscription. So that's off. And this also <laughs> includes Valorant. But the thing about Valorant, like, it's already free. Why would you need a Game Pass for it? Because the characters are not... Not all the characters are unlocked oh. from the get-go. It's the same. It's for oh, all their games. So you unlock uh, all the characters for literally every single game. I see. I was on nowhere. Sorry. No worries. And then they showed off gameplay for Diablo 4. So we're Do you moving... guys not have phones? Sorry. So this is... We're moving past Immortals. Screw that game, by the way. I agree with you. Um... You guys not have $139.99 to pay for the, you know, new boxes? Oh, Sorry. we're going to talk about Diablo Immortal later because the, the microtransaction thing is absolutely crazy with that game. Do you guys not have Netherlands? Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, this game in particular, um, it'll, it, it's going to be great. For my, it looked like a really impressive game. Like, they show off character customization for the game. They showed off, like, a lot of really cool things. Oh, and it's going to be open world. And it's going to have cross-play, cross-progression. You guys not have fun? Sorry. Yeah, we're moving. That'll be cool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, I may or may not dip into that game. It's a maybe. Done. Actually, if, it come, if, if Microsoft buys off, if the acquisition closes for, you know who... And we'll have phones. Sorry. And then it'll be on Game Pass. And then I can play with it. And I'll finally have phones. Sorry. <laughs> but this one was a surprising one for all the JRPG fans. Persona 5 Royal, Persona 4 Gold, and Persona 3 Portable all coming to Game Pass. There's a reason why it's surprising. This is one of those many JRPG series that have been exclusive to PlayStation for a very long time. And it's one of those series that's recently just been breaking out of that, of just being a PlayStation game. Yeah, because wasn't um, one of the characters Joker in Smash Bros? Yes, and you could actually see him in this image here. He's the guy right in the middle of the red gloves. Mm-hmm. So nice. Exactly. And it's on PC too. Yeah, Persona 4 Golden's already on PC. But you're gonna get the other two games on PC as well. And the funny thing is, wanna know what the funny thing is? Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable managed to get on the PlayStation. Uh, not what? Wow, I just said this wrong. Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable got onto Xbox before both. PlayStation and Switch. Both systems are bigger in Japan than the than the Xbox by a long shot. Okay. And Persona 5 Royal got an Xbox before the Switch. 
So the Switch, a system that would make totally much more sense for these three games, is getting these games last. Like, I have a step cousin who I managed to get him to Persona 5 Royal. He may not be seeing Persona 5 Royal for a while on the Switch. He's a pure Nintendo gamer, and I managed to get him to, into this game because of Smash Brothers. Oh, here's hoping he doesn't get, uh, you know, entrapped by demons and then has to uh, complete high school and uh, save the world at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah, you, you, I, me, even you would actually enjoy this game. <clears throat> maybe I think it, maybe this is making me more and more want you to get you that Game Pass subscription so you could at least enjoy Nelly Starfield with these games. No, I do. Um, let's see. We also got Wolong Fallen Dynasty. This is being made by the producers of Neo and Bloodborne and. This is actually a Neo-style game. So you know what Neo is, right? Uh, The Matrix. Sorry. <laughs> Not really. Um, It's a Souls-like game that takes place in, like, a feudal, like, feudal Japan setting. Okay. Well, anyways, these this is going to... It's going to be produced by these guys. And it takes place in, like, the Three Kingdoms period of China. But it's going to have the combat of, like, a Souls game. Apparently. All right. So that's going to be cool. We also got to look at Plague Tale Requiem. This is a sequel to, you know, Plague Tale. And this was another one of the shocking announcements here. Overwatch 2. This is launching in October, actually. And not only that, but it's one of the many games that start off as a paid game with Overwatch 1. And it's going to be a free-to-play... The sequel's going to be a free-to-play game. So, what, so that caught me off guard because I thought Overwatch 2 would have just been a standard $60 game and call it a day. But yeah, no. I... I was expecting that as well. But no, it's actually going to be a free-to-play game. I mean, so long as you make sure you keep the characters free, just buy the skins with the, you know, the loot boxes, <laughs> then things will be okay. I wonder how this delves into the... Uh, was it confirmed that Overwatch 1 and 2 we could cross-play in a sense? Yeah, they were not going to do something like the, the PvP map would be crossplay. So I think what they'll just do, I think they're literally just going to, I think if they're going to make this free to play, I think this pretty much will just confirm that Overwatch 1, which could get, potentially just get updated to Overwatch 2 then. Maybe. I mean, they're going to, if Overwatch 1 just going to keep getting updated. Without the PvP content. The PvE content. God, it's gonna be weird. Yeah. It's, it's been a different president now. Precedence. So, sorry. Oh, absolutely. And then we get to some other stuff too. Like, um, Forza Horizon 5 is gonna get a Hot Wheels expansion. 
<laughs> okay. So the Horizon series has always been more arcadey, and I believe the last time, actually, I believe Forza Horizon Three also got a Hot Wheels expansion, and I believe Horizon Four got a Lego expansion. That's odd. The Horizon oh, game, right. yeah, the Horizon games don't take themselves as seriously. They, it, it's a more arcadey take on the Forza Motorsport games. I see. Like it's still have similar controls and feel, but they take that sort of set that sort of thing and just apply it to a more arcade setting. Makes it very much makes it more approachable for the casual audience. Yeah. And then we get to uh -huh. Microsoft Flight Simulator. Which is actually the long, longest running game franchise at Microsoft. Been around for over 40 years. Is it me or is this... You know it says serves where there's like a little cross in between the S? Is it me or did that look like gave it a crack in your screen too? <laughs> Um, sorry, <laughs> I, I just caught me off guard. <laughs> I have no. What S is this? <laughs> uh, let, let me show you. Um, so it's it's literally like I, I don't know if you see this as well, but I thought this was hilarious. See right there. <laughs> It's so fucking weird. I'm not see. I don't think I'm seeing a cross there, but anyways, I don't know. <laughs> right. If I spot it, then I'll spot it. But right now, I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Um. But yeah. So. So it's going to add like a bunch of content, such as a spirit of Lu St. Louis plane and a whole bunch of other like famous planes throughout most flight simulator history. But you're also going to be able to fly a pelican from Halo Infinite. Just as a crossover. I don't know why. A game about realistic planes. And next day they're like, okay, we're just going to add a pelican in here for no apparent reason. You can just fly around the entire game with a pelican. I just hope I don't see any in the, in the sky when I'm walking down to the, <laughs> the market. <laughs> right. And also, we are now going to talk about Grounded as it's leaving what would be the equivalent of Steam Early Access. And it's going to be a full game, and they're going to have a complete story. They're going to complete the story for the launch. So, that's good to see. They're going to mm -hmm. also have like new recipes and stuff to make craft stuff and new bo bosses. Because the whole premise of the game is that you're you play as a bunch of te you play as a teenager who gets shrunken down as like an ant. And you fight the bugs. Yeah, I remember seeing a. Uh... I think I remember seeing a. Uh... Uh, a trailer of this. Mm. Um, and then oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then they talk about how in Sea of Thieves you can now name your ships and customize more of the ships, and also you can save loadouts 
and stuff like that. So that's going to be exciting. I mean, I know Fufa Packet will definitely name his ship the SS Hatsune Miku. Or the SS Rubber Duck. What? <laughs> hey, I know you love Rubber Ducks. I know that when you get this game, you're definitely going to name your ship after Rubber Duck. It's going to be perfect. No. I mean, I literally have then. the perfect ship right here. Microsoft. Nope. No, you don't. <laughs> hey, hey, mm -hmm. hey, Rare. Make this oh, actual ship. <laughs> hey, Rare. Don't. Make Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe they'll, they'll save that for when Microsoft quit the Activision Blizzard deal. Make Toys for Bob do it. I don't know. Yeah. Don't make him look like a crackhead this time. Also, they they show off a trailer reminding us that Elder Scrolls Online High Isle is going to be a thing on June 21st. And you're going to visit the pit in Fallout 76 ex Expeditions. This is one of Flubopaka's most anticipated things. Yeah. And coming in last after Fallout 76. <laughs> New Vegas anniversary edition. Not really. I'm sorry. I, I mean, that would that I think both of us would always enjoy having a, not only a New Vegas one remake, remake, but a New Vegas two. Well, go watch our episodes back in the go. I think go back and watch episode 21. I believe it is. We talk about what we think we want to see in Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, look for look for uh, the courier, but it's my face on it. <laughs> right, and a goat, I think, in the thumbnail. Hmm. But while yo know, Flufo Packa was wishing for a certain Last of Us remake to come out in Halloween time, we actually get a different game coming out in Halloween. That's scored. That's coming out on October twenty first, actually. So it'll be very close to Halloween. It's a first-person horror game. It's weird, creepy structures. Sounds like Layers of Fear. Kind of, but... And then they got us a look at a glimpse at Arc 2. And then after that, um, we got to look at Hollow Knight Silk Song. This is like a very pop... This was a game that got... Contentions for quite a number. Well, the original Hollow Knight got looked for like you know, as like almost close to Game of the Year contenders at times when that when that game came out. No release date yet, but a lot of people associate this more with Nintendo. So when be so that, that's a fun thing. Uh, then we gotta look at the last case of Benedict Fox. This game's a Metroidvania apparently, and yeah. Looks like it was a pretty interesting looking game. I don't know if you're looking at the trailer for this one, but. Uh, let me take a look at it. I know it had like a the, the at the end card, it showed like a guy and it had like a some tentacle thing going on. Like it was, as if it was like hopping to another dimension. It does say that there's like a demon sort of uh, uh, companion. Yeah, so. Ooh, this looks like uh, Inside and uh, Limbo. 
mixed with carry on. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure that's something you would really enjoy. Yeah, maybe. I mean, then again, you'd probably enjoy, you know, the Hatsune Miku make game 100 times more than that. So. Which is why I haven't accepted the gift yet or declined it. <laughs> I'm going to take a neutral stance and let Steam just refund it to him after the 30 days are up. And then we have Footlock the Siege of Dawn's offers. Uh, se- <laughs> Footlock the Siege of Dawn. This is a game that's kind of like a first person, you know, gunpowder magic action game sort of thing. Looks okay. pretty cool. And then we got Lightyear Frontier. This I remember seeing. Now I remember the description. It had like robots and you kind of grow crops and plants and stuff like that. And you kind of build up a little homestead. It might be like a space version of like Stardew Valley or something like that. But you're riding a Mac. Mixed with like maybe some elements of rust. And then this game here, High on Life, this is an interesting one. So I remember th- apparently the one of the writers, Rick and Morty, was involved with this game. Yeah, Justin Roiland. Yeah. And the voices in the trailer even remind me of, like, I guess, Morty. Mm-hmm. Like, the, whatever they had in fall. And the guns only have mouths that talk to you while you shoot them. It's a very weird wow. game. One of the one of the guns I remember was like spitting out its babies as ammo. Oh, wonderful. So it's Birdo. Mm. It's fucking Birdo. What the fuck? It looks like bug snacks mixed with like. Oh, that is weird. It's like bug snacks. <laughs> this fucking lady, she's like. Like, do you not see, like, how weird of a game this is? This is, yeah, this is literally fucking Rick and Morty, I swear. Like, this is literally, like, that type of... Like, it's literally that type of fucking atmosphere with, like, the comedy, I mean. Yeah. It's It's a weird game. I'm sure it's probably pretty fun to play, but God, that's a weird aesthetic. It's like if Bug Snacks had guns, which I think it does, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If the Bug Snacks were guns instead. Gun Snacks. Mm. And then he got Defy the... And he got Erebon Shadow Legacy. This is apparently a fast-paced, steward-driven stealth platformer. So you have like shadow powers and stuff, and it's a heavy stealth platformer game. So that seems like a pretty cool. And speaking of Limbo and Inside, this is a there's a game called Cocoon that he's been making. So okay, so this is from Jeff Carlson, who is the the lead gameplay designer of Limbo and Inside. I remember playing this game. It was like a 3D platformer had like puzzle elements. Seemed pretty interesting. 
And then after, after that, there was Ravenlock. This was an interesting game. It it had like a it starts off like a 3D, you know, like basic 3D game. But then afterwards, it it then goes into like, like it's the main world you're playing as is like you know like that 3D pixel aesthetic that sometimes comes up. Uh, like yes, like uh, it's like voxel 3D pixel sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, like like something like Trove or something like that. Yeah, it has that sort of visual style to it. In like a okay. Alice in Wonderland sort of vibe. It, you know what? Actually, it looked like Alice in Wonderland from the very like from this little like trailer thing. I'm I'm looking at the thumbnail. I'm like, <laughs> it very much looks like something like that. Like a really strange world. Yeah. So for those who are into that sort of thing, I mean that's definitely probably worth checking out too. That's what I mean by there's a lot of like smaller scale games in this presentation. It's it's not like it's like I feel like this is Joe has been more like smaller games. Like there's no like that not much of a big standout thing besides like Starfield. You know what? And even sorry, it even has Alice in Wonderland where the protagonist gets like falls down a, uh, you know, but this time it's a mirror. It's like a Mario 64 type mirror. Yeah. I like this. And also Holy the, shit, there's the big cat. Mm-hmm. Also to the Naraka Blade Point. This is an interesting looking game. It's like a 60 player action battle royale, like sword, like melee battle royale game. So that's that seems like it'd be pretty fun to play around with. I mean, I think I've seen some things about this game on like PC. I haven't played it, but I thought I saw some advertisement on like on like when I'm on my computer or something like that. But then you get to oh, gun, yeah, then you get to Gunfire Reborn. It's the last game this thing, this show mentions. I mean, this is like I think this will be probably one of Alpaca's favorite game. It's literally a Chibi furry shooter with magic powers. Don't fuck yourself. Sorry. <laughs> Just go walk the trail. Don't tell me that's what it looks like. Why is there a fucking uh, Doberman pincer like with with fucking? <laughs> it's a fucking Doberman pincer with two revolvers. And he looks like uh, he has like uh, what are they dreadlocks? The, the little like uh, squiggly things, I guess. Like the oh. right. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? You can shoot guns? I mean, no shit. I just saw a fucking Doberman start shooting revolt. Yeah. What the fuck? This is fucking stupid. Right. <laughs> I hear you though. <laughs> it's like, wow. I mean, don't get me wrong. It seems like the the gunplay may be solid, but I just like this is the perfect alpaca game. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm fucking. Where is it? Um, coming to Xbox Series 
Okay. Uh, Windows PC day one. When? <laughs> In October. Fuck yes. Birthday gift. Uh, clearly, this is a good. I mean, like I said before, it's a lot of smaller. This showcase featured a lot of like smaller games. Like nothing like like streamed as much triple A. But nonetheless, the games themselves seem to be solid games overall. Yeah, they look like they have much more effort put into them than a certain World War Two shooter that came out and got instantly abandoned and was absolutely depressing. Right. There you are playing Call of Duty Vanguard when all of a sudden the Sten's bolt is coming through the back of the gun and hitting you in the square in the fucking face. Right. And now we also have to talk about what Sony's been up to. Because while Microsoft's show has been pretty decent overall, I mean, they had things like Starfield and, you know, Forza Motorsport, and especially for Alpaca, Fall 76 content's always a delight for him. Oh. Um, we also have to talk about Sony's showcase here, and this was mostly a third-party showcase. Now, personally, to me, I view that this show... I believe would be the better show because it has more of those bigger announcements that people would associate with this time of year. Certainly. Um, including, but not limited to, not limited to. Yes. VR two. Exactly. I talked about the PSVR two content and all this good stuff, but let's get, the, sh the, the game's going. That's what everyone wants to see. And this was a 30-minute showcase. <laughs> that's the funny thing. Microsoft show off more gameplay, yes, for some of their games. And that's great because it was more of an official showcase. But this was just more of a state of play. And even then, they had better games. Mm -hmm. So let's get to it. Well, mostly like games that you'd be, that, you know, were hyped for prior. Exactly. While the showcase of course was literally a showcase it was more in the tune of showing off like it showed off indie games and stuff but this is where a lot of the bigger budget like hyped for games show off and that I, I feel like if you are looking for brand new experiences xbox has it but this playstation one has a lot more uh experiences that we were looking forward to already Exactly. And the show literally kicked off. Which I probably think would be one of Lufalpaka's most anticipated games. No Res Man's Sky. Sorry. <laughs> um, Resident Sorry. Evil 4 Remake. And not only is it coming to PS5 next year, it's also getting PSVR 2 content. Certainly. And the I Resident Evil 4 was the game that okay so I would my, my brother would be playing it this is my oldest brother he'd be playing it on the GameCube and um, I would knock on the door and say can I watch you play Resident Evil and for the longest time I didn't really understand like why the other games, the older games were like 
fixed angle and stuff because I was so used to Resident Evil 4. But he would play this game a lot. He would unlock the... Um, I mean, on the GameCube, of course, there are a few things that they didn't have. But he would be playing it over and over again. And I don't know exactly why other than that because it's a wonderful arcade-like type of experience. Like, you could play it over and over with. Um, but I always loved just experiencing the game even though it's same game over and over with i love the the lake monster el gigante the uh uh you know the little gum the merchant i loved resident evil 4 then i played it for myself and when i got an xbox one i saw that there was resident evil 4 so i picked that up alongside with 7 that's when 7 came out and I, I don't know, it's just been a wonderful game to rehash over and over with. I played it twice on, you know, I, uh, I've done, I've tried to do playthroughs of it, but I hated them and deleted them because <laughs> of my lack of con commentary skills. Um, so I just played them, enjoyed them. Um, now, Resident Evil 4 Remake. This has a lot of heavy shoes to fill in. And what, what I said when I watched the trailer was I hope both of these games can coexist as two beautiful, wonderful games that we can enjoy and coexist together as completely separate experiences based on the same exact tale that the original set. With that said, I am interested to see more. <laughs> I right. can't wait for March 2023. And we're going to talk about something else a little bit, but you actually may not have to wait too long to see more gameplay of it. What is that? In fact, for tomorrow, even. Really? We'll mention this later. Okay, that's something I'm going to live stream then, if I have the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my god, I hope it's good. Also, too, I mean, they, they after Resident Evil 4 shown, they also shown off Resident Evil Village PSVR 2 content. So you got a double whammy of Resident Evil content in this showcase right off the bat. Okay, it's gonna kind of says a little bit of why there wasn't DLC so far because I know seven. Whoa, you can. What the hell? Why is Ethan dual wielding? <laughs> what the hell? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> he has the uh, Lemmy in the uh, Winchester. Holy shit. Interesting. Sorry. No worries. Also, too, we also got to look at Horizon called The Mountain. This is a PSVR 2 game that takes place in the same universe as Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West. And that's pretty good to see there, too. Also, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Chapter 2 Retribution is also in developer PSVR 2. And there's even going to be a PSVR 2 version of No Man's Sky. My favorite game of the show, kid. No, not really. 
I mean, hey, your favorite, if, if Starfield VR was on this list, I'm sure that would have been your even better favorite, but more on that later. I would have hated it. <laughs> I would have been like Fallout 4 confirmed. Anyways, no, I'm sorry. Right. Um. Let's see here. We also got to look at, you know. Yeah, we also got to look at, let's see here. Where do I start from this? Stray. Also, we got to look at Stray. This is actually a pretty interesting game. It's like a stealth game you play as a cat. I've been looking forward to a game like this for a long time. I love cats. I used to really love them. If this was a game that came out when I was young, I would have played it. I would have been like, Mommy, Daddy, buy my game. <laughs> like, I would have just, I would love this, except it probably wouldn't have been difficult and I wouldn't have understand anything about it. But you know what I mean? Well, there you go. We're going to talk about more about this. Now, if you do get the new tiers of PlayStation Plus, which we will talk more about later in the show, you get this game as part of the subscription. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty nice. We're going to come back to one of these games later. Um, We also have Rollerdrome. This is an interesting little game that you play as this roller skating guy. But you also have like. You have like slow motion and guns. So. uh, What's that game? Uh, uh, fuck, what was it called? It was basically like this. Damn it, I forgot what it was. It's okay. Yeah. But you play as a character, you have a rollerblades, and you shoot things, and there's like wall running and stuff. It's a pretty interesting looking game. We also have some a trailer of... The Callisto Protocol, which also is featured in the Summer Games Fest showcase mentioned earlier. We also have Tunic. This was like a top-down Zelda game that was on Xbox for all. Now it's coming over to PlayStation, so that's good to see. And then we also have what I think is probably Fubapaka's favorite game in the entire showcase, Eternites. Okay. What is... Cause... Motherfucker. <laughs> this is a game where the protagonist got his arm cut off and then he gets ethereal arm and then he uses new e arm as like a sword and then he also dates girls. Your right hand comes off. Actually, yes. <laughs> oh my god. You can Wait, watch the show the if you want to. Hold on a damn second. You are. Wait, hold on. What is this? Why did the PlayStation Plus logo pop up above this girl's head? <laughs> Well, um, okay then. Um, post-apocalypse. So basically Fallout 4, Piper Piping Edition. Yes, but, but with more anime. <laughs> yeah, you just installed a fucking anime uh, texture pack to the game. And you get a right arm that comes off and becomes an ethereal arm that you can then slash at people. 
Ah, Mr. Kennedy, I send my right hand to dispose of you. Your right hand comes off? <laughs> right. You trying to move a mountain? <laughs> Sorry. Right. Same fucking energy. You trying to move a mountain? Also, no, I'm trying to move God's mountain. Sorry. Also, this showcase showed off more of Street Fighter Six, which is the same game that, you know, features a character looks very much like someone we know. This is the first time we've seen, like, actual, like, fighting and stuff. That isn't just two characters staring at each other on a screen. Supposedly angry at each other. Mm -hmm. It's actually just a interesting mating uh, look. It's a it's a uh, it's a mean look that uh, introduces uh, sexual in intimidation. <laughs> uh, I hear you on that one. And then we Wait. also. Yeah, then we also get to season a letter of the future. This is a, a kind of like a calm adventure game. Okay. Nothing crazy there. But the show ended off with Final Fantasy 16, and this game looks pretty hype. Like it's a it's one of the it's I think it's like the first like Final Fantasy game in a long time that went like L, excluding 14 that went back towards an actual fantasy setting. <laughs> so but not only that though but I mean the combat looks really good story seems really promising and yeah I think this game looks absolutely fantastic i probably check this game out by my PS5 alright um but yeah I but the game I want to separate out of this entire thing is Marvel Spider-Man because that game, along with a standalone expansion pack, Miles Morales are coming to what's this magical word here? Uh, pickle chowder. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> PC. Yes. So that's right. Now you alpaca can enjoy. The one, the supposed wonder of Spider-Man Remastered and Spider-Man Miles Morales. And this is actually being co-developed with Nixus, which is one that the, the PC porting studio that PlayStation bought. Alongside Insomniac, which are the main creators of the game. Mm -hmm. And if we scroll down here. A little bit longer. And you can see like how they're grateful that Sonic is grateful that they've been able to work with it. Nixus to fully optimize the game, so it's not gonna be like a buggy, like a like a frame drip, drip lagging mess on PC. And yeah, and also too, I mean, it's gonna so Spider-Man Remastered is gonna come to PC on August 12, twenty twenty-two. With Miles Morales supposed launching a PC sometime in fall 2022. All right. So, I mean, what do you think of Sony's announcements? Uh, the rest of Sony's announcements here. I mean, do you have anything else to say with Sony? Um, 
I so I don't really um, I don't really have anything except I hope that um, this this uh, I hope that um, Spider-Man on the PC I hope that um, I hope that it's um, you know uh, I hope it's just as you know um, as wonderful as it was only just a few years ago except I'd love to see it in full you know like I'd love to see it maxed out on a computer I'd love to see how they integrate certain controls together because obviously from a piano and a little trackball thing to like from a controller it's gonna be a bit of a different experience I know You're right and how even ever. probably modern Fisher Price controllers Your right hand comes off. Sorry. Um. <laughs> um. Anyways. Uh. Uh. But yes, I'd love to see how they integrate um the computer's weird control scheme in a sense to some people. Uh, absolutely. I think. Yeah. I know. We know someone who's all, probably already just instantly thinking of you know, streaming this game. and I, But I'm also sure that Alpaca would also love to check out this game and possibly stream it. Without a doubt, I'd, I'd love to uh, try it out, you know, at least just a little bit, because it's, um, it's, you know, I don't really follow Marvel Comics and the Cinematic Universe too closely, but... That isn't to say that I don't like Spider-Man and Venom and that entire series of stuff, even the Avengers. I, you know, I don't follow this stuff so closely. Mm. Like, maybe if I was, I wouldn't have, I would have, like, hated Morbius more than I do. I don't like, I don't, I don't think Morbius was a god-awful movie, but there are some stupid things in there that, looking back at it, why was there uh, like 15 seconds of Milo dancing with his shirt off? <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, hey, um, I guess that was Morbin time for him. <laughs> why did why did Jared Leto have to say I am Venom? What the fuck? Um and also how did he become like spider power thing anyways how did he fall how did Pufo Paka fall in love with Hatsune Miku I got stuck in a strange concentration camp full of weeaboos <laughs> that's how I mean I guess that's one way to say that story I mean do we believe the timeline of when you know a certain, you know, fanfic happened when you were traveling the site, you know, to Night City with the V, and then all of a sudden you were trying to conk to fight the anime army. I thought that was the story. I thought that was the story. Uh, you. 
you are just I don't know <laughs> pulls out the gun <laughs> I'm gonna take the gun on my entire self <laughs> I mean, like, oh shit! No! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Damn it! I, why is that a hot key? <laughs> the best timeline. Fuck you! <laughs> Wait! Oh no! They added more. They added more Miku's. No. They had a chibi Miku. <laughs> no. Hi. there mister <laughs> sorry and we have another sh showcase to talk about this one is for 505 games and we're just going off this game rate article because right now they're the main site is just being too slow on my computer so i have a couple games here to show off here and the first one is among the trolls this is being developed by Swedish developer Forbidden Studios, and it's pretty much a survival game, kind of like Rust, that has heavy inspiration from Finnish and Nordic folklore. Okay. So, like I said, think like Rust. All right, sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the second game they showed off here is Stray Blade. This is a action RPG game. And yeah, this is just like a pretty cool looking action RPG. Okay. No, nothing really extraordinary about that. And yeah, you can see some more details here about how you take a control rogue adventure, working alongside a wolf companion to heal land of ravaged by war. And we have multiple weapon systems and all that stuff. And be developed by Point Blank Games. So that's pretty cool. Oh, apparently it's next gen only. So I wonder if they'll take advantage of like any next gen features or whatever. It's still a fairly cartoony game. So I see no reason to why it wouldn't run on maybe a PS4, Xbox One, but hey, Gator takes fan next gen, and I'll take it. Certainly. And then yeah. we'll, yeah, then we just get to talk about Aiden Chronicle. This is actually a prequel spinoff to Aiden Chronicle: A Hundred Heroes. And yeah, it's a Jap, a JRPG, produced by Rabbit and Bear Studios. And it's supposed to have like influences from like Suikoden and stuff like that. 
And it has like an HD2D cell, think of similar to like Octopath Traveler and like Triangle Strategy. So that's pretty cool. And then also they, but this game was already released though, by the way, this game at this point in time was already released. They probably just did this as like a marketing push. No reason why you can't get an update on Hydra Heroes. <laughs> and then they ended the show off with Miasma Chronicle. This is a turn-based RPG in a post-apocalyptic world. And yeah, this obviously seemed like a decent game as well. But looks looks a bit interesting. There's like a um some sort of like crystal like black hole thing with lava or something and then there's like a robot they got like power glove looking thing right that's a th that's a, it's that's the thing though is that like while all these games seem nice and pretty decent and cool enough and all that there's nothing that like is like the obvious standout game like they all seem to be about the same quality mm-hmm but again, this showcase is largely like an indie publisher showcase. It's not like a main, you know, showcase that you would think of when it comes to, you know. Yeah, like I get that. Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, whenever they do theirs. Yeah, it's usually quite extravagant during those, you know. But uh, and it's usually has like a lot of like, uh, you know, there's usually something that stands out and that's usually the biggest part of it. You know, biggest part of that type of showcase, like, you know, for instance, for us, it's the for the was it state of play. Right. So the yeah. state of play, so many PSVR two titles, you know, um, and for this, but that as a showcase, of course, Starfield was the you know was like the biggest part of it you know yeah because of the court the legendary myth the, the legend the chess champion Todd Howard that was part of the chess collective <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> all right she's but, laughing now I'm sorry and then we get to another publisher-only showcase here. And I think this is actually the last showcase we have to talk about before we talk about some quick announcements on other upcoming shows. Hey. And then the first, and then this one is Devolver Digital. And these guys usually try to inject hum a lot of humor into their showcases. Like this one was actually hosted by a Mecha Suda 51. Suda 51 being the guy that Created the No More Heroes games. Oh. And so there's a couple games on this one too, but again, nothing like a Sony or a Microsoft showcase. And the first game on this list, according to GameSpot, is Cult of the Lamb. Now, we remember this game because this was featured in the same showcase that idol manager was it and i know how much flupalpaka enjoyed seeing no, idol manager no i don't <laughs> no we are <laughs> we're not talking about that though i still wonder what would happen if you neglect your uh the idols and then they end up like i don't know 
like attacked by a rabid fan. Right. I wonder. But shifting gears, going back to Cult of Lamb, this was another one of the games that Alpaca mentioned he wanted to play because a lamb was similar to an alpaca. And also it looks like uh, strangely, it looks like Binding of Isaac type mm. um, sort of game. The style of like, uh, you know, it looks like a teddy bear sort of thing. <laughs> right. So we can see here first announced earlier this year. They had now get a date of August 11th. And this is the game in which he plays a possessed lamb who must start a cult in order to pay back the strange spirit that saved his life. And you collect resources, gain loyal followers, and rid the world of false prophets, become the one true cult of lamb god. Son of a lamb. <laughs> yes, you two alpaca can become a god among the alpacas. Oh, yes. I love my sheep, and I love lambs, and I love alpacas, and I love uh, lambs, and my goats. And then we got Angerfoot, and this game apparently is a game about kicking things, apparently. You pretty much Angerfoot sees you as a man who is exceptionally good at two things kicking down doors and taking out mobsters. I traverse the city sewers and skyscrapers. You acquire new kicks with unique skills for your deadly door stopper to try out. And it's a first person action, action game that's probably much focused on kicking. Caffeine fueled fever dream of shit city. <laughs> Sounds like Night City with, more, with less steps involved. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, seems like an interesting game, and then we get the card shark, and and this is this game's already out, but it's set in 18th century France, a game tasked you with the daunting and truly high risk mission of rising to the top of the of French society, and that you do this by apparently winning card games, and you such a doing some gambling stuff too in this game. So stakes and winnings are larger and your opponent more noble. So does your need to be cutting and cheat your way to victory? So well, the only thing a gambler needs. Yeah, so apparently there's gonna be ways in this game, but part of the story you get to cheat a bit in the game to win. Imagine this being on well, Steam and there's actually an achievement that's like you win the game by not actually cheating. Yeah, I mean, actually, now you think about it, that's probably one of the uh, one of the things you could do. Probably, maybe, who knows? Um, I mean, then again, the only thing a gambler needs is a suitcase and a brief and a hot Miku card. Anyways, uh, we can talk about the Plucky Squire. And this game is... Oh, I remember seeing this one. This is a game that kind of starts you off as like a side-scrolling adventure in like a book. But then the character you play as pops out of the book and it like literally just pops out. And you then play in like a 3D, 3D game. Like outside the book. 
it's a little platformer game. So this actually is like it's it's interesting concept. It's the idea of hey, you have a character in a book, and then it just pops out the book. So it's kind of like uh, it's a little bit like uh, drawn to life in that sort of sense. I guess so. But it's uh, <laughs> it's more multi-dimensional in a sense. I guess so. Anyways, okay. and then another game they showed off here was Skate Story. And this apparently you play as a demon made of glass. Skate through a beautiful uh, skating through the underworld. And apparently it says if you skate to the moon and swallow it, he'll allow you to leave the he leave hell. So what? <laughs> okay, so I gotta swallow uh, uh, the moon, apparently. So, basically, like a dragon. I guess so. The trailer is right in the article here if you want to take a look at it. But. Or maybe he's joking and just saying, oh, yeah, eat a peach. Sorry. Right. I mean, overall, from what I've seen in these showcases, I do. Th I mean, if we just have to talk some all these showcases up, definitely so far I've seen a lot more on the indie side than I've seen with AAA games. Probably because a lot of the AAA game that we've been knowing about got pushed later. Mm -hmm. And these smaller games kind of fill that void while we're waiting for like, you know, like maybe a God of War Ragnarok or Gotham Knights. Or Suicide Squad, or, you know, Starfield, even. Like, a lot of the AAA titles that we'd probably be looking forward to, maybe even Need for Speed as well, like, all the games we'd likely be looking forward to probably got pushed into next year. So, that probably would explain the lack of, like, AAA higher-end titles, because we're right now seeing more, in like, independent games right now. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that because video games take a lot of time, like more resources than ever, in a sense, you know, mm. most of these games were still made in the later days of what was the pandemic. I mean, nowadays, at least in the first world, that's much less of a problem. Of course, there's outliers, you know, out there in the world, but in America and most of Europe and the parts of Asia and stuff, it's not really that much of a problem anymore. It's not really that much of a everyone, you know, everyone's vaccinated. You know, it's it's not an issue as far as uh, you know. As a, yeah, there's no masking guidelines anymore. At least not if you're you know hospitals are an exception. Some other places, but. Um, this was made during the later, you know, some things were made like in the, early, in the later days of this pandemic. And that can be a dent because working from home sort of stuff, uh, you know, the precautions and all that crap, it does delay a lot of things. So, right. I do feel like like as of right now, like Sony's right now is easily the best showcase. Yeah, has, I can agree. Yeah, because they have the most games that we're hyped about 
followed by Microsoft, I would think. I think Microsoft Certainly. would be second, and then maybe the Summer Game Fest Showcase is third. And then um, maybe Devolver Digital fourth, and then, you know, Final 5 is fifth. Yeah, I definitely, with the 505 Showcase, that's really low end on the list for me as well, because although I appreciate what is put on the table, I mean... Not really. I really only was interested in Among the Trolls. Although I appreciate what, you know, and Miyasama was, or Miyasama, that looked interesting. I can't agree that it was more than just something that could have just been an article and not hyped up that much. Right. Like, if, um, if that showcase maybe had like Payday 3 or like another one of those, like, some of those, like, larger scale indie games they were able to port over. Then I can see that potentially being better than Devolver Digital. Because Devolver Digital, I mean, I wish I saw this showcase live. But Devolver Digital is one of those ones like, God, I wish I feel like I could have seen this live. Because apparently from what I hear, a lot of the Devolver Digital showcases usually are pretty funny showcases. And like, kind of weirded off the wall. Okay. Like, like when you want the showcase, like, you know, it's pretty funny. Like they they, they kind of have some jabs at the industry and shit. Fuck Bobby Cotton. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, like they, it's supposed to be a more a satirical cop, like comedy focus show with some cool announcements in it. But y'all take themselves too mm. hyper seriously, which is why I wish I could have seen Devolver Digital live sometimes. At least find an opportunity yeah, to watch the showcase. Yeah, I hear you on that one. I wouldn't have mind seeing it. Right. That sounds interesting to me. Hmm. But as for which of the shows that had like the best indie games, I feel like that's a tough one because now we have to focus more like which games on the indie side do we think had the best ones? That's a tough order actually, because um, I I feel like it could be Microsoft's, but at the same time like then again you had like Goat Simulator three, which technically isn't really an indie game because now it's that's a studio that's owned by Embracer. Yeah, I hear you. Um, question. I mean, we would have to go back to the list and determine that. But yeah, maybe we can let that be a, a comment thing. So I guess comment down below, actually, which showcase do you think had the best indie games? Yeah, because. I mean, obviously, at the Xbox one, that's kind of the one you want to go for, because that's like, you know, that's a big company microsoft you know um uh so it's obviously they have much more of a in a sense budget i guess yeah when it comes to like being affiliated with microsoft and such but however just you know devolver has their own little show there um you know 505 although honestly i'd not that hype worthy uh but I mean, then again, also the Summer Games Fest as well. That's nothing to scoff at. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty decent show. That that, that show, AAA announcements, probably had one of the bigger ones, too, with Last of Us remake. Of course. Even though it's a Sony thing, that they could have probably just shoved that in their own show. Like, it's interesting that they, um, they kind of... It, 
I mean, I don't know if they. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like they could have if they if they if Sony wanted to, I feel like they could have just put like the Last of Us remake and maybe like a small snippet of like God of War Ragnarok in that showcase. They could have relabeled that entire showcase as like, you know, the PS the PlayStation showcase for the summer. Mm-hmm. And that would already took it a, a really good showcase to like something unfathomably holy for like Sony fans. Of course, yeah. I do agree with that. But we still have a couple more showcases to go. And before we get to the buy, like which ones are coming up next, we talk about how Nintendo will actually be skipping GameCop 2022. And as we can see from the article down here, um, once I get to scroll down a little bit, you can see how saving the game's words shaft. Gamescom is the key event in Nintendo calendar events. This year, however, after careful consideration, we have decided against participating in Cologne. Instead, the player will be able to try out the game for Nintendo Switch at numerous events throughout Germany. Events have been planned so far include roadshows with our Airstream, which is a tour bus, and our Volkswagen Bully. For example, at locations such as the SWR Summer Festival and the Stuttgart Children and Youth Festival. For Japan, and video game fans, we have decided to take part in the main Masuri Japan Festival in Frankfurt, as well as the Dokomi in Dusseldorf and the Animagasi in Mannheim. More tour stops and activities are planned. We look forward to seeing our fans again in many regional events. And I have to ask this. Why? <laughs> Like, I mean, if Gamescom itself, even if it says that it's going to continue the hybrid online on-site formula, which means it's going to be something in person. Uh-huh. Then Nintendo would easily have a better spot to be able to advertise their games. But it's like you're still traveling. You're still enticing people to see you in person. Why not just do the Gamescom at that point? I mean, I think it harkens back to what we said already about the Diamond and Pearl soundtrack. Um, just the fact that, no offense, they're just, they, they have this way of being out of touch in the worst possible way. I still remember back during the Wii U days when I think they showed off, like, they had, like, a Wii U actually show off, like, a, like a farm, like, a farm, like, sewing convention or something like that. It was really weird. Does, it, does that have anything to do with uh, that Kirby game that was yarn? I'm not sure exactly what the deal was with that one, but it was weird. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, I have nothing else to say except that's Nintendo for you. I mean, this is the same Wish company that has like an online service, and they don't improve any really anything else about the online service, but they grabbed, they picked up the pay for online thing instantly yeah they yeah i mean it's it's like you said before they kind of have this way of uh you know taking the most greedy aspects first and then pretending to improve their consumerism sort of their consumer-based thing uh, by eventually but it's like they, we know they're not that behind you know 
It's like I mean, this is the same company that didn't exactly put voice chat in the system itself, and you have to use a phone app for voice chat in their games, even though they still allow third parties to still, if they want to voice chat in the console, they could. I forgot all about that. That is, that is a wonderful point. That's that sad point, actually, though. Mm-hmm. But now let's actually get to, you know, what shows do we have coming up that I think we'll be looking forward to, at least this year, maybe one that's a bit beyond. Okay. And now this is when we talk about the Capcom showcase. Yes, the Capcom. And this is exactly why I mentioned you may want to pay. This is why I mentioned why you may not June have the thir- June 13th, 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. What time is that in Eastern? Six. One second. Six. Ah! And yet ah! it is confirmed that Resident Evil's four remake gameplay will be at the showcase. Ah! <laughs> so this is exactly why I told you, you may not have to wait too long to see Resident Evil 4 gameplay. Hell yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> that's that's exciting that is exciting i i can't wait to see it i hope it's as we want it i hope like i said they both can coexist i hope so you can see here a new live stream digital bed is on the way the capcom showcase has got you covered on the latest news and updates for upcoming Capcom games. Tune in Monday, June 13th at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern for the Capcom Showcase live stream. We'll be diving deeper into details and news on previously announced titles. Keep in mind previously announced titles, so don't come into here expecting many new games in the showcase. Resident Evil 5 Remake. No, sorry. You'll just get Resident Evil 4 Remake instead. Resident Evil 7 Remake. Oh, wait, shit. That's a new game. Fuck. Never mind. Resident Evil Reverse. Wait, no, they could show off Reverse after Resident Evil 4 and uh, PSVR um, stuff. Maybe they could do that because it's still to be announced on Steam as far as I know. Let me look. Yeah, it's... um. Reverse is still planned to release in 2022, so. Imagine buying Resident Evil 3 Remake. I believe this is what I think, if I'm thinking right, and that still hasn't come out yet. I mean. Uh, you see, the thing is, is that all our reverse is is just it's all it is is multiplayer resident evil it's it's like uh it's basically the call of duty war zone of resident evil reverse because it's just a hodge it's it's a super smash bros it's a hodgepodge of all their you know of all the universes and monsters and shit so it's it's nothing it's not canon i guess Right. But I was thinking like, but, but yeah, besides Resident Evil 4 Remake, which I now that you know, that's going to definitely be there. 
show will run about 35 minutes. All right. I'm going to stream it. I'm going to commentate over it. You're probably I can't wait. I, I, I think you'll probably see maybe a Street Fighter 6 reveal. That's possible here. I'm sorry. Maybe something with Exo Primal or Pragmata. Don't even know what the fuck that is, but okay. Exo Primal <laughs> is that dinosaur game that appeared in one of the previous PlayStation sh showcases. Don't care. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> wow, you you really want to show up for a showcase just for Resident Evil 4 Remake. I give you a lot of credit for, and, you know, demo. I want to see... I want to see the merchant. <laughs> I want to know who the merchant is. Will it be Straya? Or will it be Welcome? <laughs> what are you buying? Right. <laughs> what are you selling? Um, stranger, stranger. Now that's a weapon. Meanwhile, going to a completely different thing. Um, We're also what getting a hunting an elephant. Sorry. <laughs> We're also getting a Final Fantasy VII anniversary showcase. Your right hand comes off. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> and right. on June 16th, which is actually Wednesday, there will be a Final Fantasy VII showcase to celebrate anything Final Fantasy VII Remake. Well, not just Final Fantasy VII Remake. You know what I mean? Anything Final Fantasy VII. But people are, could speculate. It, are we going to actually see Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2 in the showcase? What? There's a sequel? Well, believe it or not, Final Fantasy Remake actually split into parts. It's not a full game. It's not the full story of the original game. I know, but... The Wait, so there's like more sequels? How many books are there? Holy crap. Well, the thing is, the original Final Fantasy VII was actually split into three discs for the PS1. Yeah. So you think it could make sense for it to be, you know, three parts? It, right. it could be less, it could be more, who knows? All right. Like, yeah. But it's quite interesting to think that we, if it's it, I mean, this this showcase could actually be legitimately nothing. It just be music and presentate. It's just be music, remembrance. That's it. Mesa Birch, and that's it. Kind like the Sonic Central showcase we just talked about earlier in the in in this episode. But if, it, if you do see Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2 in the showcase, that's a pretty big thing for JRPG fans. Mm -hmm. Including Blue Alpaca. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we no. have to get the oh, co coffers information that E3 will return in 2023, both online and in person. And, oh. and according to a Washington Post interview with ESA president and CEO Stan Pierre-Louis, E3 will see a full return in 2023, both in, online and in person. Okay. And as he mentions here, 
We're excited about coming back in 2023 with both a digital and in-person event. As much as we love the digital events, as much as they reach people who want that global reach, we also know that there's a really strong desire for people to convene, feel to connect in person, and to see each other and talk about what makes games great. And obviously, you know, I have to ask, do you prefer a, a whole th- a layout where you guarantee to know that all these showcases will line up all around the same week? Or do you prefer them being more scattered around? Because E3 acts as like a glue that kind of stuck these showcases all together. Yeah, and I can tell that they almost in a sense competed, but I, I mean, not really in a sense. I By glue them together, I mean they schedule them around the same times. Yeah, and they competed in that sort of time frame for like your attention, I guess, in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but you get an overload of news in one week, and that's it. Or do you like having it be more drip fed and have it be more consistent throughout an entire season? Well, um, logically, I'd want it to be more spread out because it's like. Honestly, sometimes I feel like with a lot of these presentations, I think I already said this before, but sometimes when there are way too like E3 itself is an overload of information at once. Like, like it's like being told this, that, this, that, 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 you you don't have time to really digest it before the next, like, trailer pops up, you know? Like, there are are ad breaks and, you know, but honestly, E3 is kind of becoming a bit of an advertisement space, but no offense. Um, But other than the ads, which, you know, that's okay. But I just feel like I told so many things at once and i you know i felt like e3 has had this problem for a long time is that unless you know now that it's streamed online and stuff you know you don't really have to go there and it's less of a a mystery that's like oh what did you see at e3 i saw uh the wario apparition from super mario 64 <laughs> every copy is personalized shigeru miyamoto shout on the desk himself anyways no. Um, right but here's the thing though it it may may not make much sense for the consumer it makes more sense for the business aspect that's what e3 was first it was a trade show Mm -hmm. for so that developers can intervene and and talk to each other and that actually led to these sort of shows would lead to collaboration such as what happened with mario and rabbits okay so if if a trade so if a so that's what I mean. E3 still has a place. And while it may not make as much sense for the consumer, for us to, like, oh, hey, we just get, we just want the, we just want the, sh- we just want to see the games. Mm-hmm. That's it. For the business side, it's like, hey, we can focus on advertising our games. We get people to try these games out and make sure we get some feedback. It makes much more sense for the developer than it does for the consumer. Uh huh. And I remember, like, you know, when game when e, go to E three was mostly for the press, and and that was about it. Okay. 
it was only fairly recently that it was opened up to the public. And when you, and that happened, the lines were massive. Because you had a lot of people waiting in line to try all these games out. Mm-hmm. So that became a battle of which games we want to go in to play. And this also means that Nintendo may not even have a showcase in June. I mean, obviously, Nintendo always likes to fall E3. So if you have an E3, you're guaranteed no Nintendo is going to be there. So we're shipping it a little bit over to Nintendo because I know that Nintendo likes to, from what we've seen in the past, like when it came to E3 in like 2021, I believe it was, they would be just there. No questions asked. 2020 when E3 was not there, they worked, theirs were like pushed all the way back to like July or August. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously with Nintendo Directs being a fairly frequent thing for it on Nintendo side, usually around like once every quarter or so, it kind of puts Nintendo fans at like a, I guess you could say, a bit of impatience mm-hmm. to know what's coming up next. I think that's what a lot of, I think partially myself is like, what's Nintendo going to do next? Are we going to see Metroid Prime 4? Are we going to see all these wicked games that Nintendo's has in the pipeline? Bandana Thor even. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the thing about E3 is I feel that is still important Maybe not to the consumer side, but definitely for developers. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel is important. Okay. All right. And now we can get going with the next topic, which is the whole situation with the PlayStation Plus service. Now, for those of us who remember, the PlayStation Plus, new PlayStation Plus, was... But we had PlayStation Plus, and then it got merged with what used to be PlayStation Now. And now the two services are coming together. And as we can see here. So back in May, we got a hint at some of the games that will be coming on here in the service. For those of you who, you know, are now using PlayStation Plus now, there are three different tiers. Essential, Extra, and Premium. Deluxe if you're in other regions. Essential is just what PlayStation Plus is. We use just play on PlayStation Plus. You know, just expand. You know, just all that. Just pl- you get your games. You know, you get your PlayStation Plus monthly games. And then you get online play, pretty much. Extra essentially gives you a catalog of PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 games you can download. And just all the same tiers, things you get in Essential. And then premium gives you an access to a retro library and allows you to stream all the games in the extra tier, pretty much. And so essential, it just pushes what used PlayStation Plus used to be. We don't need to worry about this. It's more so about PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 games, and then the, the legacy game we need to worry about. Now... For the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 game catalog, this is the what you get from Extra and Premium. And they kind of split this up in the categories, usually. 
with the PlayStation Studios games and the PlayStation and then like the third party games. So for the first party games, we got here Alienation, Bloodborne, Concrete Genie, Days Gone, Dead Nation Apocalypse Edition, Death Stranding and Death Stranding Director's Cut. Demon Souls, Destruction All-Stars, Everybody's Golf, Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut, God of War, Gravity Rush 2, Gravity Rush Remastered, Horizon Zero Dawn, Infamous First Light, Infamous Second Sun, Knack, Little Big Planet 3, Local Roco Remastered, Local Roco 2 Remastered, Marvel Spider-Man, Marvel Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Now keep in mind, you are not getting the PlayStation 5 version of Spider-Man, which is the remastered version. You're only getting the original Marvel Spider-Man. Why that's the case, I am not sure, but I guess we just have to go with it. Matterfall, Medieval, Patapod Remastered, Patapon 2 Remastered, Rezogun, by the way, Rezogun's awesome, go play that. Returnal, Shadow of the Colossus, Tearaway Unfolded, The Last Guardian, The Last of Us Remastered, The Last of Us Left Behind, Until Dawn, Uncharted, The Nathan Drake Collection, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, and wipe out Omega Collection. I would say this is a fairly solid first party lineup for these PS4 and PS5 games. Some of which are fairly recent, such as Death Stranding and Returnal. Mm -hmm. If I had to be honest, um, like this is kind of all I these are the games I think about when I think of like PlayStation. So, right, I think like yeah this is definitely a, a good uh this is a good selection of uh first party titles all right if, if we're talking about like games that you know came out fairly recently that also aren't on this clip the list i'm surprised that like something like sack poise a big adventure is not on the list and ratchet click ripped apart art on this list if we're going to do yeah PS5, yeah if you're talking about ps5 games i'm surprised at least Either of those two are not on this list. That's a good point. Those stuff, those definitely aren't uh, on this list, at least. Right. And then you get to the third party partners. We got Ashen, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Batman Arkham Knight, Celeste, City Skylines, Control Ultimate Edition, Dead Cells. Far Cry 3 Master, Far Cry 4, which is Flupo Paca's favorite Far Cry game. Final Fantasy, <laughs> Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition, For Honor, Hollow Knight, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, Mortal Kombat 11, Naruto Shippuden, Ultimate Ninja Storm 4. I think that's also one of Alpaca's favorite games on this list. NBA 2K20. <laughs> Outer Wilds, Red Dead Redemption 2, Resident Evil, Soul Calibur 6, South Park, The Fractured Butthole, The Artful Escape, The Crew 2, and Tom Clancy's The Division. Now, we will be talking about more about the Ubisoft games in, in just a moment, but I do think, again, this is a fairly solid selection for third-party games. <laughs> I mean, I mean, especially with Far Cry 4 on it, then you know Alpaca is going to be very happy. 
By the way, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, uh, you can uh, get Far Cry 4 for free uh, right now this month. Also, screw you, Hydro. I, you know, you, 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 you have to mention that all the time. <laughs> Even though I don't find the game. <laughs> but still. Right. And then we get to the classic games catalog. And now this is what you get only if you're in the premium tier. So, yeah. So for PlayStation Studios, you get Ape Escape, Hot Shots Golf, IQ Intelligent Cube, Jump and Flash, Siphon Filter, Super Stardust Portable. And for third party, you get Mr. Driller, Tekken 2, Worms World Party, and Worms Armageddon. And the two Worms games were from a time before you know their publisher thought it was a good idea to turn them into NFTs, which thankfully did not happen. Uh, wait, what? Oh, yes, the worms NFTs. No, well, I, I hope they don't have like a slight update that's like, by the way, do you want to see these in as NFTs? Hey. Right, but I mean, these games were made before that happened, and thankfully, they backed out of that NFT thing. So, yep. Yep. Oh, also Housemark. It's in the PlayStation Studios now. Yeah, because that's cool. Yeah, because Sony bought them off, so that's why they're in this. Oh yeah. As for the remaster, so there are some PS2 games that got remastered for the PS4 back, you know, when that happened. And so some of these games are actually these PS2 games that got, you know, just touched up a bit. For the PS4, these will be included. And these include Ape Escape 2, Ark the Land, Twilight of the Spirits, Dark Cloud. By the way, play that game. I that I have such huge nostalgia for that game. Dark Cloud 2, Fantavision, Hot Shots Tennis, Jack 2, Jack 3, Jack X Combat Racing, Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy, Rogue Galaxy, Siren, and Well Arms 3. As for third-party partners, this includes Bioshock Remastered, Borderlands The Handsome Collection, Bullet Storm Full Clip Edition, Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, which, by the way, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, awesome game. Please make sure to check that out. And Lego Harry Potter Collection. Also, another thing to note that is not included in here, for the original PlayStation PSP games, Resident Evil Director's Cut is also included in this. Okay. So have fun with that one. And now for the PS3 game, which unfortunately are streaming only. So, yeah, have fun streaming these. And these include, for PlayStation Studios at least, Crash Commando, Demon Souls. Now, keep in mind, this is the original Demon Souls, not the remake that's on PS5, which also is part of the service. Echo Crow, Hot Shots Golf, Out of Bounds, Hot Shots Golf, World Invitational, Eco, Infamous, Infamous 2, Infamous Festival of Blood, Loco Roco Coco Reco, Motorstorm Apocalypse, Motorstorm RC, Puppeteer, Rain, Ratchet Clank, A Quest for Booty, Ratchet Clank, A Crack of Time, Ratchet Clank, Into the Nexus, Resistance 3, Super Stardust HD, Tokyo Jungle, and When Vikings Attack. <laughs> 
As for third-party partners, this includes Asura's Wrath, Castlevania, Lord of Shadow 2, Devil May Cry HD Collection, Enslave Odyssey to the West, Fear, Lost Planet 2, Ninja Gaiden Sigma 2, and Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare. Also, too, these will include things such as, you know, some timely game trials such as Uncharted Legacy of Thieves Collection and Horizon Forbidden West, as well as third-party partner trials, including the legendary, the myth, the legend, Cyberpunk 2077. Just to make sure it runs properly. (laughs) At 30. 30 FPS. Farming Simulator 22, Tiny Tia's Wonderland, and WWE 2K2022. And they will also be adding games in the essential tier every month on the first Tuesday. And then in the middle of each month, there will be more games for the PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium tiers. All right. So based on what we've seen, based off this snapshot here, I mean, obviously this isn't the full library. I mean... I mean, if you want to find the full library, it's out there. I mean, at the time of this recording, it's, again, out in North America. So, by all means, feel free to look that up. We will not be covering that in this episode. But what are your thoughts on this library overall for what you've seen? Um, so I think for um, starting from the very top, at least, uh, the PlayStation 4 and 5 uh, catalog, like I said, it's solid, except for the lack, like you mentioned, Ratchet and Clank. And uh, there's another one that you mentioned that uh, I wouldn't say is really necessary, if I remember. No, it's just a minor game. Oh, Sackboy is a big adventure. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Um, third party um, looks like a fine list of games um now the classic ones um a little bit small to be honest a little bit small uh of a list but right uh, i would definitely again yeah i would recommend just waiting on on that one to see if sony will actually expand this significantly of course um, the fact that they have to stream the PlayStation 3 games. Now, I know that the PlayStation 3, we, we talked about this before, is how it's like, it's very much the the architecture of the PlayStation 3 was horrible. Like, it was spaghetti code, basically. Um, yeah, because the, the architecture that's in the PS3, which is the cell architecture made by IBM, it was a very complex CPU. It was actually very difficult to program for. In fact, certain third-party games, such as like Skyrim, for instance, ran worse on the PS3 than the Xbox 360 simply because the processor on it was just that was that complex. A game that actually able to probably take advantage of this processor, which were like the first-party studios, the game actually worked absolutely stunning. But if a developer didn't know how to properly program for it, it ran worse on the 360. <laughs> I see. See, um, Far Cry 3, um, I, my experience with it on the PlayStation 3 was absolute bonkers. Like, it would run, like, re- it would, like, you, if you think Cyberpunk is an embarrassment on the PlayStation 4, Far Cry 3 was the Cyberpunk 2077 of the previous PlayStation 3 generation, you know, seven generation consoles. Like, <laughs> I swear. Um, so I, I, you know, 
looking at this, I hope that, uh, I hope whatever they're using to emulate the, you know, streaming software, like, the, not, not streaming, the actual game, I mean, sorry. Um, I mean, I hope it could improve on, you know, because uh, these games, like, they only include, like, Asura's Wrath and, you know, Devil May Cry, which I guess they ran fine. I'm not too sure. Uh, it's it, one, one thing that's interesting is they include Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmare, but they don't mention the original, which I, I don't know if that's the, just because it's not the full catalog. But, I mean, more on that in, you know, in like yeah. a little bit, but. Yeah, also, um, too, another thing that I found to be very interesting and a little bizarre is the is a certain studio on here that got shut down a few months before we started this podcast series. And in the first party lineup, it was prevalent. And that studio is Japan Studio. If you go up and down the entire list there, you will see a lot of Japan studio games. And yet they've practically been shut down and, and some of the staff got absorbed into Team Asobi. The PlayStation Japan studio. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. And... Like, take a look at how many games Japan Studios had on this list. It's a lot, and in some ways, it just feels like they're taking advantage of legacy from what they made. When the studio but itself, the thing, the thing is, is that they're rooted in Japan. Yeah. I mean, I know that they're trying to move away from like that sort of spotlight you know like they switched the playstation 5 like the controller you know across and circle is swapped mm -hmm. for like the playstation 4 and 3 but it's not it's not now you know mm -hmm. for the playstation 5 yep but now okay. the one that i made i made that aware for alpaca is just the fact that yeah they've been doing all these weird moves kind of diverse like, split themselves away from japan I see. So it's a whole weird thing. And yeah, like I said, I just feel like it's just them taking advantage of an old legacy that they don't seem to have any plans of, you know, bringing some of these franchises back to the forefront again. Like those who want to have, you know, like say a Gravity Rush 3 or a Knack 3 even. Or many of these other games like another patapon game as far as i can tell like as long as this is as long as japan 2 is not there or team Isobi does not have any plans of you know making more of these games those franchises are likely never going to come back again mm. so it's a bit of a, a you know a shame that that happened but <sighs> Whatever, I guess.
But I just, I kind of <laughs> wish that, you know, they kind of, because that's the only problem with Sony's lineup nowadays is that, have you noticed how a lot of PlayStation's lineup has larger than these larger, more massive games? Yeah, third, third person cinematic, you know, uh, sort of survival shooter sort of, you know, concept or um, most of them have just been third person cinematic games you know god of war uh, the last of us you know uh ratchet and clank i mean then again all of the, all these other you know all these games have their own sort of identity attached to them but uh like if talking i know about- how you, you're a yeah i guess I-, I know how you're a bit critical of like ubisoft for how similar the gameplay is for them for all their games and i i I know you've mentioned before that you're afraid that PlayStation is kind of going down the same route where it's not the same exact game, but the gameplay is too similar between every franchise that it loses its identity. Exactly. That's why I feel like it's going to happen because Japan Studio at least would break up because they had like those medium, small to medium sized games. And with, you know, with that studio gone, I mean, don't get me wrong. TF Team Asobi, which does like Astro's Playrooms and like those sort of games, and those are like relatively small scale games. But most of their first party games, otherwise, are these larger games that, in many ways, seem very similar to each other. Mm-hmm. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. But let's take a quick deep dive to Ubisoft because. As we mentioned earlier in this show, um, we got a word on something with Ubisoft, and that the fact that there's going to be this Ubisoft Classics thing they're going to be doing for their games on PlayStation. So this is from Ubisoft themselves, and so pretty much mm-hmm. Ubisoft Plus is going to have, you know, some games coming on the PlayStation and it'll be available on Xbox as well. However, they're going to do a thing unique to PlayStation called Ubisoft Plus Classics, which will be bundled in with the PlayStation Plus, at least for the premium and extra tier from what I can tell. And you're going to get a collection of Ubisoft games that you can just play right on the console. And these include okay. and these include Assassin's Creed Valhalla, For Honor, The Crew 2, Child of Light, Eagle Flight, Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon, Far Cry 3 Remastered, Far Cry 4, again, that is Flufopaka's favorite Far Cry game, Legendary Fishing, Risk Urban Assault, South Park the Fractured Butthole, South Park the Stick of Truth, Space Junkies, Star Trek Bridge Crew, Starlink Battle for Atlas, which, by the way, I don't know why you'd want to play this on PlayStation, because if you can have your hands on the Switch version, you get Star Fox, and apparently that's like the best version of the game, because you're missing out the Star Fox content. You get Steep, The Crew, Division, Trackmania Turbo, Transference, Trials Fusion, Trials of the Blood Dragon, Trials Rising, Valiant Heart, The Great War, Watch Dogs, Worlds Within, and Zombie. Again, with Zombie, that game is definitely the best of the Wii U because you had the gamepad integration that made it so unique. 
<laughs> and I wasn't that big of a horror guy, but I remember getting zombies simply you simply because of the fact that I needed something cool to show the Wii U, I just to experience what the game pack could offer, and Zombie You was one of the games I bought for it specifically because of that. And I still have my copy of Zombie You, by the way. I still have my copy. It is. Yeah, I. I... I've been thinking about pick, picking up it on the on Steam, but the gamepad also is it's you know when Zombie U like the Zombie U version. I I do remember that was like one of the more intriguing parts of uh, you know above the game was that you could just have a uh, you know with the gamepad on you know as you're playing with it you could you know use it for your inventory and it was uh like you said very unique uh yeah i mean um, I, if, if you can like i'd even recommend trying to snag the game snag the wii u version up before the eShop shuts down i you see the thing is is though is like I don't know. I, I don't really have anything to. I don't have anything to offer the, the Wii U anymore. It's kind of just collecting dust at this point. I only have it for the. It's basically a trophy at this point. Even still, just to at least have the game, so you can go back to it if you need to. I would just still recommend just snagging it up at some point. If you go to like a retro gaming store, mm. just snag snag a copy of that game up before it rises in price. I guess so. But so for those who want to experience like the best, well, probably one of the better game, one of the good, a good launch game on the Wii U, definitely check out Zombie. Like it's a, it's. I would think, I still think in some ways. I mean, I think the Wii U version holds up the best because again, it's the most unique. But if you need a way to play, if you don't have a way to get a Wii U, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But, but I mean, having this benefit for PlayStation is pretty good, though, to have a lot good chunk of these Ubisoft games for PlayStation. I mean, personally, I don't think this matches what Microsoft did with EA, which they put the whole EA Play service right on the Game Pass for Ultimate users. That was utterly fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't have to worry about buying an EA game anymore. Cause I just, for the most part, because I just have it on. Game Pass Ultimate. Oh, yeah. You don't have to worry about giving too much money to, uh, you know, to EA as well. Unless you're you're someone like me and want to buy a certain game as like an ongoing gag. Wow. 2042. Which I remember. This is where. <laughs> yeah. That that game. I I don't know how to feel. I still remember throwing that game across my entire room <laughs> and just make it out to a point where the case doesn't even properly close anymore. The gate, the disc is fine, but the case is not. <laughs> well, luckily you now have a cup holder that doesn't even fucking work so now it's just paperweight right <laughs> actually use the cd as a or use the uh dvd as a uh, cup holder 
you'll get more mileage out of it than the actual online service of the game. <laughs> All right. <sighs> but also we have. But now we can get to the story within some of these retro games. And the first with the start with the PlayStation 3 games that you have to stream. And unfortunately, if you bought any DLC oh. for these streaming games, guess what? You can't do the DLC. And this is because according to BGC, Sony has explained that while PS4 titles... Wonderful. Yeah, because while PS4 titles can be downloaded as well as streamed, thus supporting DLC, PS3 games are currently only available to be streamed, meaning any downloadable content will be available for players. And this also includes some some ending some games such as Asura's Wrath, which has its ending behind DLC, and then Crash Commando, Castlevania Lord Shadow Two, Lost Planet Two, Resistance Three, all have DLC that you cannot play with the streaming service. So that's got to be fun. Also, too, so now we're going to look at Southeast Asia for a little bit. Because. Because Southeast Asia had an interesting rough patch. So during the time when PS Plus. You can no longer. Oh, go ahead. Or we're going to say alpaca. All right, whatever. Um, anyways, so on the retro gaming side, we have we get to move on to the classics and there's interesting story of the classics. So at first hand, what happened with people thought that the classics were not going to be the best because Southeast Asia got their got the PlayStation Plus service first. And people who have tried the service mentioned how they were using the 50 hertz power burns instead of NTSC. However, no. Yeah, I know it's it's freaking horrible, right? If you watch the video, even you could see the difference. <laughs> that's that's depressing. It is very depressing. However, we live in an age where PAL is still an issue. Mm-hmm. Damn you, Europe. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> However, upon hearing about this, well, Sony's PS Plus Classics got a fix. And so at the time, what happened that play, play, the rebranded PlayStation Plus arrived in you know, Southeast Asia. And as we could see, they issued a patch on May 27th. And and spotted by Twitter user Wendy Corner TV, the patch upscaled the PAL games to 60 hertz through frame blending, a process that duplicates frames to achieve the desired output speed. 
It's a crude method, one that's created a ghosting effect in Jumping Flash, Everybody's Gulp, and Karushi. Yep. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, so... What, what is this shit? Why does it look like I got shell-shocked by a fucking... <laughs> What the fuck? That is terrible. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, like I feel I'm bad. looking at the screenshots and it, it looks like an earthquake is happening. <laughs> what the Yeah. Not a good day to be a fan. Stupid. It is, yeah. I mean I feel bad for everybody in Southeast Asia that had to deal with this because Ugh. <laughs> and there's a specific reason why I was mentioning Southeast Asia. I, I mean, I can understand. Yeah. Why is that? Because we got confirmation also that later on, Japan got 60 Hertz classics. <laughs> And their push version of PlayStation Plus also includes games. Such oh. as, they also included several Resident Evil games. And even Bethesda titles such as Elder Scrolls 4, Fallout 4, Doom, and Wolfenstein. So Todd Howard blessed the Japanese version of PlayStation Plus. I used to be a part of the chess club. <laughs> And now I'm coding games that don't blend their frames. Okay, that rhymed. <laughs> that that's a that's a hint to release Skyrim another another fiftieth hundredth time. Then again, by let's me. do it. Then again, I'm by gonna me. release Skyrim inside of Starfield. <laughs> then again, I'm the same person that pay that's paying for Game Pass Ultimate. So technically, I'm paying monthly. I'm paying. The Bethesda Studios monthly for Skyrim. <laughs> Inside <Yeah>. your wave. <laughs> I'm giving a personal shout out to Godcast because you're doing that for me. <laughs> also for that, I'm going to. I'm gonna include a, a vinyl sticker for for your uh, for, for one of the ships in Starfield, the Godcast logo. It's gonna be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, also too in Japan. I mean, look at the article here. You can see that Japan got. I think. Yeah. So while Japan expected for around 400 PS4, PS5 game Japan, they got around 300. So, but again, minor issue aside, I mean, it's good to see that Japan got 60 hertz games. Who's laughing now, Japan? <laughs> but what about North America, you ask? Because we had to provide an update on this because, oh my God. We got something miraculous for America. Ladies and gentlemen, as spotted by Modern Vintage Gamer, confirmed to be 60 hertz NTSC region games in North America. 
We did it, boys. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> it was Thank a- goodness. Now we don't have to worry about playing Ape Escape at 50 frames per second. <laughs> but I still feel bad for all my South With East. random flame... Frame blending, ra- yeah. Random frame blending in between. Exactly, yeah. I, I feel bad for all of my, you know, you know, all my Southeastern friends or anyone from that region that's watching the video. But... Yeah, screw you, Florida. Oh, wait, wait, what? Sorry. <laughs> Unfortunately, Florida is part of the United States and they are getting the NTSC games. But are any viewer that comes from the Philippines or Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia, you guys are getting 50 frame per second games that happen to have been upscaled to 60 hertz and they're getting frame blending. And I feel so sorry for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, looking like you got hit by a concussion grenade. Think fast, chuckle nuts. And then instead of being able to react properly, they just get exploded. I feel so bad for you guys. But at least North America, we got our 60 hertz. A lot of North American people that were complaining about that got their got their wish. Maybe at some point I should probably think about trying the service out myself and just seeing how everything is. And maybe I can watch as I, you know, see these games. The PlayStation 3 games, at least, at like 10 frames per second from streaming and to constant disconnecting. It'd be so much fun. Sorry. <laughs> But in other news, we have some news regarding some acquisition stuff and nothing major, at least. But we just figured it was worth mentioning. At least one of them actually was pretty major because it was a closure of an acquisition. But there's a, but we're going to take a look at this report here from Kotaku, which mentioned how EA was actually looking to sell or merge. And this came because apparently. According to a report by Puck, there was. EA pursued a merger with NBC Universal and actually also held potential acquisition talks with Disney, Apple, and other companies. But apparently, they don't seem to give up. And there's a little thing on blurb here says, in recent years, as media companies have taken greater interest in the rapidly growing gaming industry, Wilson Electronic Arts have held talks with a number of different potential suitors, including Disney, Apple, and Amazon. Sources with knowledge of those talks told me. Hmm. Several sources familiar with these talks say EA has persisted in pursuing a sale and it's only grown more emboldened in the wake of the Microsoft Activision deal. Others say that EA is probably interested in a merger arrangement that will allow Wilson to remain as chief executive of the combined company. But apparently a deal with NBC Universal that got the well, the one that got the first along. And they apparently mentioned Accord to Buyers Comcast CEO Brian Roberts looking to spin off the entertainment conglomerate into a separate entity with EA, with one version of the deal leaving current EA CEO 
Andrew Wilson in charge of the new mega business. And due to price, they negotiations that fell through. But if you look at the dialogue here, like you can see how John Reisberg told Kotaku that they don't common rumor speculation relating to mergers and acquisitions, and they are proud to be operating from a position of strength and growth with a portfolio of amazing games built around powerful IP made by incredibly talented teams and a network of more than half a billion players. And yeah, so... I mean, just to think about, like... Now, I'm only eager as to what sort of Battlefield 2042 move that could have came out of this deal if the NBC part went through, because I feel that would have been horrible. <laughs> Um, I mean, imagine, imagine they like, I don't know, choreographed like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Cause like, yeah. it, it doesn't, I, I don't know about too much about NBC universal. All I know is that they're just like a media sort of like thing. <laughs> so yeah. it's like EA NBC Universal like what are they it, 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 like the only way I could see it is if they like I don't know they, they use it as like a like a history channel sort of thing remember the history channel sort of games <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, that could have been possible too. Sounds stupid, but I know I was just making a joke about Battlefield. Because it might, yeah, I was making a joke about Battlefield twenty four two. Because I feel like if they made the movie, it would have just been a buggy mess. That would have made for the most authentic experience. Also, imagine if imagine a Disney um, Battlefield game. Wait, that's Battlefront. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I mean hey if Ubisoft and EA merged like I can only imagine how terrible the courts business would be at that point at, at that point it would be banned in seven countries right. and one continent of course <laughs> and a few random providences Right. Courts would be too prominent. <laughs> Courts would be too prominent. It'd be ridiculous. The backing about EA and Ubisoft. Be nuts. They'd probably sell Far Cry NFTs based on the game board version. <laughs> uh, words would not be could not be described any good and cannot make that any worse. I mean, unless they decided to I mean, what if they sold Far Cry 4 NFTs? Then what would you do, Alpaca? I swear to fucking God, I would... I would just die. I don't know. But imagine a fucking NFT of a 3D model of, like, Pagan Min or Sabal or AJ or somebody. Mm. That would just... I, or an NFT of one of the... Uh, the Tarun Matara sort of like like the goddess paintings in the game that would just be like fucking terrible right I, I would <laughs> I would uh, 
I would make a a scream worse than that. <laughs> uh, good job, baby. I would Blinks. boycott. I would boycott Ubisoft more than I already have, and not even buy the next like Ubisoft game. Wow. The emotional attachment to Far Cry Four. For Far Cry. The emotional attachment for Far Cry for for alpaca is so strong that if anything deteriorates his value he would just halt the company in which he could buy the rights for the entire franchise i you know it, i wouldn't i'd probably pull a disney except i'd actually treat the franchise with the respect it deserves <laughs> right <laughs> I'd, I'd buy the rights and then retcon everything to the point where it actually makes sense of course but honestly, I mean, I'm kind of thankful in some ways that EA did not sell to, you know, NBC Universal or Disney or Apple because who knows what the hell what in the world those companies could get away with. I, you know, if if EA was stuck with Apple and made it exclusive to iOS or Mac devices, I wouldn't complain because I wouldn't have a way to you know, run into EA games anymore. That'd be fine by me. <laughs> hey, I mean, that'll just only bolster app. They'll just give, I mean, what could potentially happen though with that is the fact that they could use EA as a way to make it like a first party studio. And then actually yeah. and make a console. The Apple Mac console. The Apple Pippin 2. Oh my god, I fucking forgot about the Pippin. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, do you remember the one time when Square Enix and e EA were actually the same company? There was a time that actually no. happened. <laughs> You remember the time that Nintendo and Sony were the same company and wanted to make their own console together? Well, they did it. Well, Sony and Nintendo weren't, you know, weren't like, technically part of the same company. They just had an agreement that they that you know Sony would make a soundtrack for the for the SNES. So all the soundtracks, every SNES were Sony soundtracks. But however, they were oh, making. Okay, well. However, the two of them were in talks about, you know, a CD add-on. The CD add-on would make it so that during the making of the CD add-on, Nintendo saw the agreement and realized, wait, Sony's going to take all, make all the money from the CD games. So Nintendo would not have any cut in the CD games. Which prompted them, which then prompted Nintendo to partner with Philips. And we all know what system, what sort of games came out of that. Gee, it sure is boring around here. <laughs> yeah. If only I had enough rubies to buy some bombs, rope, lamp oil. You got it. <laughs> yes, the CDI games. That's what we're talking about. And... After that, that that would eventually lead to Sony taking what the work they've done for the CD add-on and turning that into an, its own console, hence the PlayStation. 
So if you're partially ever wondering, yeah, so if you ever wondered why the PlayStation controller has like almost similar buttons to a Super Nintendo controller, but at the same time trying to look like it also wanted to be as different as possible, that's your reason. I see. Cherry's going around here. Sorry. I mean, hey, we could also talk about too in this acquisition segment how Take Two had fully acquired Zynga and they're now part of the same company. Which means that Take Two owns Farmville. Oh. Congratulations, Take Two. You now own Farmville. That's. So you can see in this article here that Take Two, the publisher behind, you know, Grand Theft Auto XCOM NBA 2K, has officially acquired Mobile Juggernaut Zynga. And according to the PC Gamer, the proposals were approved last th- at the, you know, a previous Thursday from the time of the article. And this this cost to Take Two $12.7 billion. And obviously, take Zynga is home for Farmville CSR Racing 2. And this is what CEO Strauss Zelnick had to say about the deal. We are thrilled to complete our combination with Zynga, which is a pivotal step to increase exponentially our net bookings from mobile, the fastest growing segment in interactive entertainment, while also providing us with substantial cost energies and revenue opportunities. As we bring together our exceptional talent, exciting pipelines of games and industry-leading technologies and capabilities, we believe that we could take our portfolio to another level of creativity, innovation, and quality. Zynga C- CEO Frank Gibu responded in kind. We're excited for Zynga's next generation mobile platform for you to play expertise, diverse offering of games, an incredible team to join the Take Two family. We're eager to continue building an unparalleled portfolio of games that will reach broader markets and lead to continued growth for this next chapter of Zynga's history. I am sure, Zynga, because I'm sure you'd want to build a 4K farm bill that'd be available on Xbox Series X, PS5, and PC. And overcook the Switch, maybe. I am terrified to imagine that. (laughs) Fucking 4K farming on on Farmville. Use your Facebook coins or <laughs> I don't know, whatever they're called, meta coins or Zynga coins. I don't know. Hey, maybe they can take two can leverage. They, maybe take two can make their own version of courts and use that for these games. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, farm Bitcoin instead of, uh, you know, actual uh, vegetables and stuff. That'd be wonderful. Right. But I'm also sure that, I mean, we've heard rumors for a bit, at least from what I've been able to gather that, you know, Take Two may want to work on a mobile midnight club. So now we have the studio that would make, C- you know, CSR Racing potentially work on midnight club. That could make sense. One thing that's a bit startling, though, is that this is the second biggest deal in games history, and yet 
I don't really know what Zynga is really known for, except for Farmville. Well, the crazy thing about this, too, the fact that the biggest acquisition in gaming is like seven times, almost seven times bigger. Oh. Actually, in that case, 12, 24, yeah, 13, 26, 39, 52, 65, about six times bigger. Think about that. All right, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just like, that's still a lot of money, though. <laughs> It is a lot of money. And take two, now owning Zynga, who knows what could happen? Like, what if after this, like, say, like, another conservative president that is more, you know, capitalistic, is not wanting to crack down on these acquisitions, is more laissez-faire, and they're like, okay, take two. If this bowl thing you have going makes you a crap ton of money, what if they're the ones that want to buy up EA? And then we live in a world with Battlefield and Grand Theft Auto are part of the same company. Now, granted, this is a, a very out of the way, unrealistic prediction that could happen because I cause EA, is, I believe, is a bigger company to take to. But still. <laughs> um, at that point, uh I think uh, we would have. Uh, I don't know. I think we would have um, a, a big problem uh, because Take Two is pretty greedy. So is EA, and uh, I'm just imagining. Uh, you know, I'm just imagining Battlefield or like. You know how big of a flop 2042 was, and you know how Red Dead Online is going through like hell trying to actually provide any good, meaningful content, and GCA Online is the cash cow. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it really is a scary time to live in. It really is. It. I mean, yeah, just to think, I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of these acquisitions are kind of scary to think about, like how big some of these can be, let alone the fact. I mean, granted, we only care about the Microsoft Activision one because we just want to get Bobby Kotick out of there. Anyway, to get that man out of there, I mean, we just want him out of that company. Oh, yes. But. I mean, Microsoft also needed some first-party studios. So, and that, I mean, after Bethesda, I mean, Call of Duty. Yeah, sorry. I mean, Call of Duty is still going to be available on multiple platforms if the acquisition goes through. So, it's still going to be available on PlayStation at the acquisition until completes. But still, we just want Bobby Kotick out of there. And hopefully these yeah. companies can, yeah. you know, make games that aren't just being part of a Call of Duty mill. Yeah, and 
hopefully make games that are meaningful, not just like you said, the Call of Duty mill, but also like something that holds weight, something that isn't just uh, literally made to be uh, to be manufactured almost they they feel manufactured they don't feel uh like they have any heart to them for and also overworking the developers yeah i mean for i swear like i, I swear mean, like they're trying to make treyarch look bad oh, sorry yeah i was gonna say for example because of this righteous opinion i have these god rays around me <laughs> The rays of God Howard. It was, it was God Howard. <laughs> I'm gonna try to take it, move it a little bit away from the light. A little bit better. But whatever. I, I remember at one point, um I remember at one point I started so fucking heavily. And then all of a sudden it just immediately stopped. And then it started pouring in with the sunshine. It was like <laughs> I, and I, I think, I think, um, one of my family members was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like it was so stupidly intense. Like they were like, "What the fuck?" It was just raining. <laughs> all right. Oh man, all the crazy things that happen sometimes. It, it's nuts. I mean, here at Godcast, we have the weirdest hiccups that happen from audio issues to sun rays wanting to shine upon the, you know, my existence. <laughs> to alpacas that want to marry to the woods. rise and fall of Slender Man. <laughs> yep. You fucker. <laughs> <laughs> to the AC's you know the acs that uh you know go off like you know like this uh ac in the background holy <laughs> crap hey we're back we're going back to our roots on skype hey no not really yeah we both literally <laughs> yeah we've both been enjoying using discord for this exact purpose without a doubt but now we get to move on to some EA news. I know. I thought we were done with EA. Now there's more EA stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, we just talked about EA. Actually, this is good. Yeah. So we got one pretty cool announcement and the other one that's leads to some speculation on the next game of a certain franchise. The first of which is we're going to talk about John Madden returned to the cover of Madden 23. And you could see right from the all Madden edition, like how they decked it out with like him just running out of the page saying, thanks coach. Like they really tried to make this like an homage to John Madden himself. Certainly. And, and this is a younger photo of him, right? Yeah. I, I like it. Looks fine. Yeah, I think it's a this is a pretty good tribute for a cover. Mm -hmm. So as we can see here from this press release that was released on June first, 
It was Madden Day, a special day that commemorates the very first launch of Madden football on June 1st, 1988. And then as you can see here, they they made it so that Electronics Arts is celebrating in many ways with a new cover, an update on the $5 million John Madden Legacy Commit to Education, and with a dedication of a renovated field, all in Coach Madden's honor. So you can see here, you know, they have very different covers. I mean, you can scroll down here. They have different covers depending on what edition you're going for. Like you can see through the different pages here. There's like three different covers you get to go with. Obviously, Madden 23, it's a more older. It shows him older. But then once you get down to like the first page, it gets to a younger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and yeah, and like each one obviously pays tribute, which is good. So that's nice. <laughs> also, there's a celebrating coach in game. This is including things such as, you know, with man gives him history and everything. And also, the unforgettable voice of Coach Madden returns during the the game in remastered audio clips that call back to his legendary date as a broadcaster. So I guess when you play the game, you're actually going to be hearing his voice throughout the game. So that'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> and also, too, they're going to be doing this commitment to education thing where Electronic Arts will commit $2.5 million of the John Madden Legacy Commitment to Education to support programming over the next five years for the following four nonprofit organizations focused on science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And they also, these include College Track, Mission Bit, Street Code Academy, and Girls Who Code. And they said that the remaining $2.5 million of the John Madden Legacy Commitment to Education will go toward the creation of a EA Madden Scholarship in partnership with the UNCF, which will support students at 12 historically black colleges and universities to graduate college prepare for the next step of their career. So pretty much half of it's going towards you know, STEM you know, organizations, and the other half is going towards supporting black colleges and universities across the country. So this is a pretty good way of doing, I would say it's a really cool way of seeing this, of using this commitment. Oh yes, yeah, certainly. I, um, I like the fact that, um, as a tribute to the Madden name, they are, you know, um, committing support to, uh, you know, for, like you said, STEM and, uh, colleges you know and universities uh i i think that's a you know it's a good outlook you know um i just would hope that you know with this that it like i, I do like that they are you know giving two and a half million um however i you know i sometimes i wonder when it comes to this stuff is it out of are they using John Madden, uh, you know, for publicity or is it like, you know, is it an actual heartfelt tribute? Sometimes it's hard to tell when it comes to like a faceless entity like PA and stuff. Right. In this sort of situation, like either way, this is still a good deed regardless. Even the amount is small, like 
a good chunk of money to help with everybody is still always a good thing to see. And it's always good to acknowledge the good deeds of any of these companies, be it, you know, if it's a publicity stunt or if it's genuine heart. Mm-hmm. So I think it's well, this- for me more so, you know, genuine, gen- like uh, being for genuinely, you know. Right. Also, too, they mentioned how the EA Tiburon studio in Orlando, the flagship studio of Mad NFL, recently unveiled a permanent commemorative mural in Coach Otters created by local Orlando artist Andrew Spear at the new studio in downtown Orlando's Creative Village. So you can see they renovated their entire field. So I guess it's like one of EA's major sports studios. And there's going to be a permanent Madden football field right there. Which, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I think that's pretty cool. We'll come back to this shortly because now we can talk about the next entry in the Dragon Age series, which got named, and it's known as Dragon Age Dreadwolf. And the reason they're going with this is because it's more so related with the antagonist of the game. They say he could be an ancient god or a betrayer of his pizza or people or a savior who now seeks to rescue them at a cost of the world and that his motives are inscrutable and his methods sometimes questionable earning a reputation as something of a trickster deity a player of dark and dangerous games which I think is a pretty cool title mm-hmm. I just want to see what the gameplay of this game is going to be like and how cool it is like I still have to beat Dragon Age 3 though Maybe at some point I'll have to go back and go through all the Dragon Age games. That'd be a fun one. Unfortunately, I'm not too versed in the Dragon Age uh, series, but I mean, I can only uh, I can only hope that it's you know uh, good for the consumer type game, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it typically is, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, overall, the EA news is especially good. I mean, especially if we go back to the John Madden stuff. I mean, that was really good news. Certainly. And what... Yeah, I'd hope it's fun and worth uh, experiencing. It's pretty much all I have. Of course, of course. I mean, to all the... I mean, once again, we just have to say to those, you know close to John Madden. I mean, I hope you are all go through the loss okay, and I hope this, whatever EA is doing is as good of a memo... Wow. It's a memoratorium, I guess that's the right word, as possible for him. I think this is a really good, but... I guess I... I, um... I can only send, uh, you know, um, positivity towards, uh, you know, the future uh, Maddens in the family. Um, I, I hope that they uh, grow to be just right. You know. mm-hmm. Also, too, we have to talk about some key news regarding Xbox and streaming. As we got a couple things here, such as how 
X Microsoft is actually continue to iterate on an Xbox cloud streaming device codenamed Keystone. And what this device is supposed to be is like a little streaming puck sort of thing that you would just plug into your TV and you could just stream whatever games are on Game Pass Ultimate to your TV. And as the article mentioned, there's been rumors about this device that's been going around for several years, actually. And it's supposed to be, like I said, a more affordable dongle. So that's similar to like Chromecast and what they, I mean, I should say what Google did with Google Stadia and the Google Chromecast and how you would use this controller. Yes, my this is my Google Stadia controller. Actually, I own this. And you would hook it up to a, a Chromecast Ultra and then you just stream your games that way. And apparently, according to Winter Central, they confirmed that, this, that the device is indeed true. This was going to be a thing that, you know, they what was going to happen. However, Microsoft is trying to take some time to explore additional iteration of the product before bringing it to market. And in a statement provided to Windows Central, a Microsoft spokesperson described its commitment to lowering boundaries to Xbox content via a low-cost hardware while acknowledging that the existing version of Keystone needs a little more time to bake before going live. Our vision of Xbox Cloud Gaming is unwavering. Our goal is to enable people to play the game they want, on the device they want, anywhere they want. And as announced last year, we've been working on a game streaming device codenamed Keystone that can be connected to any TV or monitor without the need of a console. As part of any technical journey, we are constantly evaluating our efforts, reviewing our learnings, ensuring we are bringing value to our consumers. We have made the decision to pivot away from the current iteration of the Keystone device. We will take our learnings and refocus our efforts on a new approach that allows us to deliver Xbox Cloud Gaming to more players around the world in the future. And that what they understood, Keystone has been developed for a couple of years with Microsoft continuing to finalize the products feature set. To speculate, Keystone could eventually run some sort of slimmed down Windows or Xbox OS, given that Keystone originally appeared in the OS list alongside the different Xbox platforms like Era and Game OS. And yeah, so essentially what it's saying is, is that this could potentially be more advanced than just a streaming puck. Like, what if it had, like, a specialized version of Windows that could run, you know, lower-end games or apps? That would be a an interesting... Uh, I, I mean, that would be an interesting, uh, little, you know, experience. I mean, um, imagine being able to, like... Um, have it be like uh, you, you know like have it be a steam deck that's just a tad bit more locked down but not locked down enough like you know um it's locked to you know uh, that specific you know windows xbox sort of thing um but i guess kind of like be like a you know a stream stick like a, almost like an all-in-one all sort of it's a stream stick um for gaming and you know it could also 
run maybe prime netflix something like that hulu so you think something that's uh, more close to a roku stick because roku actually does something similar to that they have like a low one stick that you just plug in and has all the data it needs to run apps natively yeah but also more gaming focused in a sense so it can also run discord stream <laughs> games through <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if they allowed you know if Discord made something for like that. That would be actually kind of funny. All right, it wouldn't run. Let's see. You want to make it, you know, gamer focused. Not only would you have this Xbox streaming app, but you also need to have Grubhub, DoorDash, so people could just the game the people who you know drink Mountain Dew. Could just order food right on the stick, and then it also needs to have like it's a cart so they can just ship Mountain Dew directly to you. Like, oh, if you have the streaming stick, you can get free Mountain Dew and Doritos You're a terrible person. <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> <laughs> something stupid. <laughs> Just all right, yeah. Here's like a reduced discounted Doritos and Mountain Dew uh, on like Grubhub or Instacart or whatever. Go nuts. And then you get people just ordering Taco Bell from the stick. <laughs> the legit M MLG 420 game. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know what? It just works. So, uh, yeah, let's let it be. I mean, Todd Howard technically is a Microsoft employee. So, that yes, technically, work. it just works. <laughs> yes, <laughs> technically. <laughs> I used to be a part of the chess club. <laughs> I mean, still, I mean, besides that, I mean, you could have, I don't know, you could put Crunchyroll on there and stream anime on this thing. Um, what else? A lot of good stuff you could put on there for the typical gamer. Um, you could uh, have it come preloaded with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, uh, music streaming, uh, Spotify. Of course, that's a that's a given. That has to be a given. That'd be a you know, that's perfect. You need to have Spotify. You got Crunchyroll. You got. You know, and it comes with a 30 day trial of Minecraft Bedrock Edition. Bedrock doesn't actually, the thing is, is better. You'd have Game Pass Ultimate for that. Because Game Pass could actually has Minecraft built into it. OK, so what I said, but instead of just Minecraft, it's Game Pass. Exactly. Like, that would make sense. You have Game Pass Ultra, you get all the games. I mean, think about this way, too. This will be even better if Microsoft bought, if the Activision deal, deal closes, then they could put Call of Duty on this thing. 
Oh, yes, that'd be... Uh, I mean, then again, streaming multiplayer games, I know a lot of people don't really like doing that, but right. or that would be make nice it, to see. Yeah, or at least make it so the campaign is streamable. Mm-hmm. I always, if you can at least make the campaign streamable, that would make sense, and then leave the multiplayer for, for just download only. I think that's what Halo Infinite actually does. Yeah, certainly. So you could do. I mean, that's what you should do all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, then again, buy this box. You have a way to stream Skyrim. Buy this box. You have a way to stream Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. I mean, if that got on a gamepad, that'd be amazing. But no, I don't think it actually will. As much as I'd like. That would be that. fucking evil. Well, the thing is, what we would have to do is that I mean, we would have to give to someone that we know with Game Pass. Then that would be the case. But unfortunately, no. So, yeah. Also, too, I mean, we also got confirmation from Xbox that. They are going to bring the Xbox app to Samsung 2022 smart TVs. They're going to expand cloud gaming to more countries. They're going to bring new game experience to Microsoft Edge and Windows 11. Rollout updates for Xbox Game Pass members. And they're going to also introduce more options to express yourself at the Xbox Design Lab. That's like their custom controller website you could go to and you could design your own Xbox controllers. And then Microsoft mm-hmm. makes it for you and they deliver it to your house. Oh, yeah. So, yes, you too, Fufa Packa, can make a blue and white controller. Put that hot Miku X Fufa Packa and then they'll send it to you over your door. They better include a mail in rebate. Or that you could just make yourself like out like a purple ish controller and put Fluff Alpaca on it and then just put a different make a button set or something. One eye be one of the analog sticks and the other eye is the other analog stick. And then the D pad is like a nose or something. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so pretty much what you'll ha- be able to do is that they're going to support for just folks on this thing here. You can pretty much just play the entire Game Pass library on Samsung smart TVs, which is actually a pretty interesting idea. It's like, oh, to take your simple Xbox controller, sync the Xbox controller to the Samsung TV. Oh, you can just play Game Pass games. Mm-hmm. You could play Fallout 4 on your TV. Yeah. Alpaca be very happy. No. Also, they're going to open up Xbox Game Pass to more to, to Argentina and New Zealand. So that's cool to see. 
also they're going to bring new game experience to Microsoft Edge and Windows 11. This includes optimization for Windows games that are currently being tested in the Windows Insider program. These are designed to significantly improve latency and unlock exciting game features, including audio AG auto HDR and variable refresh rate and a new HDR calibration app that will enable players to improve color accuracy and consistency with their HDR displays. A game pass, which is allow players to browse, discover games from gamepad and jump back to the game titles. And then they're going to improve the control controller bar features and controller bar. So they're going to feature a list of most recent games, shortcut to popular launchers, including Xbox app. So I guess this will allow you to, like, if you're on PC at least, you can have, like, a shortcut to Steam on the game launcher. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Well, that sounds, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Have a little shortcut and all that. That's nice. Yeah, yeah they're also doing some improvements to Edge. <laughs> including a new personalized gaming homepage featuring news, gaming guides, live streams, game highlights, tournaments, upcoming weekly new, newly released games, and the Xbox Cloud Gaming Library. So, I guess if you're... It, so, I guess they're going to integrate, you know, Xbox Cloud Gaming more to Edge, so that's pretty cool. I mean, if they can make that default, if you made it a default homepage of a typical homepage for someone like you who might be more interested in gaming news rather than every other news out there, that might be a good substitute. Mm-hmm. Also, you're going to get built-in clarity boost to make gameplay from the cloud look sharper and cleaner, so that's always cool. Also, there's the new game menu in Microsoft Edge offers easy access to free popular games like Solitaire, Atari Asteroids, Jewel, and... Microsoft Edge's exclusive surf game. And there's also going to be efficiency mode to help improve game performance on Windows 10 11 to keep them running fast and smooth by automatically using browser resources using when a PC game is launched. <laughs> That's also pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah, just overall, just other exciting things. Different camos and stuff. And yeah, and look at that. Yes, Alpaca. Soon you can make your hot save Miku X. Flu fall packet controller. I'm sure you're gonna be very, very happy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ah, fuck, it's stuck to me again. <laughs> Help. Ah, Floofa packet is bread. Shut up. Sweets. <laughs> right. Silence, I kill you. Nice Ahmed reference. No. Not you. Anyways. Yeah, so we're about to move on to our next topic for the day. And this one is part of the series. This is part of our never ending Activision Blizzard segment that I try to keep going as quickly as possible because. Oh. 
obvious reasons. Yeah, I'll just stay on the back burner for this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, I'll pack you guys quick thoughts. I will try to go through this as fast as possible so we can get on to the more exciting stuff immediately afterwards. Such as Call of Duty news and Diablo Immortal news. We all know we all know how much Fufa Paca loves Diablo Immortal, right? Do you guys not have phones? <laughs> right, right. Okay, let's get going here. So, in our never-ending series of Activision Blizzard news, we also the first of the articles that Activision Blizzard may have illegally threatened union organizers, and this comes to us from Polygon. First, the article, and they mentioned how our before Raven Software's landmark union vote, the National Labor Relations Board, announced that it found merit to allegations that activists allegedly threatened employees for discussing working conditions, wages, and ongoing investigations under the guise of an overly bored social media policy, according to a statement sent by the LRP to Polygon. What happens next could include a formal ruling over whether or not Activision Blizzard broke established United States labor law. In reference to a different group of workers than the Raven Software QA workers who voted yes on forming union at publisher Activision Blizzard. Original charter was filed on November 2021 by Communication Worker America. Allegations include surveillance, interrogation, retaliation, and threats. NRB Los Angeles's regional office will now look to settle the case. If an agreement is reached, the NRB will file an official complaint. And they mentioned how the National Labor Relations Act protects workers for Rights to organize, employers can't respond to union organizing drive by threatening, interrogating, or spying on pro-union employees, or by promising benefits if they forget about the union. So that's the first of these articles. The second of which is the fact that former Activision employee appeals Activision Blizzard EEOC settlement. This comes to us from C Communication Workers of America. And they mentioned how former Activision employee Jessica Gonzalez is appealing the $18 million sexual harassment and discrimination settlement between the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and Activision Blizzard. Gonzalez filed an appeal on the grounds of workers potentially losing their rights under state law and the court's decision to ignore objections made by impacted employees. Under the current EEOC settlement, workers who apply to be claimants would be barred from suing Activision Blizzard for future settlements, essentially protecting the company from any legal accountability. The court allowed Activision the EEOC to keep the effective workers and others who had an interest in holding the company accountable out of the process. Eligible employees should not have to give up their right to pursue other legal remedies if they accept the settlement. So pretty much settlement, pretty much the su- summary of this is that, hey, if you take the settlement, you cannot sue Activision Blizzard. I know it's pretty atrocious in my se- from what I can tell. That's a wonderful loophole. Just, uh, you know, um, if you accept this, you can't touch us. Yep. So, like, it's like, uh, do you go through the effort of, you know, uh, 
possibly failing, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to a lawsuit like that, you know, uh, uh, possibly not going through. Do you wish to risk that or do you just take the money, I guess? Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Wonderful. Also, too, Activision Blizzard employees for a committee to fight workplace discrimination. This article comes from Engadget, where they mention how it doesn't current inform Activision employees have formed a committee aimed at protecting workers from discriminatory practices at the studio, outlining a list of demands from CEO Bobby Kotick, newly appointed diversity officer Kristen Hines, and chief human resources officer Julie Hodges. And as pointed out by the Washington Post, the group demands include ending mandatory arbitration discrimination cases, improving on-site lactation rooms, protecting workers from retaliation, increasing support for trans employees, instituting independent investigations in cases of discrimination, including sexual harassment. This group, called the Worker Committee Against Sex and Gender Discrimination, submitted their demands to the studio's leadership team today. And, yeah, I mean, that's also kind of fucked up, too. And as seen in the article, the committee specifically demands private lactation rooms and appropriate storage spaces for brass milk and pumping equipment. Breastfeeding workers at Activision Blizzard have documented the issue, their issues with the studio's lactation room, describing them as filthy, uncomfortable, poor, secured. Employees said fridges for breast milk were also used to store beer that people pumping often had to sit out, sit on the floor, and that breast milk was sometimes stolen. And that also, in our trend rights, group demands the creation of a trans network similar to the in-house women's resource network and for software tools to be wiped of employees' dead names. Also, this brought to a formal call for change. Activision Blizzard spokesperson provided a gadget for the small statement. We appreciate these employees want to join with us to further build a better Activision Blizzard and to continue the progress we have already made. We have, for example, already upgraded our lactation facilities, waived arbitration, hired new DEI and DEO leaders, and collaborated with employees to make our policies and processes more trans-inclusive, just to name a few of the issues the letter raises. We thank these employees and will continue to work with all of our employees on our journey to be a better company. And they mentioned how like they've already made some of these changes. <laughs> Policies await mandatory arbitration of individual sexual harassment and discrimination claims. Coming 10 to extend this policy to class action regarding sexual harassment and harassment. In order to comply with the U.S. law enacted in early March 2022, banning these types of arbitration agreements. And you can see a what would be a tweet for code CWA that say that the worker demand include end of all arp- mandatory arbitration, independent investigations for all claims of discrimination, including sex harassment, lactation protections, trans protections, protection from retaliation, and more. Obviously, this is still, you know, pretty crazy to think about that, you know, we have these lactation rooms that are not being properly utilized for their intended purpose. But then we also have something regarding Phil Spencer. Mr. Phil Spencer. He's truly a legendary man. He now looks over our le- another myth and legend, Todd Howard. Mm-hmm. But anyways, he 
Xbox boss says he will recognize Raymond Software Jr. after acquisition closes. He mentioned this article mentions from Kotaku how in today's internal all hands meeting with Xbox Game Studios employees, head of Xbox Phil Spencer said that he would recognize Raven Software's union. This came after the QA testers at Raven voted to form the first labor union at a major studio. During a previous all hands meeting a year and a half ago, Spencer said that he did have much experience with unions. And today's all hands, Spencer addressed that previous statement. Linda, Norm, and I have been spending a lot of time educating myself on unions said we absolutely support employees right to organize and form unions and once the deal closed we would absolutely support an employee organization that's in place we think that it is a right of employees and something we can be a part of a relationship between a company and people who work at the company and yeah i think this is a good thing to see that phil spencer is pro-union in this case yeah, certainly. Also, too, we have the fact that some Activision Blizzard shareholders urged not to re-elect board members following, you know, how passive they've been. This comes to us from Eurogamer, who mentions how SOC Investment Group has written an open letter to Activision Blizzard shareholders urging voters not to re-elect six board members, including... What, who's probably one of our least paid people in the entire show, Bobby Kotick. As lighted by G.I. Biz, the letter comes ahead of actors with a meeting on the 21st of June and campaigned to Bobby Kotick, Brian Kelly, Robert Morgado, Robert Corti, Barry Mayer, and Peter Nolan from their positions. The letter states that each of the directors failed either to recognize that Activision Blizzard for years maintained unsafe workplaces exhibiting frequent and repeat sexual harassment, sexual assault, and gender discrimination, or to appropriately address the company's frat house culture once it was publicly revealed by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing in its pending lawsuit, which was filed in July 2021. And the article continues on with saying... While shareholders await the assessment of the merger with Microsoft by antitrust regulators, it is incumbent upon them to hold these current directors accountable for their multiple failures to act and the resulting reputational harm and declining share price. The SOC Investment Group works with pension funds sponsored by unions affiliated with the Strategic Organizing Center, a coalition of four units representing more than 4 million members to enhance long-term shareholder value through active ownership. It purports to have over $250 billion in assets under management and are substantial Activision shareholders. <laughs> After July 2021, Activision Blizzard shareholders looked to the board directors to take ownership of the situation at the company, territory, and command of the facts, and the determination to improve, evaluate how the board has allowed work conditions that the company deteriorate so thoroughly, and establish a process to ensure that in the future the board has the information needed to recognize and properly address workplace harassment predation and discrimination instead for many months shareholders were met with silence it was out until mid-november 2021 that any statement from the board was made available and this statement was at best superficial failed to clarify open issues such as when prior to july 20 the board became aware of the issues at the company and just a new board committee focused on workplace so culture that has yet to take any public visible actions. This degree of passivity would be disappointing for any board directors, but given the gravity of the situation at Activision, 
it's been inexcusable. Personally, I agree with this organization as all. <laughs> also, too, again, just a reminder that Clay's process begins in $18 million dollar activation blizzard harassment settlement. And let's get down here. So the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has begun accepting the claim related Activision Blizzard $18 million settlement with the agency. Starting the day of that article written, current and former U.S. employees of the publisher who believe they experienced sexual harassment or gender discrimination working at its offices from September 1st, 2016 to March 29, 2022 can file for an award. Those who decide to take part in the claims process can also make specific non-monetary requests on Activision Blizzard and EEOC. And yeah, and obviously, as I mentioned, the fact that claimants won't be able to take part in future litigation against Activision Blizzard, including the ongoing loss of California's fair employment agency, may also make some workers reluctant to file. And finally, the last thing we'll talk about in this Activision Blizzard segment, because we have, I mean, obviously, keep this as quick as possible. Activision faces unfair labor practices complaint over staff utilization efforts. <laughs> This comes to us again from again saying that the Communication Work America has filed an unlabor fair labor practice complaint against the Activision Blizzard company of retaliating its worker organization efforts. It's its complaint filed with the National Labor Relations Board. The CBA accused the company of violating federal law by terminating those QA workers, good wealth point activation by studio. By expanding the QA team and betting the testers in other departments just mere days after the name crossed the union recognition. And yeah, it's just more of this. Game Workers, Workers Alliance and CWA, organizing committee members Aaron Hall, Laudabelle Malone, and Murray Carroll said the reorganization and withholding of pay raises and other benefits and the company's failure to rehire laid off QA testers were clearly attempted by activists to intimidate us, interfere with our union election in violation of the National Labor Relations Act. Also, an activation and spokesperson disputed the allegation in the statement sets of Blizzard. We respect and believe in the right of all employees to decide whether or not to support or vote for union and retaliation of any kind not tolerated. But yeah, I mean, clearly, again, once again, it's the continuing turmoil going in Activision Blizzard right now. A lot of crazy things still regarding this lawsuit. And mainly the fact that you can't, you know, pursue further litigation if you accept the settlement. Ouch. I, I don't know. I hear you. It's like. What in the world do we even say at this point? I, the only thing I can really just is just that that's what money can do, I guess. Certainly. Grass is green. Grass is green. Fluho Pack is proposed to a hot, a hot say Miku. Hey, what else is new?
like it wasn't the best time to make a joke, but still. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> the situation only gets quite a bit crazy. The craziest time goes on. Like you see this and all it makes us do is, again, we feel bad for all those affected by, you know, this ongoing story. And we can only keep saying, fuck Bobby Kotick. All right. And, you know, while everything with the Activision Blizzard situation, you know, really sucks. I mean, we have to talk about some of the other what's we can actually get some of the more entertaining stuff like the games. I know Alpaca likes games. Yeah, I. I'm, I've been mostly silent, honestly, because it's like I I don't really have much to say about about Activision Blizzard when it comes to their their stuff, I guess. Exactly. I, I just I only remain silent because it's like across the screen, like I said. It's, mm-hmm. <sighs> So Unfortunately. That, yeah, right. with that being said, I think we can get to the first game thing that we're going to talk about, and that is with Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, because back in May 24th, we actually got a release date, October 28th. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully they have proper dog models this time. Hopefully, A... For those who are concerned about anti-cheat, that gets fixed. And B, uh, for Call of Duty players, can at least enjoy the game more than Vanguard. Yeah, COD Vanguard, I I don't know how to put it. it. This new season that's coming up, I haven't played, of course, but this new season that's coming up seems like a drought, and it just seems like, honestly, it feels like they're not putting enough effort into Vanguard because they know that it's been a flop. Mm. So, of course, of course. I mean, I know someone is more wet than this game. So, we'll move on to we'll go away from that for the time being. And then, what, 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 what? also what? too, um, we have to talk about. You know, this Call of Duty blog, and they mentioned it's like throughout the history of the Call of Duty series and how like Infinity War was always a pioneer for this sort of, you know, the series. But during this article, this blog post here, it was confirmed that there would be gameplay on June 8th. Now, that was also the same week that, you know, a some showcase happened, which included the Summer Game Fest Showcase. So there's a good amount of gameplay between the Summer Game Fest Showcase and then whatever this gameplay trailer here provided. So that's always good to see. What are you talking about? What? Something I'm so terribly confused. Something that would get demonetized. This. <laughs> <laughs> no. Did this get us demonetized? <laughs> no, not that demonetized. Um, 
No, okay. Something that is has a synonym. Well, something that also means a cat. But is reality something that is related with? Oh. All right. And it's, um, and it relates. Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> I just don't know how that connected, but okay. Well, because he said that, you know, Vanguard was dry, so it was wetter than... Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing makes you less enthusiastic and excited than uh, <laughs> getting stuck on a ledge <laughs> on uh, Numa Numa, whatever the fuck that map was called. Mario. <laughs> Maria, Maria, Maria. Anyways, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. I just. <laughs> yeah. So also, we even got a hint from Steam of all places that this game would be coming to their platform. Well, then it turns out it is coming to the platform. And not only that, it's going to be $70. Cyram release. Yes. Boo, Activision Blizzard. Boo. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's going to be returning to Steam. And it's going to be $10 or more. It's going to cost the same as the uh, deluxe edition of the previous cards. And not actually, wait, no, I think they cost $100, but I'm thinking about like, you know, gold editions. You know, they're usually like an extra 10 bucks for DLC. Right. Well, not only that, it's going to cost the same price as what are these? Wonderful. See that logo? That white banner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to cost the same price as a PS5 game. Unfortunately. Um, and... Um, so... <sighs> games... You know, games aren't, you know, exclusive when it comes to inflation. They're not... Uh, and you know they're not a uh, what is the word a uh, ex excluded from being impacted by inflation. Now, I don't care who you blame for inflation; it sucks, and I hope it gets better, and I hope we don't go into a recession. But all I can say is, thankfully, thankfully, gaming is. A really like thankfully gaming is a really inexpensive hobby at the end of the day it's the most inexpensive form of entertainment so far because it is an interactive movie with fun game and a good graphic and um yeah i watched a video on um somebody talking about this they mentioned how um, it's actually less expensive than um, 
games before it because of how inflation you know has become like inflation has gone up really really badly and the fact that this game isn't $80 or $90 is a bit of a Hail Mary. Mm. So of that's course. good, but still sucks that it's going up 10 bucks. So you're going to have to pay an extra battle pass without the battle pass. Of course. <laughs> also, too, here's a key thing, though. If you were to buy Call of Duty on consoles, even they're forcing dual entitlement. So in other words, if you just wanted to play this on like an Xbox one or PS4 sucks for you, you're still buying it for $70. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, You are still getting the downgraded version. However, luckily, you'll be able to move on to it when you get the newer consoles that's the only good thing out of it so i can see mm-hmm. that's just a very big devil's advocate though unfortunately of course but what may be more entertaining though is watching warzone players farming king kong's nuts for easy xp because Oh, I see. Fluffo Packers already going for them nuts too. <laughs> Sorry, he's going. Uh, he's going for them nuts, and he's bringing his his fiance with him too. Fuck off. <laughs> so apparently, I discovered a bash to a not safe for work section on Reddit's Arcade Warzone. It is possible to hop into a helicopter and attack the ape wonder of the world's upper thigh section? The video was removed. But you could apparently watch it in the link that was up there. Why the fuck is it in the not safe for work section? What the fuck? (laughs) Hold on a goddamn second. I'm watching this. (laughs) You must be 18 plus to view this community. What? Um, I should uh, do. I, I mean, luckily, I'm not the one recording, but uh, I'm the one. I mean, luckily, it says in the article, at least it's not anatomically correct. I don't know. Uh, okay, I'm gonna just hit the X and uh, fuck that. <laughs> not literally. It, it mentions while Cog's model in Warzone isn't anatomically correct, you're technically still attacking the. King's crown jewels to effectively farm experience points. Other methods, methods might be easier, but none are as hilarious. And I agree with this article. You'll also need some real skill in piloting a helicopter near Kong. And the idea of giving Kong a quick manscaping session for the summer season to ability. You can still fire away from the ground and earn XP the traditional way. Brought to you by Manscaped 4.0, the lawn trimmer. No, I'm just kidding. We're not sponsored. <laughs> right, of course. And I believe this event actually ran until May 25th, so I think the two of us actually missed out on this. Oh, how unfortunate. <laughs> but all we could do is comment on it like almost a month later. Yeah. And not kill our hard drives with 300 gigs of data. 
<laughs> right. I mean, I am not doing that on my PlayStation 5. No. No, forget. <laughs> I mean, do you realize how expensive those hard drives can get? Like, if you want a terror, like a four terabyte NVMe drive that can fit into a PS5, <sighs> that's almost a thousand dollars right there, which is twice the cost of the console. Yeah, no, no, I, I know, I, I, when I, um, when I was, you know, first building my computer, I was like, why the hell? So why is it more cost effective to buy the lower? capacity drive and i realized yeah maybe it's because they have to fit all the chips on there but like buying a two terabyte drive it's only worth paying the extra you know 10 30 dollars just for that extra terabyte when it comes to like you know twice the amount of the one terabyte plus an extra bit mm-hmm. i don't know why the fuck they're so like other than the fact like i just said they have to fit so much so much you know how much so many chips but if you go on pc part picker right now the highest capacity drive is a team group qx which is three thousand two hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents for 15.3 terabytes a there's a Kingston KC3000, 4.96 terabytes, $1,003.84. Wow. That is insane. But yeah, no, 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 you're like, seriously, it's, it's, I mean, probably the most cost effective one right now is the ADATA XPG SX8100. That's a four terabyte for $400, but. (laughs) Right. But on the other side of the fence, we also have, now we have to deal with Call of Duty, but Mobile Diablo, a.k.a. Diablo Mortal. The famous game where people have to ask their friends if they have phones. Your right hand comes off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> There's a game for that. It's called Eternites. Go play it. <laughs> Just kidding. Fuck you. <laughs> Do you guys not have phones? <laughs> I've sent my right phone to dispose of you, Mr. Scott Kennedy. Right. Anyways. Um, yeah. So we have this article. We're starting off here from Polygon. The title, it's an opinion piece, but it says Diablo Immortal proves Diablo was always meant for phones. So do you not have a phone? No, I'm just kidding. Just... Do you guys not have boners? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Now, this, this is an interesting way to start the article. We all remember the announcement of Diablo Mortal at BlizzCon in 2018. The screaming, the crying, the foaming at the mouth at the very idea the next installment of the hardcore RPG series would be a mobile game. That was how I felt when I heard the announcement. How dare Blizzard do this to a game series I remembered so fondly. I finally played Diablo Mortal and it's completely changed my mind. Diablo was meant to be a mobile game all along. Your right nut comes off. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've seen a little bit of gameplay on it. 
and it's basically simplified Diablo 3. Um, now it's on PC. You know, uh, one thing that's funny is uh, that guy, I think, like, we, we basically defeated him. Do you guys not have phones? No, but we used our phones for uh, calling people and watching YouTube. We don't exactly. game on it. I I won't disagree that mobile gaming is popular. Mm. I won't disagree about that. There's no shame in admitting that it's more popular than probably PC and console combined. Right. However, for people that are into games in a hardcore sense, the, the mobile games aren't aren't ours. Yeah, you know. The thing is, when I play mobile games, I intentionally pick the games that have, like, that aren't the typical free-to-play mantra or, like, a game I can just pay, like, five bucks for and get all the content for it. Do you guys not have $139.99 for a loot box? Seriously. But, yeah, like, I find those games to be much more interesting. Like, some of the games I, I played on my computer for a, a while, like, Age of Civilization 2 or Age of History 2 or World Box. Those are games I prefer to play on my phone. They're still the full experiences just on a small screen I can just take with me everywhere on that I go. And that's brilliant for that sort of thing. Or mm -hmm. even Civilization 6 is on phones. And it's a full fat game. Minus the fact that it doesn't have the, you know, the expansion pack that they had. That's available on consoles. The little season passing they released, but besides that, I mean, it's still the full game. Those are the type of games I like to play on my phone. I mean, in fact, if I had to pick a mobile game by that philosophy, I'd probably pick Mario Run. But it literally follows that exact form. It's like, oh, you play the game. Oh, but if you want to finish, complete the entire game, it's like five bucks. Not many microtransactions, you're in. Or just play Minecraft Pocket Edition. Which nowadays it's the bedrock version. That's the complete full version that you could play anywhere you want on the go. Even if you don't like Minecraft, you gotta say, hey, even though the mine coins are bullshit, hmm. I can ignore that and enjoy Minecraft. Yeah, or Fortnite. If you or can, Fortnite, yes. If you have Android and, and know how to sideload apps. Yep. But anyways, so if we scroll down through this, you know, this article here. They mentioned like how there's mechanics such as like how with the looting system and that, you know, you collect pieces of gear and then there are certain items that can identify what these pieces of gear are. So think kind of like a Borderlands sort of sense. Mm -hmm. But the thing that makes it green, though, oh, this is what I'm talking about right here. Look at this thing. Diablo 2 also interests to the mechanics that make the game addictive. For it to identify pieces of gear. You can see some information about this gear, but you won't know exactly how good it is until you reveal its stats with a special scroll sold in the game shop. 
These gold aren't expensive, they're not rare, and you don't you have to spend money on them. At least in Diablo 2. So... Yeah. The, there's a difference, is that it's in-game currency. Exactly. So, and you don't have to wait for it to, uh, to be able to earn it. You can just earn it through playing the game not waiting for a timer to run out and then you get your daily grind you know you get your daily allowance mm -hmm. or however much it work i'm thinking a lot of uh cod world war ii where there was like armory credits and you could get them every day and do little objectives but at least that was yeah you know right so you can you see the article here this is the same game gimmick that the worst offenders of microtransaction packed mobile games have deployed for decades now. You pick up an unidentified item, perhaps even a parcel of unidentified items, hidden in a mysterious treasure chest, let's say. I know where this is going, but you don't have the key to open it yet. When you do get that key and unlock the chest, a beautiful sound plays along with a special animation. Except then, the item inside the chest turns out to be useless for your character build. But what that? Oh, it's another chest. What's inside this one? Maybe it'll be different this time. Do you need to spend a little bit of real money to find out? A few cents, maybe? That isn't so bad, is it? Ladies and gentlemen, this reminds me of loot boxes. Mm-hmm. Loot boxes. Unfortunately. Yep. Loot boxes in Diablo Immortal, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. The cardinal sin of 2014 through whenever it got outlawed in Europe or whatever. Most of Europe, anyway. Yep. Um, but they even talk about their experience with Diablo Mortal, how they say it's it, like you mentioned how it's actually fairly decent for Diablo game standards. Like, like you can just keep reading this and like, you look at it, like, and of course, all the familiar, relaxing, hopefully addictive mechanics that have been central to Diablo for years have now been successfully interwoven with microtransactions. The dream of the real money auction house has finally been realized. Uh, that's a very sad way to put it. That's absolutely true. Luckily... As I said, it's been outlawed in several countries, and that's caused developers to move on to a different form, which is usually a battle pass, and you spend money to buy things in an in-game shop. Real money, I mean. Which, honestly, I, I, I kind of don't like either option. I'd pick loot boxes only because you get a chance, and like as long as you can earn them, you don't have to spend money to get them. Uh... But at the same time, it's like you get to buy it outright, but it's like you have to actually spend real money. You don't earn any in-game credits or something. So it's like, damn it, you know, you're fucked either way. Yeah, and even this reader, like, look at this paragraph here. You can play the whole game without spending a dime, of course, and the animations and sounds will still provide your brain's pleasure sensors with a very similar bevy of effects. The problem is that the result feels deeply embarrassing to this author. It's still Diablo, and yet now it's on my phone. It feels all the more like a slot machine. Or perhaps now that it's in this format, I see it for the slot machine that 
always already was. Diablo Immortals microtransactions do not just feel predatory and manipulative. They feel like the final ingredient that allows an already addictive series to attain its true form. Ouch. This isn't even my final form, said Diablo 3. (laughs) 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 Robert Duck, get your final form ready. No, fuck you. (laughs) No, too bad I don't have Supersonic. I mean, I am staring at a certain duck I know you've been dying to see for all this time. Nah. No, you. Maybe I'll go get it. It's a UFO ship right now. I'm getting it. Maneki Musel. <laughs> no. Fuck off. Go for Miku. Oh, it's coming out of the uh, of the UFO. Oh, coming out of the UFO. Daksuni Miku. It can't oh. squeak, but it could come out of a box. Uh, I'm not participating in that. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Max, a, a Diablo Immortal character could reportedly cost up to one hundred ten. Thousand dollars at the game's highest tier currency appears to only be available via loot boxes. Oh, this is because in a video by Bellular News, its analysis suggests that the highest tier legendary gems, a premium currency in the game which can be used to upgrade a character in the post-game, can't currently be earned by players who don't pay for them with real money. Thus, fully upgrading a post-game character would cost $110,000 worth of gens, the analysis claims. What makes this worse is that currently, players can't purchase legendary gems outright. Again, they are dropped from legendary chests, crests, which are the loot boxes. How delightful. Also, too, that, in, that apparently Diablo more players have begun reporting that instead of being rewarded with upgrade items with fishy quest, they're being presented with advertised for a bundle of upgrade items they can purchase. Well, that's freaking great. This. That. That. I. I <sighs> I, I remember, I still remember Black Ops 3. I think it costed like somewhere in the millions to unlock all fucking classified guns. They were like guns that were could only unlock through contracts or supply drops and would cost in the, like millions. It was stupid. Right. I feel you. I feel you. And as explained in a Reddit thread, the, yeah, so. The amount of money necessary to complete ma- max out a character could be even more than previously estimated, as there's a whole level of upgrades that only unlocks once a player managed to get their five-star gems to rank 10. Doing this is estimated to cost up to $40,000 in loot boxes. 
Once a player does this, they unlock resonating boards, which, while not yet achieved, were shown in preview images, which seem to imply that a player would have to repeat the process of upgrading the five-star gems to rank 10 several times, adding further potential to thousands, uh, further potential thousands of dollars should the user choose to spend. Um, I think the Hatsune Miku rubber duck did a ollie. But anyways, okay then. But because of these loot boxes and all the other crazy stuff, it will launch in certain countries. And this includes Netherlands and Belgium. And this is due to the current operating conditions in the countries. Tweakers also report that players in both areas were able to pre-register for DL Mortal ahead of its launch on mobile and PC. But the option was removed a few days after the game's launch date announcement back in April. And it says, and they also mentioned how another statement by Blizzard employee shared to the Diablo Mortal subreddit also stated that players in the two countries won't be able to download the game due to said restrictions. Loot boxes in the game are against the law in your country, so unless the gambling restrictions change, the game will not be released in Netherlands and Belgium. And the post will say, if you manage to run the game, I can cannot I cannot guarantee that you will not be banned for it. Oh. Alright. So, well. so apparently if you attempt to run the game, there is a chance you could get banned for it. Uh, well I don't know I why see you, this. Yeah, I, like, I don't know why you would. However, that could be a thing. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I think uh, I think it's because, I mean, I I understand why there are some strange reasons to get banned. Like, I, I think uh, I think you can get banned for, uh, I don't know, for something as simple as, I, I mean, I don't know how to put it. You can get banned for anything. You know, if you use a VPN, will connect into an online service. If you have something like Denuvo, like anti-cheat, and you have a VPN on, I think Denuvo will trigger and it will actually get you like banned for from some game for whatever game that has Denuvo. Like I've heard of horror stories like that. Jesus, literally trying to encrypt your, you know, your uh, um connection is grounds for anti-cheat but you remember the 12th gen elder lake you know how they have um performance and efficiency cores yeah those e cores triggered de nuvo because they were seen as a second cpu and a bunch of other anti-cheats that had to uh update to understand and they also didn't run on older games and games that weren't supported so you had to find another way around get a you know uh 12th gen that didn't have reform but then didn't have efficiency cores uh, or just use uh you know an older platform it, it was stupid like they get triggered for any reason i swear sometimes if you use a virtual machine 
like if you're on Linux, but you want to play a Windows only uh, game and you use like a, a, you know, a virtual machine to run Windows, you can still get caught, you know, it's stupid. Of course. Well, speaking of Linux, one device that does run a virtual Linux is the Steam Deck. Oh, and we got a couple of news regarding that. The first of which is the fact that iFixit will sell nearly every part of the Steam Deck, including the entire motherboard. Holy shit. Wait, so you're saying I could, Oh my god, this is like the Raspberry Pi except better. Oh my god. <laughs> and you said that you might even be able to upgrade the, the fan or the screen on the device. That's fucking cool. So they say the Eric's fixing your own gadgets has nearly arrived, and Valve Steam Deck handheld gaming PC may be setting the best example yet. Not only does it offer a repair-friendly design, but it now looks like almost every part will be sold separately at iFixit. This e at the evening of this article written, the company prematurely revealed a huge collection of its promised repair parts at its website, and we're surprised to see Everything down to the motherboard, the AMD Aerith chip at the heart of the Steam Deck will soon be available, admittedly for a pricey $350. Holy shit. Yeah, the Steam Deck motherboard is $349.99. <laughs> so imagine what you could do with the Steam Deck motherboard. Like, what sort of crazy thing could you come up with that? Like, oh my god, the modding community for that will probably go nuts. I'm going to take a look at it. Uh, okay, I see some pins and stuff. Okay. Uh, there's also uh, daughter boards, which daughter boards are like, you know, like a part of like they're like a another part of a motherboard. That's like it's like an attachment, basically. Right. Oh, take a look at this. In fact, iFix will even sell parts that might be considered upgrades for existing Steam Deck. If you decide you'd rather have the anti-glare screen that only come with the 512 gigabyte model or the allegedly quieter quieting fan, you'll be able to nab those for $95 and $25 respectively. You can pay five more dollars for a fixed kit that come with everything you need to do the repairs. <laughs> I was wondering why it was uh why they separated the 512 from the 256 and the 664. That's Yeah, because there's actually a different screen that it uses. That's interesting. And you can all look right. down below, yeah. Like here's all the parts that you could sell. Like you got AC adapters, deck screen adhesive, battery adhesive, daughter boards for like I said different for controllers. Front plates, back plates, bumpers, speakers, D-pad, rubber membranes, button membranes, analog sticks. All right. And yeah, you can get like, the screen, which that's kind of ridiculous in its own right, yeah. So if you're an advanced user, like this is huge. Like you can even scroll down here. There's even frames. <laughs> like, if you're feeling adventurous, you could almost build an entire Steam Deck. Just from all the parts they provide here. Now, I probably would recommend doing that 
but a possibility could be a could be there. Yeah, that's that's nice. <laughs> I um, to be honest, from when the older models were seen as like a you know an explosive like shrapnel grenade to a uh, you know to this being like a modifiable you know system that's completely like almost completely uh interchangeable i i love that i i love the idea of non-proprietary stuff even though this is all proprietary to the steam deck i love non-proprietary stuff i love backwards compatibility i love everything about it so so you think you'd probably so this is with this something like this a system like this where you can replace all the parts like this make you be more enticed to try and get one of these things um yeah just for the fact that it's pretty much just like a pc on the go if you you know know how to like in a sense jailbreak it i guess or something like that um because like i don't know i just i like uh I, I love the idea of being able to just have it exist and you know if i I'm out and about, but I want to play a video game or from a car ride where it's boring and I'm just looking out the window. It's like, I, you know, I used to have a 3DS or a DS or a DSi or like, even the one of the Game Boy Advances. Um, I just pop in a game, you know, and I, I could have a 3DS and play a DS game. I could have the original thick DS and just run a Game Boy game, Game Boy Advance. I mean, if I have Game Boy Advance, I could pop in you know, Pokemon Yellow or something. I, I I used to love that. And in this case, it's more about the modified modability of the overall system. But it's a portable PC on the go. Happy to have it. Just like a Switch, except it's more open source in a sense. So more open-ended. Well, tell me you're bulky, but hey, at least you'll have another option pick if you want to see... Hatsune Miku on the go. Fuck you. <laughs> and then we also have another update for the Steam Deck. This is regarding the dock accessory that was supposed to go with it. Hey. So, well, not go with it, but you know what I mean? Something that you could at least buy. Uh-huh. There's a dock for it? So, like, if you were... So, in other words... Like, say you're, like, on, like, the go, whatever. You don't have your computer with you. You can get, like... Hey, well, the thing is compatible with any USB-C dock. All right. So, like, if you were to go out and, say, go to California. Or, in your case, go to Japan. Fuck off. Then you could plug it into a TV and play your favorite Hatsune Miku games on the go. I have a picture of uh, somebody cosplaying as Hatsune Miku stepping into a uh, wrestling match. I'm just, oh fuck. I'm gonna just leave that here. <laughs> and, uh. Yep. Alright. Have a nice day. So, as we can see here, right from the Steam page for the Steam Deck here, it's like, this article here is a Steam Deck docking taking delayed. And this is all due to part shortages and COVID closures at our 
manufacturing facilities. The official Steam Deck documentation is delayed. And they're going to mention how they're working on improving the situation and we'll share more info when they have it. And also, to say in the meantime, the team is continuing to work on improving the dock experience for Steam Deck with all USB C hub and internal external displays because it is compatible with all that stuff. All right. So, I mean, it's a minor delay, obviously, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's a first party Steam Deck accessory that some probably would want to have. So, I thought it might be worth talking about briefly. Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, you uh, let me know that uh, you can do the same exact thing with just a simple. Type C to Type C USB. Um, um, so, of hopefully, uh, hopefully, um, it's you know it's not that much of an issue, anyways. Right. And judging by that, it's not the biggest issue. But you know, for those who would want to see, you know, that experience probably would want to, you know, have something like this. Certainly. I do get that. <laughs> also, too, we have another device. A device revealed. And this comes to us from Sega on their Japanese website, which you may want to use the best Google Translate thing you could possibly get. Oh, yes, I did. And as you can see, this is the Sega Mega Drive 2, or, or you know, the Sega Genesis Mini 2. You can see here, this is the Sega Genesis chip shaped more like the Model 2 Genesis rather than the Model 1. Mm-hmm. And it comes with a six-button controller. Keep in mind that the default that, you know, a good chunk of people know of with the Sega Genesis was a, was a three-button controller. Yeah. But this one comes with a six, which is something that Sega made later on in the Genesis life. So mm -hmm. good to see that this will be, you know, the controller at least will be fully compatible with all the games. But as you can kind of see in the background here, this Mega Drive Mini is actually have some Sega CD games. Which is an important thing to note because the original Sega Genesis Mini did not have any Sega CD games. For those who don't know what a Sega CD is, this is the ad. This is one of the add-ons that was released for the Mega Drive slash Genesis that would allow it to play CD games. All right, then. Mm -hmm. So this device could come out on October twenty seventh, and it will release at a price of nine thousand nine hundred eighty yen, or ten thousand nine hundred seventy eight yen with tax. You can see a little trailer and everything here, and yeah, you can just see it going down, how 
you know, it mentions again how it is compatible with Sega CD games. And you can see a couple games to a little slideshow here. But if you also continue to scroll down, it's to say it's going to contain over 50 titles. Which is actually more than the 42 of the previous system. But this thing is also going to contain a little accessory kit. That you can deck out the, the Mega Drive Mini 2. With, to make it, you know, more like console. I, I I like the fact that it you know it comes with little discs and uh like I know they're fake but yeah. <laughs> I just think that's fucking cute honestly. Yeah, so that's one of the things they like to do with these second like did with the mini systems here is that they will do this. But something I saw from these you know CD games it looks like Shoxy will be part of this, which is a very key, you know. Say a CD game, probably the most recognizable one. You can feel the sunshine already. That's Sonic R. Fuck. <laughs> but Sonic CD was actually a pretty monumental, you know, Sega CD game. Like during the time of Sonic 2's development, which was developed in the Americas. Sonic CD was actually developed in Japan. So it's actually had like two different studios developing a different version of Sonic 2. It's so, you have, so you have the Sonic 2 that we would be known, but that's more so known for us, which introduced Tails and all that stuff. And then you have Sonic CD, which is actually the game that introduced Metal Sonic and Amy. Mm-hmm. And back then, by the way, for those who don't know, Amy had a different design than her modern design. Yeah. Oh, uh, you can see there's a couple other games here. Most of these are all more so known for in the Japan audience. I mean, there's Shining Force CD, which that's obviously a pretty big one. But it makes you think of what other CD games could potentially show up here. Like, I mean, obviously the the CD library for you know the Mega CD slash Sega CD is well definitely smaller than the the core Genesis library. Uh, not a lot of things we could pull off. I mean, if they were to go absolutely crazy with this. They can include a game that was developed by Hideo Kojima called Snatcher. It's kind of like a visual novel sort of game. Mm-hmm. But that game currently on eBay goes for around like $1,000. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about how Snatcher was like, um, it's like, it, 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 it's like the golden, like, uh, goose egg. In a sense, it really is, yeah. But I, I know that the Japanese version for this game is is cheaper. But the Sega CD actually released the only English version of that one game 
there. So if you want to play the game in English, you have to get a Sega CD. Or learn Japanese. Or that. I mean, I know you, Alpaca, have another source. You f- <laughs> <laughs> It's called Hatsune Miku. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, so I think that's a pretty good time there. I mean... Oh, okay. I mean, that covers it for all of our gaming topics for the day, pretty much. Because now we get to move on to all the tech topics that we have to cover. Okay. The first one is that the FCC has plans of trying to boost rural broadband speeds. This comes to us from Engadget here and how the Federal Communication Commission is aiming to boost rural broadband internet speeds through proposed changes to the Alternative Connect America cost model program. The target is to approve minimum download and upload speeds to 100 slash 20 megabytes per second in areas served by carriers that receive ACAM support. The current base flood is 25 slash 3 megabytes per second. That is punishingly low. Yeah, I would assume the slash is indicative of upload speed and let us download. Yeah, yeah, twenty five download, thirty uh, uh, three not thirty uh, three upload in uh, megabits, which is like mm. really, really slow. Like uh, that's like that's what I have. Mm-hmm. That's a quarter of what I have. At 100. It's like, oh. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's not a good look at that. I mean, it makes you... No. <laughs> also, to see the ACAM Broadband Coalition promote the creation of an enhanced ACAM program, which is the goal is to improve broadband speeds to level specifying the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is part of that $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that was trying to be passed while avoiding the duplication of efforts across various programs. And they say how the notice of proposed rulemaking, which commissioners approved, seeks comment on how the SEC could bolster a ACAM support under an enhanced program and whether the current ACAM framework even still makes sense. And you can see a little message here from Jeffrey Starks from Twitter on Twitter. As we consider the future of ACAM, we see comment on the build-out timelines. The $42 billion bead program has a four-year timeline. I'll be interested to see where ACAM providers land. Here's the point. We must ensure broadband being deployed everywhere ASAP. And honestly, I actually agree with the statement. Like Nowadays, we're seeing internet being more important than ever before, especially with remote work. Of course, and uh, they tried to. Um, th- there was the emergency broadband broadband program, um, and then there's like an extension of that, I think, and that was, um, that would either cut costs or make them, uh, really, really like, uh, cheap. 
um, as far as I know, I think it was free. I can't remember exactly, but I did. Um, I did hear about that. Um, and it was um, it was only temporary because of, uh, you know, the pandemic causing uh, people to be at home more. They made it more affordable to have higher end internet. But if the current baseline is 25, 3, what now? This is megabits, not megabytes. If this was megabits, that's 3 for download. <laughs> that's, that's 3 megabytes <laughs> per second. And that is, give me one second, uh, that is... 0.375 for upload mm. for megabytes. That's insanely slow. That is like you will take a few, a good chunk of minutes, depending on how big it is, you know, the file. Right. So. Of course. I mean, obviously, we hope. I mean, this is good Seppens knowing that we're on tr we could potentially be on track to see you know expanded wi-fi across the country i mean personally i think we should be at the point of gigabit connections but considering we've seen a lot of other countries you know we've seen the technology exists oh yeah i mean um honestly you, you can get by of course with 100 you know megabits uh, for now um and you know like because I'm, I'm on that connection right now but 100 uh no what uh 1000 mega megabits or like a entire gigabit connection that is that is pretty amazing to have of course like you could upload a file in like milliseconds nanoseconds even <laughs> right um but i'm just glad that the baseline has moved up because if they if this does uh you know if this plan does go into action of course yeah so i hope you know we see the effects of this fairly soon and that parts of rural america can be connected Especially for a certain state that does has a hard time getting T-Mobile 4G coverage. Looking at you, Nebraska. Oh. Um, but yeah, no. Um, another thing is the monopolization of uh these rural areas areas sorry air rivers yeah <laughs> damn it uh that's uh that's a very good point because a lot of, like no matter where you go in the country there's usually like three to four different carriers or even like two or one that just dominate an entire area currently where i live there is a uh an entire company that has a bank has a like they have a bank they have a uh 
they have their internet and TV and they have their own phone line. Um, and it's, it's actually kind of, I wouldn't say scary, but it's like, they really are putting a lot of, you know, chips into where we are, you know, where I am. Of course. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, they kind of, they, they swallowed up an old, um, an old, uh, they, they took over a, um, a local, uh, ISP and their office is now literally just that company's name with internet, you know? Yeah. That's kind of alarming. There was a Verizon station that's out of business now. Like, um, you know, Verizon doesn't have the best as far as I know when it comes to internet. Um, at least, to, at least in your area, like I know that some areas, like a lot of these places, there's they can be good or they can be bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, also, T, we talk about something a bit more interesting right now because we have to talk about how Apple had their WWDC conference in t- this year. Oh yes, let's certainly talk about that. And boy, there's quite a bit to talk about here. Nine four one. Mm-hmm. So to start off, I mean they've had numerous announcements, but there's one announcement in particular that really caught up, uh, you know, got our interest. So we're just gonna skim through the things that we don't find as important, and then we're gonna get to the really important thing. Now WODC is typically used for software, like you know OS announcements, all that stuff. But once in a while, too, you know, you'll get a couple hardware things here and there. Nothing crazy, but to start off with, we have iOS 16. There's going to be various improvements, including new intelligence, sharing communication features, customizing smartphone design, and and they're going to have a complete design lock screen, which will let you personalize most elements you see before unlocking the iPhone. You could, you'll be able to tap on any element on your lock screen, customizing, changing the color and font of the time, adding widgets from the widget gallery, and changing the backdrop with filters. And allow you to shuffle photos through the lock screen. I mean, some of these seem pretty new. Like, I haven't seen, like, a photo shuffle feature. Mm-hmm. But Android kind of already did this for a while now. Like, you have, like, sometimes, like, if you're playing music... You have a music player right in the lock screen. At least oh, yeah, I, certainly. At least if I'm interpreting this correctly. There's always a chance we could be interpreting this the completely wrong way, and oops. I mean, I like that the lock screen, you can customize the, uh, the clock, I guess. <laughs> so, that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but. something that I feel like Android could definitely improve upon is something similar to what they have here, live activities. These are essentially widgets that will update in real time as events happen, such as sports games or Uber rides, workouts, and other things. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I find interesting is that, like, if you go to, like, if you get, like, an Uber Eats order or, like, Grubhub or Instacart or anything like that, 
If I just be able to just live track your thing without having to open the app itself and you should be listening to music, you just turn your phone, it's like, oh, here is the map of the order right now. That sounds really freaking useful. You're being hunted. Sorry. <laughs> Hatsune Miku eyes are right in your lock screen. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, what I was going to say was uh, how Discord, uh, sometimes I'll get Discord notifications really late or they won't pop up at all. Mm. So, that that is a good point about live activities uh, or something similar to that. I hope that uh, there's a way to prove the responsivity and being able to, like, because, like, of course, I have a lower-end phone. I don't know if on higher-end models, it's always, you're, like, they just have, you know, something in the background, always checking Discord or your actual, you know, uh, messaging or stuff. Because I'll always get them late. I'll be connected to the internet. Everything will be completely fine. And I just won't get them because, I don't know. It's yeah, just, I know it wasn't already opened, I yeah, guess. I know Android, you know, will have like, you know, a notification fee on like the lock screen or something like that too. And you know, while you're using your phone, you have like the different, you have optional bubbles you can enable. Mm-hmm. Which you can just tap the bubble and it gives you more details about, like, you know, the voice chat or whatever you're doing at the moment. Yeah. Fine. That is one thing to consider. But I mm-hmm. mean, like, in the sense that imagine if you had a Discord, like, call controls right on your lock screen while using Discord. So you just have to open your phone up. You'd be like, oh, just turn to tap the phone on. Here's some call controls. You just tap mute. And there you go. You don't have to worry about unlocking the phone and then tapping the bubbles and then clicking mute or opening Discord itself. You can, oh, right there. Done. Mm-hmm. Something like that would be pretty cool too. Also, iOS 16 will include some updating to messages. And here's something I find a little interesting message editing, undo send, and mark as unread. How is this going to work when Android users receive messages? Yeah, because, uh, I I I I see where this is. I, um, this is going to be a bit of a problem, actually. <laughs> um, how am I able to? Ah, that that's a really damn good question. Like, how, how does? Because the ability to mark as unread and this and that, SMS and MMS wasn't built like that, right? You know, it wasn't it wasn't built to receive messages like that. I don't know if you have to use a separate app or something. That is a fucking weird thing. Because like, (sighs) I know know Google Messages has like the enriched communication feature. So if you if you use Google Messages, that's that's the that's like the you know the one the blue circle whatever the one that comes. Default in most modern Android phones, you'd want to use that because it contains like these rich communication features that enables like message marked red or whatever, and you can see it typing. It's a more advanced, you know, like SMS and MMS sort of thing. 
But yeah. that doesn't have message editing or undoing send or mark as unread. Like, I'm actually curious how that's going to work. Because mm-hmm. honestly, I, um, you know, for me, uh, I, I, I know you're able to do this with other messaging apps, but it's like, how is, how is it able to, like, the the only way I could see as Marcus on red is if it, you know, when it says delivered in red, it's gonna say like another text message saying, "Oh, this person edited the message to say this." Yeah, I'm afraid of. Yeah, because Android's going to get duplicate messages. If you're on iOS, like that, you're going to be perfectly swimming just fine. And that's going to be fine for a good chunk of, you know, the United States audience who you rely on iOS. But for many other countries that rely more Android, how is that going to work? The only way I could see it working is when it says delivered and read, it, it will switch back to delivered. <laughs> That's yeah, or like uh, if the, or if there's or if like you know the rich communications encryption and all that stuff that you know Google has been trying to promote recently can play nice with this. Yeah, but instead of seeing liked, lol, or something, or reacted to smiley. Or something. I'm afraid of Vietnam. I have like Vietnam War flashbacks of this when they used to, where it's like laughed at this message. Uh, liked, liked rubber duck. Um, laughed at Hatsune Miku rubber duck. Oh, what's the name? <laughs> there was, uh, also. Yeah. Also, iPhone users will have access to a new feature called Apple Pay later on iOS 16. This splits purchases into four equal payments and spreads them out over many weeks with zero interest and fees applied. That should make it easier to pay for big purchases over time. It'll accompany the new order tracking feature, which will let you monitor where your shipments are before they actually arrive at your doorstep. I mean, I hope many merchants will be able to support this. I again, this is one of the things that I'm actually curious to how this exactly works. Like, which merchants are going to support this? Is Apple like gonna take a ding at the merch? Like, hey, you're gonna get this money here, but the user has to pay up. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's as simple as the merchants saying yes or no. This is like a firm or zip. Or quad pay. That's mm-hmm. what zip is now. Or like, you know, PayPal can do the same thing. I assume is if it's a merchant that allows those, it'll be the same exact thing here. Cause there is a there there are there are options already just like this that are like you could almost call this a clone of them. Mm. So right. Also, too, we can see here that Apple has a number of family sharing updates planned for iOS 16. Uh, this is mostly including like easier ways for parents to manage your kids' accounts and devices, such as quick start setup process that will let parents more easily set up a new Apple device for their child with all the parental controls in place, and also a new feature for a fam coming to family sharing involving photos. 
within your family, you'll have a dedicated iCloud photo library, which you can share photos within the specific family. So let's say for instance, you and Hatsune Miku, right? You got you. She has an iPhone. You have an iPhone. <laughs> And next thing you know, the two of you want to make your own, like, photo library that only you two could share. Now you guys will be able to. <laughs> I mean, what? You guys have to make some family photos somehow. Now you. <laughs> also, too, there are other updates coming to Wallet, Home Kit, CarPlay, and more. But there's also going to be a safety check feature, which will let you review and reset access you've granted to others. So, like for instance, like in case you ever need to remove someone's access, you'll be able to use safety check to do things like stop location share by Find My and reset permissions previously granted for certain apps. So that could be pretty useful. In certain situations. Mm -hmm. But then we get to this announcement here. And again, we're going to come back to this more in depth. So they announced a MacBook Air M2 and a MacBook Pro M2. What does the M2 stand for? Hmm. Maybe a new M2 chipset? Like, even as I mentioned earlier, as this article mentions, it's uncharacteristic for these WWDC conferences to announce hardware. And, they're and both these chips are going to run on these, um, at least the uh, MacBook. Yeah, these two MacBooks are going to use the M2 chipset. And looking at the MacBook Air M2... This is promising to have 18% faster CPU performance and 35% faster GPU performance than the M1 chipsets. The new MacBook Air also has a totally different design. And I don't know if this is the MacBook Air, but it does seem like a very minimalistic laptop if this is actually the case. Yes, yeah, certainly. Are you talking about the one that says Sherilyn Low? Yeah. Yeah. I believe that's that's it. Mm. The new design, I mean. <laughs> and we're not going to focus so much on the, you know, the specifications of the uh, other specifications more so than that chip. Cause we're going to go more in depth about the chip. Cause I think that's the thing that captivates us more is that this chip has a lot of implications for you know. <laughs> their devices because we know that apple likes to make their own silicon and again like we always know their own ports and everything they have to make things as apple as possible mm -hmm. so we're gonna see what they did here also for those of you who are fans of mag safe charging well you're gonna get your mags you're gonna get you're gonna get your mag safe charger so hope you guys are happy with that one And then the M2 chipset will also hit the 13-inch MacBook Pro. And it's going to provide a similar performance boost. And the MacBook M2, well, the Pro, will have an 8-core CPU and a 10-core GPU. 
support up to 24 gigabytes of RAM and up to two terabytes of storage, plus a battery life of up to 20 hours. That's actually pretty good for a freaking MacBook. Starts it up to twelve ninety nine. Well, so one thousand, like, you know, twelve hundred ninety nine. Yeah. So, it's like, do you want the super slim MacBook that can easily take with you on the go, or rather take the sheer power? I mean, I'd rather take the sheer power at that point. A Nimbus power. Mm-hmm. And they also mentioned some, you know, things that's going to add to Mac OS. This is Dumb Ventura, which will bring a handful of improvements to organization collaboration. So this is kind of like more business focus. But as you'll we'll see later on, there's going to be a bit of a gaming focus on this update as well. <laughs> so first off, there's also Stage Manager, which presents a new way to organize app windows on desktop. Automatic putting the app you're currently working on in front and center. Other active apps will be highlighted in a separate side dock into which you can drag and drop files to share, copy, paste, and more. Mail get updates. Again, it's the mail app. And then there's also the new handoff and continue continuity features coming to FaceTime on Mac OS. For the former, you'll need to hand off a FaceTime call start on your iPhone to your Mac seamlessly, allowing you to use a larger screen when you need it. This just reminds me of when I can just use my Discord on my phone, go on my desktop, and just click answer call. Bam. Discord been pretty seamless to that already. Uh, yeah, certainly. Sometimes it's some people don't even know, and they're like, wait, did your mic change? <laughs> yeah, Discord's yeah. pretty seamless already. We could just be like, Oh, I use this device here. Plop. So. Mm. Also, using in-development magnetic stitch, you'll be able to attach your iPhone to your Mac screen and use it as a camera for your MacBook. Oh. That, that's interesting. Like, imagine being using your low rear cameras on your iPhone as, like, your webcam. Yeah, that sounds, sounds pretty cool. Mm. And here's another thing they're interesting too is pass keys, which are digital keys securely stored on the device, and they're designed to replace passwords. These unique pass keys are stored in the cloud, which Apple claims make them less susceptible to phishing and theft attempts. Pass keys will integrate with Touch ID and Face ID at Apple devices for biometric authentication, and they can be synced with other Apple devices via iCloud Keychain. Okay. So these are these special little keys that you can use to get on the websites easier. And then if you want a like, super easy login, you just use touch ID or face ID. Mm -hmm. Pretty neat, pretty neat. I mean these little features here just you know improve things with mail and you know syncing with FaceTime and stuff. That's pretty nice quality of life improvements. Definitely. <laughs> iPad OS 16 are just getting a lot of the features from iOS 16 and Mac OS, you know, kind of merged in, but also they're going to get things like new collaboration perks, updated game center profiles, and share capabilities, and its own version of Mac OS stage manager feature. 
So like they're clearly trying to get a lot of these desktop features merged into iOS into the iPad version to make it seem like this is gonna be the the, the hybrid between a laptop and the iPhone. Like it seems I kinda of been seeing this recently. Like I don't know why sometimes I wonder why the world is iPad just getting kind of split off from iOS, but then you see things like this and it kind of starts to make a little more sense. Yeah. I hear it. I think this is the last major thing we have to talk about. It just watch OS. That's a strange clock. (laughs) Yeah, because people could like chain like the handles look or whatever. So... But yeah, Apple Watch will get some ha- some new exercise features. Both these are confined to the workout app where you'll be able to keep track of heart rate zones while exercising and even set goals based on the heart rate zone. And runners will appreciate the new trackable metrics available in the workout app, including vertical oscillation, stride length, and ground contact time. Perfect to those who want to sprint to their love of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he already went after Hatsune Miku. This is great. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> he probably already went out of his way to pick up an, an Apple Watch just for the exact feature. <laughs> he went so fast that he's breaking the i i the Apple Watch's you know metrics already. He just that into Hatsune Miku. <laughs> Sleep tracking on Apple Watch will also get better at Watch OS 9 thanks to the addition of sleep stages. The watch will now be able to monitor when you're in REM core and deep sleep, recording the amount of time you spend in each phase as well as the amount of time you spend awake each night. Again, perfect for someone who's dreaming of meeting their fiance. I could see some lucid dreaming applications. Exactly. And finally, in the health and fitness realm, Apple's new medications app will make it easy for watchers to track the medications, vitamins, and supplements they take and how often they take them. It has a reminder feature which will use the audio and haptic alert on the watch to ping you when you need to take one of our medications throughout the day. One of our? What? I don't, I think it's supposed to be one of your medications throughout the day. Wow. Oh, okay. I would assume that's what it means. I mean, I don't think I'd want to take, you know, the engadget pill. Yeah, I don't want to take someone's antidepressants if their thing doesn't work for me. So, yeah. But I mean, granted, I mean, for those of you who actually do take antidepressants, I mean, I'm sure this will be a helpful feature for those who, you know, need alerts and stuff like that. So that way you can, you know, be as productive as you can throughout the day. Of course. Personally, I would need that. Mm. So, but now we're going to diverge. I mean, all these features overall, I think are pretty cool. Most of these are all like quality of life changes that I think speak the the overall experience of using, you know, 
iOS, iPad OS, and Mac OS Ventura smoother. I mean, especially the I mean the the watch OS changes are just perfect for Fuho Packet here because all he gets to do is sprint out, gets his workout every single day, does some you know chasing after his dreams of you know meeting up with his fiance. Great time. But I think the thing we're really looking forward to is the M2 chip. What is the thing capable of? I, that's a good question. Because we got some specifications on this M2 chip. And as we mentioned before, this will be in the MacBook Air 2022 and MacBook Pro 2022. And here's what we got here. There's a new five nanometer chip is, which is a, this is going to be a five nanometer chip with an eight core GPU and up to a 12 core GPU. The performance improvements over M1 features 20 billion transistors, which Apple clipped is 25% more than the M1 can support hundred gigabytes per second of unified memory bandwidth supports up to 24 gigabytes of unified memory, 16 core neural engine with improvements over M1 neural engine and cable playing back multiple streams of ProRes 4K and 8K visual video, which is pretty incredible actually for what they're, they're putting out. Yeah, I just hope it's, I don't understand if that's wasted on, um, these laptops, but okay. Right. Also, to, I mean, we don't need to look at the really state configurations, really. But all we can say is that the M2 chip, and there's a diagram in the Tom Guides article, which detailed everything in a nice and convenient image. Like, look at this. They say the M2, yeah, the M2 chip is configurable with an 8-core CPU up to a 10-core GPU, which is improvement over the M1, which is configurable with an 8-core CPU and an 8-core GPU. So, in other words, the GPU is the thing that got bumped up. The CPU is still the same, roughly, but the GPU got increased. Okay. But the this is not... However, the base M2 chip is not as powerful as the M1 Pro or the M1 Max chips. Which I have a feeling that eventually there will be an M2 Pro to M2 Max. And that those chips are going to be ridiculous for ARM chips. Like whatever the M2 Pro is going to be. Oh, yeah. That thing's going to out, outperform the M1. And whatever the M2 Max is going to be, that thing is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. And obviously, Apple's claiming the M2 chip is capable of up to 80% greater multi-core performance than the M1. And, yeah. This is going to be a 16-core neural engine built into the M2. The neural engine in the M2 can process up to 15.8 trillion operations per second. And you can see this little graph as well. Like, there's a graph this article had that shows 
like here is the power consumption in watts versus relative performance. And as you can see here, there's greater performance in relation to power consumption. Basically off what Apple is saying. Like, especially get to around like the 12.5 watt range, you can see like a pretty significant spike. And you can. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry. No worries. But, Continue what you were saying. Yeah. Um, I. I can. Um, I can see that. I, I don't know. I don't know. What I was gonna say. I'm sorry. No worries. I think you're. I thinking you're just trying to think of how fast can this computer render a Hatsune Miku, 3D model. Anyways. Yeah. So I think overall, I mean, this is looking like a very capable chip in terms of its on paper specs. Like, how well is this chip going to perform? We don't know. But the main thing this M this M series chip is going to be capable of is the fact this could this is probably going to be featured on an iPad down the road or an iPhone even. Because this is an R-based chip, it, you can see this being used in like mobile devices, and that's what makes this really exciting to see. Like, how's Apple going to advance their own products? Mm-hmm. Also, too, I mean, the finished Apple segment off. We have to talk about Metal FX, and what is it? So, Metal FX. Upscaling is kind of similar to like you know Nvidia has with the you know DLSS and AMD Super FX, and they confirmed a couple of games that will be taking advantage of that technology. Okay. These include No Man's Sky and Resident Evil Eight. And these games will have native Mac versions. I see. <laughs> All right. So you can see here is that we want to long take gaming initiatives from Apple in action. The first game we're going to get to see uses Metal FX upscale will be No Man's Sky and Resident Evil Village. Both are set to come out on Mac OS sometime later this year. And when it comes to social side of gaming, Mac has just Apple has introduced activity feature to Game Center. This allows support again to share information like what games you're currently playing in your achievements or scored with your friends on the app. It also works with Apple SharePlay, which is integrated into Apple's ecosystem pretty heavily. So it looks like that's what I mean. Like if you're gonna bring games like No Man's Sky and Resident Evil Village to you know Mac, yeah, they may be a bit, you know, older per se. But we have, as far as I can tell, I haven't seen Apple this big into gaming in a while. 
certainly. And uh, the fact that they're, um, you know, uh, you know, dabbling into, you know, uh, upscaling sort of stuff. Um, I, you know, I can only assume, you know, I, 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 I kind of think that they might be, I, I think they might be, uh, how do I say this? I think they'll probably use this in stuff like, uh, you know, to, I think they'll probably use this towards, um, you know, uh, towards these games, you know? Oh, certainly. Because, uh, because although they might say, you know, that, you know, this can run this and that, I'm only like a tad bit concerned because this is Apple's first, you know, kind of real step into putting something major towards gaming, you know, in a long while. Right. Granted, they've had things like Apple Arcade, which is kind of like a pseudo gay pass like subscription for like their more mobile games and stuff. They can like plug into Apple TV and play these games. Yeah, but is it's that nothing, really? Yeah, it's, it doesn't compare to anything like, say, putting No Man's Sky and Resident Evil Village on Mac. Mm hmm. I mean, I'm sure you probably could, you know, go through the hassle of like downloading Steam and putting a version of Wine through Mac and just playing, you know, the game through that way. But at the same time, it doesn't compare with, you know, having a native version that fully works. <laughs> I mean, if Skyrim got ported to this thing, then, yeah, that would just be terrible. <laughs> I mean, how many ports to Skype do we really need? I have bought the Xbox One version, and then I upgraded that to the Series X version. Okay, maybe um, I bought enough Skyrim copies. If I really wanted to be a shill, I would probably just buy the Switch version and then at the anniversary edition thing comes true that I can upgrade that. <laughs> but I know the main thing that Lumopaka wants. He wants more K-pop. No, I don't. He really wants his K-pop because... Back in May. No. Apple Music launched a weekly series featuring BTS. <laughs> That's right. So BTS no. revealed revealed their gradual journey to becoming K-pop superstars through a new Apple Music limited series. The streaming service announced on May 26th that BTS will launch their new show, BTS Radio, past and present on Apple Music One. Through three episode limited series will air weekly, leading up to the release of the band's new anthology album, Proof, which arrived on June 10th. 
So, yes, right. I'm sure Flu of Alpaca went crazy for these for this news. No, I did not. I mean, this is what he no. wanted. More K-pop. No. <laughs> I mean, this is probably a good thing to watch with the fiance, right? You got J-pop, and you're watching K-pop. Oh. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's it's all in harmony. They say. Oh, you. So, I mean, hey, that's a lovely little thing for you guys. Just go ahead, fire up your Apple TV, and go watch a BTS series. I mean, yeah, it sounds like a great time. Oh. <laughs> but on the other hand, though, Google Ads is going through an antitrust lawsuit. Because... Well, not lost, but you know what I mean. They're going through some antitrust issues because there's a Senate bill that could break up Google's ad business. Because <laughs> according to Engadget, the Competition and Transparency and Digital Advertising Act won bipartisan support. So there's a bill that would break up Google's advertising business if this law becomes... It, if the if it comes law has been issues in the Senate, the Competition and Transparency Digital Advertising Act, which has support for both sides, would prevent companies from that process more than twenty billion dollars of annual digital ad transactions from participating in more than one part of the digital advertising ecosystem. Which, which based off that, Google easily falls under that distinction. It generated fifty-four point seven billion dollars in ad revenue last quarter alone. Is that while other companies met, meet the dollar figure threshold of the proposed rules, Google has a hand in many aspects of the advertising process. It runs exchange where ad networks bid on inventory. It also offers tools to help companies buy and sell ads. A House of Representatives version of the legislation is also expected to be introduced Im imminently. If the bill becomes law, Google would have to exit some of those businesses. It would have a year to comply the rules after the law is enacted. Meta may also be impacted by the legislation because Meta also has a big advertising thing. But here's another thing, though, too. How does how do YouTube partners make ads? Uh, wow, that's weird. How do YouTube partners make revenue? Through AdSense. Among other things. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, if this becomes law, this could potentially screw over content creators. Oh, I see. Because if Google has to exit some of the businesses that YouTube would need to make, you know, for the content creators to make money... then that could obviously be a bit of a problem. Yeah, it's, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. 
Also, too, is that when you have Google simultaneously serving as a seller and a buyer and running an exchange, that gives them an unfair, unto advantage in the marketplace, one that doesn't necessarily reflect the value they are providing. When a company can wear all these hats simultaneously, it can engage in conduct that harms everyone. And this was said from Senator Mike Lee of Utah. And he is the ranking member of the Subcommittee on Competition Policy, Antitrust, and Consumer Rights. Committee Chair Amy Klobuchar is a co-sponsor of the bill, as are Senator Ted Cruz and Richard Blumenthal. And according to one of these guys, it mentions advertising tools from Google and many competitors help American websites and apps fund their content, help businesses grow, and help protect users from privacy risks and misleading ads. The Google spokesperson told Engadget, breaking those tools would hurt publishers and advertisers, lower ad quality, and create new privacy risks. And at a time of heightened inflation, it would handicap small businesses looking for easy and effective ways to grow online. There are issues low-quality data brokers who threaten Americans' privacy and flood them with spammy ads. In short, this is the wrong bill at the wrong time, aimed at the wrong target. Other provisions of the bill include rules for companies that process at least $5 billion in ad transactions per year. Yep, they require to provide transparent pricing and act in their consumers' be- customers' best interests. And customers would have the option to over breach of those. But the thing that's crazy about this is, like I said, I kind of see Google's perspective on this. Breaking those tools would hurt publishers and advertisers, lower ad quality, and create new privacy risks. And at a time of heightened inflation, it would handicap small businesses, which I feel would include content creators, looking for easy and effective ways to grow online. So as if it's already hard enough for small careers to grow on YouTube, this would actually make it even harder. Mm-hmm. And while the attention of these, you know, of, you know, co- you know, the congressional system is rather noble. Like, hey, you have a company that has way too much power in the advertising business. Let's try and break them up. The problem with some of these tech servers is the fact that a lot of things they make are so integrated with each other. Certainly. Like, I'm sure you could tell, like, how many times do you go on, you know, your Google account, right? Mm-hmm. Your Google account, also not only does it have your apps on it, but it also has your search history. It has your YouTube history. It has, like, everything, even, like... You just get on an Android phone like this Google Pixel 6 requires logging into the Google account. Mm-hmm. Like, and even though, like, just breaking up an ad business, that's what I mean, like, a lot of Google's products, like AdSense and, you know what I mean, and Google Ads are very integrated with each other. There's a lot of integration between all of Google's products. You want to go to Google Chat? Oh, you need a Google account for that. Like Microsoft, especially too, has a lot of integration too. Like, how many times do you have to mention Xbox Live? And you need a Microsoft account to get on that. And then you have to use that same Microsoft account to get to Skype and then Teams and then to get to Microsoft Office. And now you need a a Microsoft account to log into freaking Windows. (laughs) Yeah, that's a 
<laughs> so you break one system, you're literally destroying how a company operates or how how do you log into that? Like you literally are just completely crippling the integration a lot of these companies have with their products. <laughs> like as we went with, with Apple too, like they have heavy integration with you know, in order to log into an Apple device, you need an Apple ID. They say Apple ID can be used to access your files on the cloud to then be able to go to the Apple store and buy apps. And then ultimately the same purchase you have from your Mac OS, some of the apps can then carry back to work soon to the iPhone and vice versa. That's what a lot of people like is the seamlessness. And then if some of this if there's too much government intervention with you know how seamless these apps are, there could be some complaints about this stuff. Let's see. Yeah. Potentially. Because it's it's gonna break the mold of how they work, you know, how they integrate everything uh you know uh like you said how it's gonna it's gonna destroy that ability to you know uh you said it's like it would be much more difficult to like you know uh just use your google account to log into i don't know pinterest or something right yeah like it's one thing if you know it's separated it's another if it's a part of an entire company's network. Okay. Like Pinterest, obviously, you know, it's a completely separate company. They could just like, oh, yeah, by the way, you can just log into your Facebook or Google account. Go right ahead. We'll just take the confirmation you have from that, and then you could just create an account using that. Because there's some permission. So a lot of these tech companies as well, like you go on websites or whatever, like how many times do you go on like say playstation right mm-hmm. or and that or discord even and they're like hey here's a different way to log in actually twitter even has a way you can lo- just log into twitter right from a google account i believe mm-hmm. so technically congratulations foofball packet you could technically just make a twitter account in five seconds just by using your google account no never <laughs> Right. But yeah, I just think like I mean, yeah, while the intentions of the lawmakers are in you know, valid in the fact that Google has a massive like an obscene control over the advertising marketplace and that this bill would be justified, I do also think that with how integrated a lot of aspects within certain companies are, like Microsoft or Google or Meta or Apple it would just fracture like how business it these segments like interact with each other i see all right like do you have any additional thoughts on this topic too uh not really not really no Okay, then we can at least make a you know a, a bit of a brighter story here, and that's the fact that Google at least is trying to make Android more accessible for Braille users. For the so for those who don't know what Braille is, it is a type of it the it's like a texture language that a lot of blind people use to you know understand text and be able to read and understand words. 
This is a very useful thing. Certainly. So, so we're just going to read this entire letter, letter right from Google itself. The heart of our mission at Google is making the world's information truly accessible. But the reality is we can only realize this mission with the help of the community. This year IO, we announced one more step in the right direction. Thanks to feedback and help from our users, we're making it easier for Braille users to use Android. Available our next Android 13 beta in a few weeks, we're beginning to build out of-the-box support for Braille displays in TalkBack, our screen reader within Android. Our refreshable Braille display is an electromechanical device that creates Braille patterns by raising rounded pins through holes in a flat surface. Braille literate computer users use the Braille display to touch read braille dots representing text with the display you can also type out braille these devices help people with deaf blindness access mobile phones and people with blindness use their phones silently previously people connected their android devices to braille displays using the braille back app which required a separate dial from the play store or use a virtual keyboard and talk back to have a physical device with this new update, there are no additional downloads necessary to use most Braille displays. People can use Braille displays to access many of the same features available with TalkBack. For instance, you can use display buttons to navigate your screen and then to activities like compose an email, make a phone call, send a text message, or read a book. There are new shortcuts that make it easier to use Braille displays with TalkBack. Now there are shortcuts for navigating, so it's easier to scroll and move to the next character, word, or line. There are also shortcuts for settings and for editing, like jumping to the end of documents or selecting copying and pasting. And yeah, like this is great news. Yeah, certainly. I've, uh, I've, uh, no, nothing to complain about, honestly, when it comes to this. I'd rather have this than, you know, you know, there's no harm. So, of course, it, it, it's just a really it's just a feel good story like to, to see more people being able to access the technology that they love. Definitely. But we also have some things to talk about with Microsoft as well. One person will want to roast and then a couple other little key announcements here that should make things you know better for everybody. And as we can see here, there are a couple of announcements from Microsoft. The first of which is that Microsoft just had build 2022. This was back at May 24th. And they're doing very, a couple things, such as new app building tools to enable you to take your existing code and make it incredibly compelling windows, new ways to reach and engage customers through the Microsoft Store, and a new development in kit with AI capabilities, Project Volterra, which we're going to get to in a moment, and a comprehensive ARM native developer tool chain. They are building toward our vision for a world of intelligent hybrid compute, bringing together local compute on the CPU, GPU, and NPU, and cloud compute with Azure. In the future, moving compute workloads between client and cloud will be as dynamic and seamless as moving between Wi-Fi and cellular on your phone today. So this here is like very, like very technical. The core consumer will likely have almost no idea what in the world 
neural processing units are or how like Azure and Windows would work together to enable you to bring new classes of applications to life. And that with Windows 65, Xbox Cloud Gaming and Azure, like all this stuff, we have an idea what this is, but this is like going really into the cloud. Of course. So to start us off, we have some new app link tools and Windows subsystem updates. So they're doing things for for building Windows desktop apps, the Windows app SDK and WinUI 3 platform, make it easy to build rich native apps for Windows 11 using C, C Sharp or C++, also using reaching users on Windows 10. The latest Windows app SDK 1.1 updates and preview will be released soon with new features like Fluent Visual Materials in WinUI 3, update desktop windowing APIs, enhancements to push notifications, new environment variable APIs for C++, and various performance improvements. And they're going to also update two tools. These include Template Studio for WinUI for C Sharp, this Visual Studio extension makes it easy to get started building a new C-Sharp WinUI 3 app. It provides project scaffolding for your app UI, logic, and packaging. It's also .NET Upgrade Assistant, which, which is working on an update to this open source tool to help you automate migration of .NET UWT apps to .NET 6, including update from WinUI to the WinUI 3. Yes, yeah, so they're going to make it easier to you know upgrade UWSP apps, which would be pretty nice. So you know what the UWP format is, right? It's the app that Microsoft has used with like Windows 8. Um, I'm not too familiar with it, no. Yeah, it's a very specific like app format that is used a lot with like the Windows Store apps. I see. So if, right. you're, if you've been familiar with like downloading like a Windows app, like an app from like the Windows 8 store, it's likely a UWP app. Okay. So what they're essentially and Microsoft has slowly been moving away from UWP <laughs> to more up to date coding standards. That's yeah. essentially what they're doing here. Okay. I see. For class for cross platform app development. .NET Multi-Platform App UI 1.0 was just released, and .NET MAUI helps you build apps that can run on Android, iOS, macOS, and Windows from a shared code base, and it's built up on top of WinUI 3 on Windows. So this is like a UI that makes it so it's easier to run on multiple different OSs, which is good. Mm -hmm. And they also are interesting a thing called Progressive Web App, which enables you to distribute and install your site like an app and take advantage of richer OS capabilities. So, in other words, like this is something you'd probably notice if you like. Have you ever had like pin a website to your taskbar from like Edge? Uh, yeah. I actually do this with the YouTube music myself, in which you could actually like take a website and you pin it to the taskbar it essentially turns it into like a pseudo app <laughs> that's essentially what a progressive web app is i see and they're also making these app 
apps more powerful on Windows and have most recently enabled new features like URL protocol handler registration and Windows control overlay for custom title bars. And just okay, it's just going over a lot of the major, like minor things. And this, I think this, if I remember right, this is gonna mean that you can start making third-party widgets soon. Which is a big complaint I've had of Windows 11 so far on my laptop I have. Is the fact that right now it just feels like you just go on the you know the default Microsoft Edge page. Hmm. With that just happens to just be force built into the operating system. You can't add like other third party capabilities to like make it more useful. Let's see. This makes it seem like you could actually, you know, make widgets and actually do some cool things. So let's take a look at this. So widgets in Windows 11 provide a fresh, glanceable, useful view into app content for users. We're energized by customer feedback on widgets to date. People are enjoying the quick access content. Most important to them seriously without breaking their flow. Getting this later this year, you'll be able to start building widgets as campaign experience to Win32 and PWA apps on Windows 11 powered by Adaptive Card Platform. Yep. This is exactly what I thought. So this is great news, obviously, for those using Windows 11 right now. I mean... Personally, I would like to have some cooler widgets that aren't just making me feel like I'm just using, you know, the default, you know, Microsoft Edge web page that just built into the computer. Yeah. So anything to make it, this feature more compelling and useful to me is welcome. Okay. Also, they mentioned again how they rebuilt the Windows 11 store. So, what they're doing is they're placing success at its core and designed to help you run your business with open policies. The Microsoft Store on Windows gives you the choice to use the commerce engine that we provide with industry leading revenue share or your commerce engine in your app in case you want to keep all the revenue. And they're adding a couple other, you know, Announcements such as Microsoft Store open to all, and they removed a waitlist program for Win32 applications in the Microsoft Store. So they fully opened the floodgates. All right. Also, Microsoft Store ads, based on feedback from the developer community, we're soon piloting new developer tools to reach the right customers at the right time using Microsoft advertising. Developers will be able to create, run, and do ad campaigns in the store, improving discoverability and conversion for apps. So that's cool. And obviously, the Amazon App Store for Windows 11 that's being integrated into a Windows 11 store that makes it so Windows 11 can use Android apps. That's a big one. So, imagine Fluvo Paco running TikTok on his computer. And all he just has to do sit back and watch all the people the, the people covering Hatsune Miku songs. It's a field day for him. No. And now we get to what I think probably the more interesting announcements on this whole thing. Project Volterra. We believe in an open hardware ecosystem for Windows giving you more flexibility and more options and the ability to support a wide range of scenarios. As such, we are 
always evolving the platform to support new emerging hardware platforms and technologies. As we look forward to what is next and how we can further innovate in the space, we are excited to announce Project Volterra, a new device powered by Snapdragon compute platform. With Product Volterra, you'll be able to explore many AI scenarios via the new Qualcomm Neural Processing SDK Windows Toolkit announced today by Qualcomm Technologies. And because we expect to see NPUs being built into most, if not all, future computing devices, we're going to make it easy for developers to, to leverage these new capabilities by making support for NPUs into the end-to-end Windows platform. And you can kind of see like how they're building this out. This is mostly a development computer. That's what this is. It's a development computer. And you can see like how there's gonna have a Python, Node.js, getting this Dragon One. And a lot of the stuff here we're not going to get into because, again, what we've seen, this is a, a very complex, you know, development stuff. My first impressions of this overall is that there's some good changes to those things like the Microsoft Store, a new computer that dedicates development for you know future technologies, and the fact that we're getting open, you know, third-party widgets is great to see. Mm-hmm, certainly. And just some overall improvement to coding and app development is always pleasing to see, especially when you get like new changes to proc compatibility and all that stuff. On the employee side, though, there's a couple interesting things. There's going to be some new employee work sh- workforce initiatives. This includes power empowering employee mobility, fostering a safe pace for concerns, increasing payer transparency, and conducting a civil rights audit. So empowering employee employee mobility. This is this is essentially saying that Microsoft believes that all employees should be powered to work at a company they love in a role they want to thrive. We work hard to retain our world-class talent by making people the priority and creating a culture that attracts, inspires world-class talent to unlock innovation aligned to our mission. While our existing employee agreements have not compete obligations, we do not endorse the use of such provisions as a retention tool. We have heard concerns that the non-competition clause in the United States employee agreements, even when rarely and reasonably enforced, feel at odds with our talent principles. With these concerns in mind, we are announcing that we are removing non-competition clauses from our U.S. employee agreements. It will not enforce existing non-competition clauses in the United States, with the exception of Microsoft's most senior leadership. Back to today. In practice, what this means is that those U.S. employees will not be restricted by a non-compete clause in seeking employment with another company who may be considered a Microsoft competitor. This is huge. So a non-compete clause, if you're curious, is essentially... If you is that saying that you can't work for a competitor if you decide to work with us. Okay. And that so so in other words, it's used as a try to keep them people, you know, in the same company. So you know, risk, you know, losing them. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that is a big one. I think being able to freely move around, like if you think something seems harsh, just go ahead and find another place to work. Yeah, I, I to be honest, I, I don't like the idea of oh you can't uh, go to our competitor and you know legally because we said so and you worked for us. Mm. I think that's a stupid restriction. That's really like. Ugh. I hate the power some companies have. Right. Also, they're looking to foster a safe space for concerns. And you can see here, Microsoft's policies and practices aim to reinforce that Microsoft is a safe space for employees to raise concerns. Our U.S. employee agreements specifically highlight employees' right to discuss or share terms and conditions of employment. Our concerns are possible misconduct under Microsoft's policy. Separate from employee agreements, there have been times when Microsoft resolved disputes with employees provided separation of benefits through agreements that typically include contract provisions. Oh, and get this. Microsoft has heard feedback that we could further strengthen our workplace culture, encourage employees to come forward with workplace concerns by addressing these non-disclosure clauses. Sounds like something that could be useful for another company that says they're day to day do things, but not really. More on that at seven. Yeah. <laughs> to that end, Microsoft's U.S. settlement and separation agreements no longer include confidentiality language that prevents workers from disclosing alleged conduct that per they perceive as illegal discrimination, harassment, retaliation, sexual harassment sexual assault or a wage and hour violation occurring in the workplace. A few of those sound something very similar to what we've seen in another company, and we talked about them earlier in the show. Hmm. Something an AB company may, you know? Some, I don't know, Activision Blizzard, yeah. yeah. Activision Blizzard can really learn from this. Especially if Microsoft actually enforces this and not what we've seen Activision Blizzard do and that they are a little like, yeah, we say we do this thing, but it seems like they actually don't. Yep. Yeah, Activision Blizzard could really use that second. Per like, hopefully that deal goes through so that policy can actually be enforced. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, they also want to increase paid for transparency so obviously that's good definitely so you want to make sure you know how much you're making and how much others so that's obviously good and then conducting a civil rights audit so obviously this is all great news for employees of the microsoft this makes me want to really want to work for microsoft too at the same time like i would love to microsoft one of the companies i'd love to work for once i get my degree so I'd be happy with Microsoft. Thank you on that. Mm. But someone who won't be happy working for Microsoft is a lovely little man by the name of Alex Kitman. And he's actually leaving the company, according to Insider. His department church comes after the same publication reported allegations that he engaged in inappropriate touching and comments toward female employees. He also reportedly fostered a culture that diminished women's contributions. After Kitman told his team about his resignation, Microsoft Cloud AI VP Scott Guthrie announced a reorganization that would split the HoloLens group. An email that's also viewed by GeekWire 
Guthrie also said that the HoloLens hardware teams are joining Windows Plus devices groups under Pado's Paday. Meanwhile, the software teams are joining the Experiences Plus de devices division under Jeff Tepper. Guthrie also wrote that he and Kipman have been talking about the team path going forward over the past few months and that they had mutually decided that this is the right time for him to leave the company to pursue other opportunities. Kitman will all will apparently help with the team's transition over the next two months before leaving Microsoft entirely. And here's a funny thing. In the pre insider piece that reported allegations against Kitman, a source said he watched what essentially VR port in the office in front of his employees. A former executive also told the publication that they had witnessed him behave inappropriate towards women more than once. He recalled an incident wherein Kitman allegedly kept massaging a female employee's shoulder even after she kept shrugging her shoulders to get him to stop. <laughs> like, I'm looking at this one line. The, this first line here. Like, this sentence here. Like, what? <laughs> really? Like, why would you watch... VR pornography in front of everybody. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to just, you know. There, there's a time and place for everything. <laughs> this fucking guy. Like. <laughs> uh, Christ. This I, fucking guy. I mean, I know people who would be happy to do that in a more public setting, but I would not do that when I'm in the middle of my job. No. No, that is for when you get to home at late at night and it's been a long day or some shit, I guess. Like, that's not the fucking... This is not what you do. I, when I saw this article, I could not fucking... I could not understand just how stupid this the, the this allegation was in a sense of like this allegation if it's true holy shit like i've seen dumber things before but god damn that's oh that's fucking terrible it's all allegations but that's uh, fucking terrible if it's true yeah, there's a lot of stupid people. And like, and speaking of other things, people leaving, we have to talk about Cheryl Sandberg. What's going on there? And then we got God Howard trying to pray the light on me. You are talking about our new Lord and Savior, Microsoft. <laughs> In vain. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So Cheryl Sandberg was obviously a very key executive at Meta or Facebook. And she previously dated someone that we always like to roast on the show as well. Oh, yes, certainly. I I can't believe. I can't believe. <laughs> no wonder why. Yep. So, I mean. Yeah, it's. This was a big shock because this obviously shakes up a lot of Meta's, you know, corporate structure. Especially if she's the one that also supposedly helped guide Zuckerberg on how to leave Met lead Meta. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So now we can talk about the Cheryl Sandberg situation. And the first article here is right from Cheryl Sandberg herself. It's a whole big press release she has on her Facebook page. And it goes to quite a bit. So I guess we'll be reading all this out loud with each other today. Today, I am sharing the news that after 14 years, I will be leaving Meta. When I first met Mark, I was not really looking for a new job, and I could have never predicted how meeting him would change my life. We were at a holiday party at Daniel L. Rosenweig's house. I introduced to Mark as I walked in the door, and we started talking about his vision for Facebook. I had tried the Facebook, as it was first called, but still thought the internet was a largely anonymous place to search for funny pictures. Mark's belief that people would put their real selves online to connect with other people was so mesmerizing that we stood by that door and talked for the rest of that night. I told Dan later that I got a new life at that party, but never got a single drink, so he owed me one. Many months later, after countless, and I mean countless dinners and conversations with Bart, he offered me this job. It was chaotic at first. I would schedule a meeting with an engineer for 9 o'clock, only to find that they would not show up. They assumed I met 9 p.m. because who would come to work at 9 a.m.? We had some ads, but they were not performing well. And most advertisers I met wanted to take over our homepage like the Incredible Hulk movie had on MySpace. But was so angry I said no to her homepage idea that she slammed her fist on the table, walked out of the room, and never returned. That first summer, Mark realized that he had never had a chance to travel. So he went away for a month, leaving me and Matt Kohler in charge without a ton of direction and almost no ability to contact him. It seemed crazy, but it was a display of trust I had never forgotten. When I was considering joining Facebook, my late husband, Dave, counseled me not to jump in and immediately try to resolve every substantive issue with Mark, as we would face so many overtime. Instead, I would set up the right process with him. So on the way in, I asked Mark for three things that he would sit next to that. We would sit next to each other, that he would meet with me one on one every week. And that in those meetings, he would give me honest feedback when he thought I messed something up. Mark said yes to all three, but added that the feedback would have to be mutual. To this day, he has kept those promises. We still sit together. Okay, not through COVID meet one-on-one every week, and the feedback is immediate and real. Sitting by Mark's side for these 14 years has been the honor and privilege of a lifetime. Mark is a true visionary and a caring leader. He sometimes says that we grew up together, and we have. He was just 23 when I was already 38 when we met. But together, we have been through the massive ups and downs of running his this company as well as his marriage to the magnificent Priscilla, the sorrow of their miscarriages and the joy of their childbirths, the sudden loss of Dave, my engagement to Tom, and so much more. I'm sure Bobby Connick is there in there too somewhere. In the critical moments of my life, in the highest highs, in the depths of true lows, I had never had to turn to Mark because he was already there. When I joined Facebook, I had a two-year-old son and a six-month-old daughter. I did not know if this was the right time for a new and demanding role. The messages were everywhere that women and I could not be both a leader and a good mother, but I wanted to give it a try. Once I started, I realized that to see my children before they went to sleep, I had to leave the office at 5.30 p.m., which was when work 
was just go getting going for many of my new colleagues. In my previous role at Google, there were enough people in buildings that leaving early wasn't noticed. But Facebook was a small startup and there was nowhere to hide. More out of necessity than bravery. I found my nerve and walked out early anyway. Then, supported by Mark, I found my voice to admit this publicly and then talk about the challenges women face in the workplace. My hope was to make it a bit easier for others and help where women believe they can and should lead. I am beyond grateful to the thousands of brilliant, dedicated people at Meta, with whom I have had the privilege of working over the last 14 years. Every day, someone does something that stops me in my tracks and reminds me how lucky I am to be surrounded by such remarkable colleagues. This team is filled with exceptionally talented people who have poured their hearts and minds into building products that have had a profound impact on the world. It's because of this team, past and present, that more than 3 billion people use our products to keep in touch and share their experiences. More than 200 million businesses use them to create virtual storefronts, communicate with customers, and grow. Billions of dollars have been raised for causes people believe in. Behind each of these statistics is a story. Friends who would have lost touch, but it didn't. Families that stayed in contact despite being separated by oceans. Communities that have rallied together. Entrepreneurial people, especially women and others who have focused, have faced obstacles and discrimination. Who have turned their ideas into successful businesses. Content creators who wish to believe the hot CBQ is real. Last week, a friend saw a post about a mutual friend of ours having a baby and told me that she remembers how before Instagram, she would have missed that this moment when the women in Lean In's global circles community couldn't meet in person. They used Facebook to encourage each other and share advice for navigating work and life during the pandemic. At International Women's Day lunch, a woman told me that her Facebook birthday fundraiser generate enough money to provide shelter for two women experiencing domestic abuse. Just last month, I heard about how India, the self-employed women's association, connects over WhatsApp to organize and increase their collective bargaining power. I love traveling the world, physically and virtually, to meet small business owners and hear their stories, like Zuzana, Selika, Kalsinska, I in Poland, I apologize for the name mispronunciation, who started a business with her sister selling cuddly stuffed animals that make white noise to soothe crying baby. They began with a single Facebook post in 2014 and have gone on to sell more than sell in more than 20 countries and built a workforce mostly made up of moms like them. The debate around social media has changed beyond recognition since those early days. To say it hasn't always been easy is an understatement, but it should be hard. The products we have we make have a huge impact, so we have the responsibility to build them in a way that protects privacy and keeps people safe, just as I believe wholeheartedly in our mission, our industry, and the overwhelmingly positive power of connecting people. I and the dedicated people of Meta have felt our responsibilities deeply. I know that the extraordinary team at Meta will continue to work tirelessly to rise these challenges and keep making our company and our community better. I also know that our platform will continue to be an engine of growth for the business around the world that rely on us. When I took this job in 2008, I hope I'll be in this role for five years. 14 years later, it is time for me to write the next chapter of my life. I'm not entirely sure what the future will bring. I have learned no one ever is, but I know it will include focusing more on my foundation and philanthropic work, which is more important to me than 
ever, given how critical this moment is for women. And as Tom and I get married this summer, parenting our expanded family of five children. Over the next few months, Mark and I will transition my direct reports, and I will leave the company this fall. I still believe as strong as ever in our mission, and I'm honored that I will continue to serve on Meta's board of directors. I am so immensely proud of everything this team has achieved, the businesses we've helped, and the businesses we've built. The culture we've nurtured together, and I'm especially proud that this is a company where many, many exceptional women and people from diverse backgrounds have risen through our ranks and become leaders, both in our company and leadership roles elsewhere. Thank you to the colleagues who inspire me every day with their commitment to our mission, to our partners around the world who have enabled us to build a business that serves their businesses, especially to Mark for giving me this opportunity and being one of the best friends anyone could ever have. Also, congratulations to Fufo Packa on your engagement. I don't know, Pikachu. <laughs> so, other than my points, a satellite. <laughs> so, other than my points. <laughs> Uh, so, other than my points of satire, I mean, this is good public. This is good public, you know, public perception. <laughs> PR speak. Noting a lot of accomplishments she's. <laughs> 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 Anyways, yeah, I was saying. <laughs> Besides my po my point of satire, this is actually very good PR speak. <laughs> yeah, like she knows all the accomplishments she tried to you know she was a part of, and like some examples of work she's been able to contact people with. And she's given a pretty heartfelt story, honestly. Sure, I made poked fun at her for dating Bobby Connick, but. I mean, honestly, like she seemed, if she was able to give Mark Zuckerberg the knowledge he had to help lead Facebook and now Meta, I feel like this is a good story. I feel like maybe she was a good mentor for him. Controversies aside. Yeah, a great mentor. Except, uh, well, you know. Of course. I mean, obviously, we've seen actions such as try to, supposedly trying to silence a magazine for trying to depict something that she was involved with. <laughs> but like I said, despite these controversies, which I wholeheartedly agree that we should have the right to remain critical. She seemed to have given Mark a lot of the knowledge he had to help run Meta and turn into what it is today. Yeah. But speaking of Mark Zuckerberg, what about his side of the story? Okay, this is another long one, so brace yourself. Get your get your ass cheeks clenched on the chair. Get your Hatsune Miku body pillows clenched and hugged tightly. Hold on to your rubber ducks, because this is another big one. <laughs> All right, enough holding. 
It's the end of an era. After 14 years, my good friend and partner Cheryl Sandberg is stepping down as CEO of Meta. When Cheryl joined me in 2008, I was only 23 year old and I barely knew anything about running a company. We built a great product, the Facebook website, but we didn't yet have a profitable business. We were struggling to transition from a small startup to a real organization. Cheryl architected our ads business, hired great people, forged our management culture, and taught me how to run a company. She created opportunities for millions of people around the world, and she deserves the credit for so much of what Meta is today. It's unusual for a business partnership like ours to last so long. I think ours did because Cheryl is such an amazing person, leader, partner, and friend. She cares deeply about the people in her life, and she's generous about nurturing relationships and helping you grow as a person. She has taught me so much, and she has been there for many of the, of the important moments in my life, both personally and professionally. Whether going through the different transitions we've made as a company over the years, or when she supported me and Priscilla as we navigate challenges having children, our partnerships have always been deeper than just business. I'm going to miss running this company with Cheryl, but I'm glad she'll continue to serve on our board directors so we can benefit from her wisdom and experience even after she transitions out of her day-to-day -day management role in the coming months. Looking forward, I don't plan to replace Cheryl's role in our existing structure. I'm not sure that would be possible since she's a superstar who defined the CEO role in her own unique way. But even if it were possible, I think Meta has reached the point where it makes sense for our product and business groups to be more closely integrated rather than having all the business and operations function organized separately from our products. One of Cheryl's greatest legacies is the incredible team she has built. Some of these leaders have already stepped up into larger roles reporting to me, like Nick Clegg as President Global Affairs and Jennifer Newstead as Chief Legal Officer. Martin Levine, our chief business officer and the top business person who handles our partnerships, will report to Javier Olivon so that our ads and business platform product group will be closer to the Meta business group. Javi will become our next COO since he will now lead our integrated ads and business products in addition to continue to lead our infrastructure, integrity, analytics, marketing, corporate development, and growth teams. But this role will be different from what Cheryl has done. It'll be more a more traditional COO role where Javi will be focused internally and operationally building on a strong track record of making our execution more efficient and rigorous. As part of this, Molly Cutler, our VP strategic response, will join Javi's team and report to Naomi Gleit. Justin Asofsky report to Chris Cox in addition to his role overseeing global operations and Instagram's business organization. Justin will now take on an additional responsibility of building a content team that will works across business and product or train our AI recommendation systems to help you discover the most interesting, relevant, personalized content across Facebook and Instagram. So essentially, it seems like Justin is going to be like Susan in YouTube. Uh, Lori Goler, our head of people will now report directly to me. Maxine Williams, our Chief Diversity Officer, will continue her role in our people team, working on my staff as well. These are all talented and experienced leaders who I've worked closely with over the years, and I'm confident they'll continue to do great work in this new structure. I'm sad that the day coming when I will get to work as close with Cheryl, 
but more than anything, I'm grateful for anything she has done to build Meta. She has done so much for me, for our community, and for the world, and we're all better for it. All right, we got two very long letters of lots of PR speak. But honestly, from what I've seen of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Cheryl, like there are many images where the two of them are right next to each other. She's very well known. Mm -hmm. Novice, like I said, she's such a apparently she if she's able to have helped Mark Zuckerberg lead Meta. I think she must have done a pretty good job of you know, helping him understand how to lead a business. Mm-hmm. How is that to I, say? Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Right. Any. <sighs> right. Anyway. Of course, but there's one elephant in the room that we had to talk about here. And that's that Meta lawyers are reportedly investigating Cheryl Sandberg's use of company resources. So, as I mentioned before, there were some controversies with Cheryl Sandberg. While they may be minor and not known, she does have her fair share of controversies nonetheless. In this case, this is the fact that Meta's lawyers are investigating outgoing COO Cheryl Sandberg amid claims she misused company resources. This is from the Wall Street Journal. The paper says the investigation goes back several years and is scrutinizing Meta employees' work on Sandberg's personal projects. When Sandberg first announced her departure from the company, the Wall Street Journal reported the company was examining whether she had improperly used company resources in planning her upcoming wedding. And then later it goes on to mention how Meta lawyers are reportedly looking at Facebook staff's involvement with Sandberg's foundation Lean In, and then work to help her promote her most recent book, Option B. The company has also investigated reports that Sandberg used Facebook staffers in an attempt to kill a negative story about her former partner, Activision CEO, Bobby Kotick. And this was something that we did bring up earlier when we were talking about this whole thing. As I did. Mm-hmm. The company could be looking to head off regulatory concerns that could arise if such work wasn't properly disclosed to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Sandberg eventually could be asked to repay the company for employee time spent on her personal work, according to the report. And they say how the investigation is just how much Sandberg's status for the company has changed over recent years. And then both Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg's personal lives have been closely tied to the company. Meta spends millions of dollars every year on their personal security and travel expenses. And both executives have tapped Facebook employees to help with personal projects. And the fact that Sandberg is now facing scrutiny for these actions shows how much her influence has waned. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Um... Well, I mean, it's. I don't. I don't really have anything to do other. Anything to say other than uh, she. If it's, gosh, I don't know. I, yeah, 
she's a friend of Kodak, so it's like, you know, and she tried to, uh, allegedly, I guess, uh, mm. tried to hide a, a story, a negative light on, uh, this person. Right. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, the whole company resources thing, I mean, I wonder how, what extent that means, you know, is it the like personal stuff? Cause like some, I, I can, I can see this as, as simple as, you know, using, uh, you know, uh, Photoshop for your own personal thing or you know, something like that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right. But I think the fact... Using. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, from what I could see here, I mean, it does, it could, on one hand, it does feel like, hey, um, why are we taking money away from the main organization to help fund your personal stuff? Like, Mm -hmm. quite unfair when your personal stuff isn't involved with the company. Oh, yeah. No, I... Uh, I don't know. Hey, at least it... At least this wasn't used for your personal stuff with your Hatsune Miku wedding. So, there's reports that she uh, used Facebook staffers to get rid of that story about Kodak. Mm. And I see where that's a bit of a a bit less of a gray area and more of like you've screwed yourself over in a sense by you know in this that I don't know. Right. I, all we're gonna say for this is that we just it, it, this is just not a good look. Mm-hmm. And then we also have some notable, you know, topics regarding the NFT and crypto space. This is also one of Fufapaka's favorite things to talk about. No, it's not. I mean, I know he wants an NFT of Atsune Miku. And Alpaca God. So, That's not groovy. Very groovy. Groovy. I mean, I know for a fact he wants NFT of this rubber duck. <laughs> then again, he probably would shoot it first instead. No, you. <laughs> Anyways, let's get on to this. <laughs> so the first thing we have to talk about the fact that Spotify is actually experimenting with musician NFT galleries. And if you're part of the test, you can actually view NFT collection from Steve Alki and the Wombats. So pretty much Spotify is testing a way for artists to display their non-fungible token collections as first reported by Music Ally. Music streaming platform has rolled out the test for some users on Android in the US and currently includes NFT previews for artists like Steve Alki and the Wombats, like I mentioned before. Spotify is running a test in which it will help a small group of artists promote their existing third-party NFT offerings via their artist profiles. 
We routinely conduct a number of tests in an effort to improve art and fan experiences. Some of these tests end up paving the way for a broader experience and others serve only as important learning. Spotify, obviously. Yeah, so... And also a reminder that daily NFT sales have dropped, dipped 92% from 225,000 in September of last year. Just 19,000 on May 3rd. And also the number of active NFT wallets also on the decline from about 119,000 in November to 14,000 toward the end of April. Hmm. So this is Spotify's little again to it just as we're seeing NFT, you know, wallets decline. Also, this person had access to the test after updating Spotify. When this person navigated to both Steve Alkes, Alkes and the Wombat Artist pages, I saw that the NFT gallery sits beneath the artist header and song list. And obviously, Spotify also gave you the option to see more, which directly to the NFT page on OpenSea, where you can purchase it. Oh, great. Order that's how that's going to go. We've seen many times when OpenSea actually has been like selling fake NFTs and shit. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, um, everyone loves a good reskin, right? I mean, Call of Duty players. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. You can get your bored ape skin on that, too. Might as well. I mean, we live in a world which there could potentially be a Bored ape skin of Flufo Packet, a bored ape skin of myself. And no one would really care. Nope. That's why I won't give it attention. Me neither. Hope it actually costs them to sell it instead of, you know, the value's that low. Right. Also, the interesting thing is that Spotify will always show a static image of the NFT in the app, not a full video. It also doesn't include sound, which is kind of strange for a music streaming platform. You can only listen to the NFT or see if it's a video or get by clicking through its page at OpenSea. How wonderful. Yes, a music app without any audio for their shitty implementation of NFTs. Honestly... I feel like you think for a sound-based NFT, like, you'd have, like, the image moving or something like that. Make it feel like a music video or something really cool. Nope. You mean, actually, you know, I mean, then they'd have to pre-roll ads if it's, like, music, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but if it's directly on the artist's page, you'd think there would be, like, a, the, the NFT character would be animated or something. Yeah, or at least you know not make a, like a Minecraft character like what's going on the Wombats NFTs I I just it's another poorly implemented version of uh, NFTs especially fucking Spotify music get on the app it doesn't even fucking play you have to go to OpenSea for that which like what I, the fuck? This is why I'm saying it's a poorly implemented fucking, you know, decision. Holy shit. I, it is. Mm, can't fucking describe just how terrible it sounds. Right. Also, with a note that Coinbase is launching an initiative to slash spending and grow revenue. As we can see here from the block, this is apparently a pure NFT based website. They even have stock counters for all the different NFT, the cryptos. Fun. 
After publicly announcing plans to slow hiring, tough market conditions have pushed crypto exchange Coinbase to look for other ways to slash spending according to emails obtained by information. No, I don't want news. Coinbase has felt the fallout of recent market conditions, incurring a net loss of $430 million in its first quarter earnings and a a plummet in its stock. That led the firm to announce that it was revaluing its previous plan to triple the size of the company and said slow hiring at the moment. According to internal emails, the extent of that revaluation appears to be considerably more than just slowing hiring. The information reported that the email contains plans to freeze hiring for two weeks and cut spending on cloud services and gas fees, among other cost-cutting measures. <laughs> and uh, also, the plan is codenamed Plutus, according to information, and is detailed in an email from Coinbase Chief Product Officer Srojit Katerji. Plutus is the Greek god of wealth, and Katerji laid out a plan to capture such wealth by focusing on driving more revenue and highest-impact products. That includes focusing on retail trading, skating, staking, and institutional trading and custody by adding tokens and expanding custody and international expansion for retail traders and its prime brokerage service. The firm also plans to focus on its Coinbase One subscription service, which charges a recurring fee rather than individual trade fees. Wow, there's a lot here. In addition to increasing the revenue flowing in, Plutus plans to reduce the money flowing out by cutting costs on cloud services and gas fees. The information report that the details of these plans were not detailed in the emails obtained, but entering Vice President Samanth Sukumar and William Will, Will Robinson will lead the efforts in minimizing software co- costs and gas fees. Yeah. So it really looks like the, the, the value of cryptocurrency as well is but so hard that they that even Coinbase is having a tough time getting it up, expanding, and growing. I wonder why. I wonder why how many people just don't are not interested in the crypto hype anymore. Yeah, I wonder how many uninformed poor saps got uh you know their money basically ripped away from them in an effort to. Uh, join the hype train. It's like buying a video game and it's like three hours in. <clears throat> three hours in, you uh, realize it's a piece of shit, but you can't refund it because Steam only allows two hours of gameplay. Oh, and that, yeah. Thank you, PlayStation. Thank you, Sony, for allowing us to refund it on PlayStation Thank you, Bethesda, for using a fucking archaic old-ass engine and then saying, oh, yes, we're going to publish Starfield on that engine. Well, actually, we're actually a new put... engine on that. Oh, okay. That's actually the creation engine, too. They finally made a sequel to their engine. And guess what? It just allows ray tracing to it. You know what they say with, with Bethesda? It just works. It's a feature. <laughs> also, just like having phones, it's right. a feature. Of course. Also, the F, according to the Guardian, the FBI sets sights on crypto economy with arrest of former OpenSea staffer. 
So you can see here, an ex-employee of the leading non-fungible token marketplace has been charged with a wire fraud and money laundering offenses in a sign that U.S. law enforcement will no longer turn a blind eye to the crypto economy. Nathaniel Chastain left his job as product manager at OpenSea, the largest marketplace of NFTs. Unique crypto assets used to denote ownership of items such as digital art after being accused of insider trading. On Wednesday, he was arrested by the FBI in New York and charged in a case that could prove concerning for others in crypto, who assumed that practices banned in regulated markets were fair game in the Wild West sector. Justin is accused of using insider knowledge of which tokens were going to be featured on the front page of OpenSea's website to buy them shortly before they were featured and sell them immediately, cashing in on the increased awareness of, for a small profit each time. Yes, attorney. Damien Williams said NFTs might be new, but this type of crypto scheme is not. Today's charter demonstrates the commitment of this office to stamping out insider trading, whether it occurs on the stock market or the blockchain. Chastain's alleged trades have been noticed at the time. I'm thanks to open nature of the NFT market, where all trades are written onto a public database called a blockchain. Observers have spotted that someone was purchasing digital assets with questionable timing on September 2021. The non-digital wallet used for the trades was soon linked via transactions to Chastain's own. OpenSea had not at the time issued an explicit policy against such insider trading and acted only after Chastain's trade came to light. Yeah, so like obviously, not only do we have like the, the crypto crash happening, but we also have people doing stupid stuff. <laughs> oh. And yeah, and like obviously, like that's that's kind of a, it's kind of sucky when someone has such knowledge and they could take advantage of that, like. And that's supposedly supposed to be a, a crime, actually. You're not supposed to use insider trading. That's what it essentially is, is that you're using, you're taking advantage of your own knowledge. Knowledge is power. Yeah. <sighs> and it really shows. Also, too, there's also a report that show that scammers are catching it on crypto craze. And this is coming from the FT the Federal Trade Commission itself. So there's a couple of graphs they show that kind of help explain this. So from Super Bowl ads to Bitcoin ATMs, cryptocurrency seems to be everywhere lately. Although it's yet to become ma a mainstream payment method, reports to the FCC show it's a, an alarmingly common method for scammers to get people's money. Since the start of 2021, more than 46,000 people have reported losing over $1 billion in crypto to scams. That's about one out of every $4 reported lost more than any other pain method. The medium individual reported lost a whopping $2,600. The top currencies people said they used to pay scam for Bitcoin, Tether, and Ether. And then there's a couple of features that were attracting scammers. First off, there's no bank or other central authority to flag suspicious transactions and attempt to stop fraud before it happens. Crypto transfers can also not be reversed. Once the money's gone, there's no getting it back, and most people are still unfamiliar with how crypto works. These considerations are not unique to crypto transactions, but they all play into the hands of scammers. Now, personally, in my opinion, I mean, I do kind of agree with this. I mean, I feel like what the governments can actually crack down on these currencies, like, we just noticed, like, how like because the fact that crypto can easily be tracked because of the ledgers and everything like that 
that it's easy <laughs> to make sure that you know, tracked out like who's doing what. And if a government could get on board with that, like say the United States backs like, their own cryptocurrency, that's huge. And they'd be able to track down like fraud. Yeah, but then can you really call it a decentralized currency at that point? It isn't, but it would still be crypto. Yeah, but then the U.S. dollar would not make any sense. I don't know. Maybe not, but it would still be backed by it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the way it works is that, like, it, it would tie in with the U.S. dollar, so you'd still have a physical manifestation of this money, right? The dollar, okay. the dollar bill would be the physical manifestation of the bill. Nice see. So there's a lot of things here. Like during this period, nearly four out of every ten dollar report lost to a fraud originated on social media was lost to crypto, far more than any other payment method. And the platform identified in the reports were Instagram with thirty two percent, Facebook twenty six percent, WhatsApp at nine percent, and Telegram at seven. And yeah, you can see here. Like, look at this reported cryptocurrency fraud losses by year. You can see how it's gradually increasing, and just quarter one alone of this year. Mm -hmm. and this is just this year. So far, and it's already like a, like almost a third, sort of between a third and halfway. <laughs> this could potentially be about like. Higher than last year by this rate. This is going. It's crazy. And there's so many different of you know statistics here. Like, look at this. Trump top frauds reported by cryptocurrency loss. This includes investment related fraud, five hundred seventy-five million dollars. Romance scams at one hundred eighty-five million dollars. Business imposters at ninety-three million dollars, and government imposters at forty million dollars. And there's like a lot of different impersonations and just make sure you just. Yeah, just make sure you don't do anything stupid is all we just have to tell you. There's so this page here gives you a lot of a lot of heavy statistics so much that we would probably spend all day just analyzing each and every single one of them. Mm -hmm. But so long as you guys are careful and make sure you don't do anything stupid. This you should be fine. Just be careful of the crypto. Also, too, U.S. senators as well plan to unveil a bill to regulate cryptocurrency. Look at this. June 7th, a bipartisan pair of U.S. senators unveiled a bill on Tuesday that would establish new rules for cryptocurrency and to hand the bulk of their oversight to the Commodity Future Trading Commission. The bill, issued by Republican Senator Cynthia Loom, Loomis, one of Congress's most vocal cryptocurrency advocates, and Democratic Senator Kristen Gilbrand marks one of the most ambitious efforts yet by lawmakers to place clear guardrails around rapidly growing and controversial cryptocurrency markets. The measure which would stipulate that the CFTC, not the Securities and Exchange Commission, play the primary role in regulating crypto products, most of which the senator said operate more like commodities than securities. The smaller the, the smaller CT, CFTC is generally seen as a friendly regulator for cryptocurrency, and the SEC has primarily found that crypto products must adhere to a host of securities requirements. 
The bill is not expected to become law in the current session of Congress, with the midterm elections just months away. But its framework could serve as a starting point for future debates about how best to oversee those markets. We expect this bill to, will be the starting point for debate next year, regardless of which party controls House or Senate, wrote Jarrett Seiberg, an analyst of Cowan Washington Research Group. What does matter is that there is a bipartisan effort to bring crypto into the existing regulatory regime, even if the details are likely to change. The senator said the bill aimed at providing certainty and clarity to crypto markets alongside consumer protections. Among other items, the bill would establish new rules for stable coins, which are tokens intended to have their value pegged to a traditional asset like the U.S. dollar. Those products have been under significant pressure lately after a crash of the value of a high-profile stablecoin, TerraUSD. The new bill would require stablecoin issuers to maintain high-quality liquid assets equal to the value of all outstanding stablecoin and public disclosures of those holdings. So, obviously, this is good. We need some sort of regulation, so crypto is like this Wild West constantly fluctuating currency. In my opinion, I think this is a good step in the right direction. I don't know about you, but I think so. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's, it's, I don't know. I just feel like if you're that uninformed, you know, it's, it's like, I know they're stepping in because so many uninformed people get, you know, are getting screwed over. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> Right. Uh, I mean, as we've seen in the previous article, there's a lot of people that have been gotten scammed on these things. Yeah. And obviously, Steve, I feel like cryptos need to be more stable and more reliable as a currency. Because like I said, you can have a cryptocurrency that's backed by the U.S. dollar. Which is what I was envisioning as like, you have the dollar bill as like the physical manifestation of this cryptocurrency. Like, that's why I feel like we're going with this. And eventually, there's going to be a unique United States cryptocurrency backed by the US dollar that can be used for similar things as crypto is today. A more reliable, safer cryptocurrency for the public. Also, too, we have Board 8. Yacht Club's Discord got compromised in a $357,000 NFT phishing attack. So, pretty much less than two months after someone compromised the official Board Ape Yacht Club Instagram account to steal $2.4 million worth of NFTs, Board Ape Yacht Club creator Yuga Labs is again facing questions about security measures. Is it early matter? Hours of June 4th, a scammer carried out a phishing attack that netted them 200 Ethereum worth of NFTs. According to Web3, is going great. Wow. Web3 is clearly not going so great. If you're seeing this happen. Uh huh. After obtaining the login credentials of a community manager, the hacker reportedly used the official Board Apes Discord to promote. 
a fake giveaway, each list of holders of board you and other uh, other side NFTs. And you can see exactly what they're doing here. And, they, and this even said, do not mint through any other websites. The announcement said at the linking to website, the hacker used to steal NFTs. This is the only official site. According to the data for the blockchain security for Pack Shield, one Board Ape Yacht Club and two Mutant Apes tokens were stolen in the scam. At the current Ethereum exchange rate, the entire trove is worth more than $357,000. Yeah, so obviously this is a quite a significant amount of money that got stolen in crypto. Let alone the fact that, you know, you're dealing with this smug monkey here. And clearly I hope those that, you know, have been affected can, you know, try to recoup their value, even though right now NFT values have been very low right now. <laughs> and also, I think the last news of the whole thing, I think the one that's the funniest for the two of us. What if you can use your cryptocurrency to buy burritos at Chipotle? I mean, this is a perfect dinner date for you, Alpaca. You, Hatsune no. Miku, you have your cryptocurrency with you and you could buy yourself some burritos. Be great. Mm-hmm. So, customer Chipotle can now be able to pay the burritos with cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ether, and Dogecoin. The move that could help crypto become more mainstream, according to trade publication Restaurant Business. But there's only one important caveat in that Chipotle will accept the crypto through a payment system called Flexa, which is far from the decentralized technology crypto supporters have promised for over a decade. Flexa announced arrangement with Chipotle in a blog post on Wednesday. And one Twitter user, Flora, even posted a video essay showing how the process works. We are constantly exploring innovation that will enhance our guest experience. And that includes now accepting digital currency payments with Flexa in Chipotle U.S. restaurants. This is from Kurt Garner, the chief technology officer at Chipotle. And customers who want to pay for their burritos bowls with crypto will first need to download Flexus SPEDN app or the Gemini app. Then they can connect their digital wallet for apps like MetaMask or Coinbase, which house the digital currencies or stable coins. If you don't know what any of that means, obviously. That means that, yeah, obviously, it's not really mainstream. Well, it's becoming relevant is the thing. So. But it's also such a large change is dipping its toe in the crypto water. So, yeah, it's obviously it's Flexa seems to be a bit more centralized, but still, it's funny to think about that. You can that means you alpaca can go to a Chipotle, have a date with Hatsune Miku. Your lovely fiance, she can get herself a little salad bowl thing, and then you can get yourself a nice juicy burrito. For you, it's perfect.
mean, your avatar even nodded. So, yeah, I mean, crypto's going through some weird stuff. I mean, as I mentioned before, I mean, values for a lot of this stuff is going down. You got people getting hacked, and, after, and now you're getting to the point now where you're seeing the government try to attempt to find a way to regulate this stuff. And, yeah. It's another lovely world of the day of, of cryptocurrencies. And then also, Fupo Pack gets a rubber duck NFT. And now we get to continue talking about the biggest story within the tech industry among one man. One man at least trying to buy up a social media company. And that's Mr. Elon Musk. The bringer of Teslas. The Lord of SpaceX. And now wants to continue investing in Twitter. Now we'll have more updates about this topic within the next week. So what we're probably gonna so for those what we're gonna do here is that we're gonna make 37 kind of not only be its own episode, but also update a good chunk of the topics we feel we never got a chance to update on this week. And then yeah, we'll just go from there. I'm sure Alpaca also disagrees because they get to talk about all about RE4 in one episode. Why is Elon Musk a billboard in this photograph? <laughs> Why is he just a 2D, like... Is that one of my cats? Oh, look, the cats also are congratulating you on your proposal, Hatsune Miku. This is a great day. They're trying to, congrat they're trying to congratulate you on your proposal, Hatsune Miku. My fucking cat is meowing at me through the door. I don't know what to feel. They adore your marriage of Hatsune Miku. They want to partake in it. They want to be your first men no. and lady. No. <laughs> but anyway, so you can see over here. So to start the story off, before Twitter gave in to... The Elon Musk spot demand. Elon Musk was about to put the Twitter deal on hold and that he was willing to lower the sale price because of bots. And as we can mention, he mentioned here, billionaire Elon Musk has continued to clash with Twitter over the accuracy of its bot count. And at the time this article was written, he may try to renegotiate the $44 billion deal. And that he also told at a Miami conference that a deal at a lower price wasn't out of the question. Currently, what I'm being told is that there's just no way to know the number of bots. It's like an unknowable as the human soul. And he mentioned how, you know, the prior Friday, the article written, Musk had announced that a buyout of Twitter was temporarily on hold due to concern that the number of bots on the platform was much higher than the company estimated. And the billionaire tweeted that his team would do an independent analysis of bot account and also tried to crowdsource bot estimates from his own followers. 
Musk was later reprimanded by Twitter's legal team for revealing in a tweet, of course, the company's methodology for estimating the proportion of bot accounts across the platform. And they say, unfortunately, we don't believe that this specific estimation can be formed externally, given the critical need to use both public and private information. And yeah, so this is, I mean, obviously, you know, this would have been interesting if the deal was put on hold or lowered because of bots. And I think as we discussed before, it makes it seem like, you know, Musk was kind of being a bit coy about it or failed to research. Mm -hmm. But later on, though, as time went on, it turned out Twitter will, will will reportedly give its full data stream to Elon Musk. And this also came on June 8th. And if I could scroll down, that'd be amazing. Oh, there we go. This is and, where I saw the 2D like cutout. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean now. Yep, this little 2D cutout. Look at him. He's a the man, the myth, the legend in the flesh. Exactly. On a different plane of existence. <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> so as we can see here, Twit. Twitter could comply with Elon Musk's demand for more data about Jesus as that week. And the company plans to give the billionaire full access to its full firehose, an internal database that includes details on more than 500 million tweets posted to the service every day. In addition to representing a real-time record of what's happening on Twitter at any moment, the trove includes device data information about the accounts that access the platform. Yeah, I mean, that is obviously huge that, you know, Twitter will to go with Elon Musk's skepticism. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they were willing to comply kind of shows how, guess how eager Twitter was with Elon Musk's offer and they wanted to go through. Yeah, I'd, I'd call it eager as well, because um. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's um they've already made all this you know big bunch of paperwork and all others you know diddly da um why why give up right now you know and it's like I feel like uh I I you know um although it might seem like an uneducated and uninformed you know purchase in a sense uh. Maybe that was the plan was to kind of um, use it as a, you know, uh, like to psychologically make them be like, oh, shit, he's going to, you know, drop the, you know, he's going to drop it and it'll be a waste of time. Though, then again, that's a bit conspiracy territory mm. in a sense. However, it wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past somebody like him, you know, that, uh, you know, he, he would use it as a way to convince. Not in a, uh, uh, I don't know about, uh, not in a bad way, but, you know, it could be, that could be part of it. I don't know. Mm hmm. 
Of course, of course. And then after this, we find out that Twitter is actually working towards the closing tr- transaction process with Elon Musk. It's because if attendees at Twitter's annual shareholder meeting were hoping to clear up confusion surrounding Elon Musk's acquisition of the company, they likely left disappointed. Despite numerous questions about the future Twitter, the company's executives had a little to say about Musk, who did not attend the meeting at all. We're working through the transaction process, CEO Parag Agarwal said during the meeting. The status of the deal has been so unclear since, yeah, Musk announced it on hold. Even as we work towards closing the transaction, our teams and I remain focused on the important work we do every day to serve the public conversation. And Twitter had said ahead of the meeting that it wouldn't answer questions related to Musk's acquisition of the company, which will need to be formally approved by Twitter stockholders at a later date. Even so, shareholders tried to get Twitter executives to address the issue. The first first question in the Q&A portion of the meeting asked what will happen to share Twitter shareholders' stock if someone buys the company and takes it private. We are able to address these questions today, Sean Edgett, Twitter general counsel, said directing the people to company's previous SEC filings. So, yeah, I mean, obviously... It seems like they, again at least with Tia Parag Agarwal, want the transaction to go through. But it seems like based off what we're seeing here, that because obviously shareholders want to fund Twitter and obviously make money off of stocks, not be able to do so because the company went private, has them all kind of concerned. Mm-hmm. But should not so that leads to another question of should I be mean, as probably seen before like should twitter actually go private do you think twitter could sustain itself without public funding or rather shareholder funding um i mean of course it remains to be seen but uh i don't know um Because, see, it's like uh, in the messages prior, Elon's like, I want to make, I want to bring Twitter above and beyond what it, you know, and, um, and so that's his plan to make it private. So... Either he has plans in that direction that could potentially be more profitable. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, considering that Elon got Twitter through hostile takeover, which is through shareholder stuff, right? You know, and him wanting to seal off that potential. Um, for somebody else to do the exact same thing that he just did. I find that a bit, um, I find that a bit, uh, of an interesting, you know, like decision, like let's, uh, it's like, um, cutting off, uh, potential to do the same exact thing in a sense with other ramifications of a private you know company of course because as we've seen it looks like elon really wants control of the company while it looks like he may not be ceo of the company he will still be the largest shareholder of the company so there could be a chance that hey maybe these ceos don't work out then he'll take over 
Twitter. I mean, currently he's the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, which I was been keeping him quite busy. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact: if anyone thought Twitter, uh, not Twitter, uh, Tesla was actually founded by Tesla by Elon Musk, no, it actually was not his company. He started off. It was once created by Nikolai Tesla. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, he it, it, his takeover Tesla actually was pretty similar to what he's doing with Twitter here. It's early days. There are a couple of people who found the company and then Elon Musk cashed in hard. Mm-hmm. And then he did a similar thing where he became the large shareholder. And there were a couple of other CEOs that, you know, didn't really want, I guess, you know, were part of the company. Then Elon Musk just eventually became CEO of Tesla. And that's how that happened. So if anyone thinks that Elon Musk founded Tesla, Kind of not really, though he is legally a founder because I guess he did help invest a lot of money in its early days. Mm-hmm. It's like technically he didn't really found Tesla, but in legal definition, he did. Very weird situation. Worth looking yeah. up if you're curious. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's interesting now that you bring that up. It's it's as if that's his um that's how he that's what he believes is the best way to take over a company in a sense is literally through hostile takeover in a sense mm-hmm. it seems like uh offering up that much you know in shares mm-hmm. and like literally just buying out the company in a sense mm-hmm. like it seems like that's the uh that's his formal way of doing it considering this is would you say this is second time in a sense doing the same thing or has he done this before with other companies aside from twitter and tesla i'm not entirely sure about if that he did the same thing for spacex it was spacex and that'll be a third time he would do it let me do a quick um how did Elon? Yeah, if you're going to do Google search, did Elon Musk found SpaceX? And that'll probably give you some result. I'm sure the hot name Miku Rubber Duck will eagerly await your answer. Fuck you. So it says that he founded it on EclipseAviation.com. Okay, so technically this will be more so of a second time. Yeah. So, but still, uh, we have we have quite a bit more to continue on this topic besides us rambling about Elon Musk, because Elon Musk also was sued by a second group of Twitter shareholders, and that uh, this class action lawsuit by Twitter shareholders was brought against Elon Musk on Wednesday of the week of May twenty sixth. And this was claiming he broke corporate law that disabilized Twitter's stock price. 
And apparently this is similar to a previous class action lawsuit proposed in April in New York by a Twitter shareholder. Both cases alleged Tesla and SpaceX CEO delayed disclosing his purchase of a 5% stake in Twitter stock in mid-March. While the April lawsuit accuses Musk of violating the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission regulations, which would require him to disclose within 10 days. The suit failed Wednesday claims the same disclosure failure is a violation of California corporate law. And so delaying, Musk bought the stock at an artificially lower price and saved $156 million. The second class action suit accuses Musk of other legal violations, like not revealing his intention to become a Twitter board member and buying stock based on insider information resulting from conversations with other board members and executives. These include former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. And then you can see down here, there's a little statement, a quote saying, Musk proceeded to make statements, sent tweets, and engage in conduct designed to create doubt about the deal and dry Twitter stock down substantially in order to create leverage that Musk hoped to use to either buy, to either back out of the purchase or renegotiate the buyout price by as much as 25%, which if accomplished would result in an $11 billion reduction in the buyout consideration. At detailed herein, Musk conduct was and continues to be illegal in violation of the California Corporations Code and contrary to the contractual terms he agreed to in the deal. And that was another what the for comment. This to me, honestly, is interesting to see. Like, was Elon Musk seemingly trying to act cowardly in order to try to artificially lower the price of the deal? Yeah, this. Yeah, that's a good point because I, I, I literally brought this up. I was like, is he kind of using using it as a you know way to, uh, in a sense, trick, but not in like a malicious way, but possibly, you know. Um, that's a. I didn't know that it would be illegal in a sense, but. Uh. Huh. Because technically he'd be doing market manipulation. Yeah. Yeah, now that I think about it, yeah, that is. Damn, that's a, an interesting. Mm. I mean, think about when the days in which Wall Street bets decided to be a be mad lads and decide to spike GameStop stock. Not that'd be market manipulation, but that's something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, imagine if we talked about if we were here early enough to be able to talk about that situation. That would have been a funny one. GameStop I, being memed up to death. I wonder if I cashed in on it, if I could have like gotten a small mansion. <laughs> Dude, if you spent like five dollars on that crate during the time, you probably would have had at least a couple thousand. You could have had enough to build yourself a game PC with like a 3090 tie. <laughs> <laughs> RTX 3090 Ti. <laughs> yeah, 3090 Ti would have had an Intel i9 and like a DDR5 RAM by now. That would have had a a nice car that doesn't break down after six months of use. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> or maybe three months actually. Now I think about it because there's so many fucking junkers out there that you go to the you know garage and it's like oh yeah by the way you're yeah, you know, the seer broke. You know, you're gonna be going full auto when it should only be semi. You know, wait, that's a gun. Never mind. Fuck. 
Uh, welcome to Godhead, the show where one of the hosts equates cars to guns. Both are tools. Both get you places. True. I mean, hey, we do have an eight. We do have a PSG of Fufa Packet in 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 a truck, embracing his inner hillbilly. Yes. I really should get one of those uh, French revolvers with the fucking stupid bayonet. Uh, Imagine how many guns you have imagined. You could probably get the Naya Cat gun. You could get a Hatsune Miku gun. No. Also, too, I mean, just to clear up something, I mean, we have another article here literally just detailing how Elon Musk now Twitter is willing to comply with you know the you know must demand over the bot data it's sort of the same thing we talked about here but and the company this article but also this thing also told Gizmodo, Twitter has and will continue to cooperatively share information with Mr. Musk to consume it, the transaction in accordance with the terms of the merger agreement. We believe this agreement is in the best interest of all shareholders. We tend to close the transaction and enforce the merger agreement and the agreed price and terms. And this article also has a couple other statistics, such as every second about 6,000 tweets are posted, amounting to more than half a billion tweets each day. I wonder how many of them are Hatsune Miku tweets so that way Flufalpaka can go on Twitter and rave about his fiance. You're really lucky I don't have that that revolver with a bayonet. You're very (laughs) lucky that I don't prod you with it. (laughs) I'm I'm still looking it up. Where the fuck is it? Damn it, Ian. Oh, I I have a picture of it. All right, now time to cut it out. As you do that, we're also going to continue on with this lovely little topic here. No, you. About how Elon Musk had a... had been able to address Twitter employees... On Thursday, June 16th, and the Tesla and SpaceX CEO agreed to buy the company earlier this year, but has since expressed what seems to be hesitation about the deal, alleging that Twitter had not actively disclosed the number of fake or spam accounts on their service, and that he had some answers to employee questions. 
Some of those included meeting has ended and employees are worried about layoffs. The all hands meeting concluded around 1 p.m. Eastern time. According to this sort, the majority of the reactions on Twitter Slack messaging board were negative in nature. Employees expressed that many of their worries about layoffs, remote work, and reduced focus on content moderation and inclusion and diversity measures were confirmed. Employees also sent memes about how to brand themselves as exceptional, according to the source. An apparent reference to Musk's note that exceptional employees could likely continue to work remotely and would not have to fear layoffs. We will talk about this remote work thing more later on because, yeah, we did see how Elon Musk literally decided we're just going to end remote work. <laughs> <laughs> and you can clearly see that because you're technically exchange, you're going through a dramatic change in culture because Elon Musk's culture is very different from Twitter's from what it looks like. Oh yes, without a doubt, I have no, I have no doubt that some Twitter employees may leave after Elon Musk fully takes over. To be honest, because of political and otherwise you know differences right because right now elon musk is kind of viewed right now as more right-leaning than center mm -hmm. even though he claims to be center because you could if you go through his twitter you'll notice he hates on the left and the right equally yeah i mean i feel like if you pick on both sides both sides are gonna pick on you and call you what they hate the most you know yeah like uh, i feel like that's kind of a theme that they have like if you are you know more central in a sense you know and more like i you know and i hate both of these options and i'm only gonna pick the parts of each that are salvageable which i feel is uh the most the, what makes the most sense uh <laughs> of course um but um, they're they're usually gonna call you, you know, conservative. If if they're left leaning, they're gonna call you a Nazi or something. Or uh, excuse me, the no no word, the funny mustache man word. Oh, of course. Uh, but if if you're, you know, the Austrian that wanted to do be an artist. Yeah, and then he got fucked. Uh, no. <laughs> Right. Uh, also, too, it says here that Musk wants Twitter to reach a billion daily active users. This is, according to the source here, success at Twitter would look like a significant increase in daily activity in users, potentially topping 1 billion Musk, according to a source. Twitter said in its Q1 2022 earnings that it had 229 million monthly daily active users. Musk's definition of success would also include whether Twitter is helping further civilization and consciousness, he said. So, how many angry console fanboys can we rid of and make gaming more harmonious? Uh, FB zero. PC, PC masters. Oh wait, what? <laughs> and the PC, the extreme PC fanboys. Not you. You're fine. I mean, you have Hatsune Miku on your side, so you're 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 immortal. What? But we're talking about those cocky PC master race users. Oh, 
All right. Um. But you have uh, Tatsumiku on your side, like I said, so you're going to be perfectly fine. Okay. But here's a funny one. Musk diverts into discussion of aliens. Musk briefly diverted the conversation to a discussion about aliens and human consciousness. He said he hasn't seen actual evidence of aliens according to a source. What? Where, where are you seeing this? What the fuck? <laughs> so you see the CNBC article? Uh, here, here's what Elon Musk just told Twitter employees. Yeah, keep scrolling down. What? <laughs> Musk diverts into discussion of it. Musk briefly discussion. He said he hasn't seen actual evidence. Of court. <laughs> Why did he divert into aliens? <laughs> man, uh, you know, I don't care about being CEO, man. You know, all I care about this is them alien greys up in space, man. I, I'm what fucking thinking, pot is he smoking? Holy shit. I'm like thinking of that History Channel meme of that one guy like this is like aliens. Aliens. Now with bayonets. I found it, by the way. <laughs> um... I, I don't know what the fuck the Jean and Marie were thinking when they put bayonets on their their revolvers, but whatever. Uh, Musk says, he care. yeah, so as he said, Musk doesn't care about being CEO at Twitter. He said, according to a source, he said he cares about driving the product in a particular direction, but isn't too hung up on titles. And then the last, I want the last thing, another thing he mentioned too is users should be able to say what they want on Twitter. When it comes to legal but potentially harmful speech, Musk told Twitter employees that people should be allowed to say what they want. But that's different from Twitter promoting that speech, Musk said, according to the source. Users have the right to filter out content they don't want to see, he added. Musk said the standard is much more than not offending people, it's that they are entertained and informed. Musk reiterated a sentiment he made online earlier that if 10% of the far left and far right are upset, Twitter is doing the right thing. Addressing the topic of included diversity, Musk said the most inclusive thing to do would be to get all humans on Twitter. He said he believes in strict meritocracy. You may want to look up that last word if you want to know if you want to learn big words. I truly do, because it sounds like a political stance, <laughs> like libertarian bureaucracy and conservative and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but you know what else would be, you know, even more inclusive, including aliens on this wood? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I can't believe you fucking diversity into aliens. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's also the CEO of a space company, so it kind of makes sense. But still, I mean, he kind of largely makes sense in this one. I mean, if there's something you don't want to see on your wall, just get rid of it. Yeah, if you don't want to see the aliens up in space, just don't look up, you know? Now, this one kind of screams to our good friend here about if 10% of the far left and the far right are upset, Twitter's doing the right thing. For those who like to easily offend everybody, 
that one statement right there is like a godsend. <laughs> yeah. But all yeah, yes, but, but yeah, he's hoping to get all humans on Twitter. It's like we'll see about that because right now Elon Musk has an interesting image that's been going on with him, as far as I know. For some people, at least. I hope he could try to get as many social media users as possible. I mean, you're not going to get everybody, but at least get as many social media users on it. If you could make a truly like ultimate like community forum, that'd be amazing. Yeah. And, you know, getting those twi- those uh, Twitter aliens on, on uh, you know, from space, get the Martians on, on Twitter, you know, no, I'm of sorry. Course. Then you can get the, co- the, the content to be beyond six billion people. How to get beyond six billion people? You get the aliens. Oh, is this like um, government or the holding of power by people selected on the basis of their ability? So this is literally kind of like the smartest are the the leaders, right? I think so. It's like uh, cherry picking the smartest people. Mm. I see. But also, Musk addresses the question of possible layoffs. And Musk said layoffs on at Twitter will depend on its financial situation. It depends. The company does need to get healthy, Musk said, according to the source. Right now, the costs exceed the revenue. Musk said there has to be some rationalization of the headcount or else Twitter won't be able to grow. Anyone who is sig- a significant contributor has nothing to worry about. So he just wants to get rid of the fluff. Okay. So whatever employees don't contribute much would get axed, and the ones that would have the most important roles he wants to keep. I see, and this kind of does. Um, how do you pronounce it? Merit meritocracy. Merit meritocracy, because. So it says a social system in which success and status in life depend primarily on the individual's talents, abilities and effort. So if you are. So this is literally what um, what a lot of employers look for is your persistence and ability to do that. So if you are, you know, if you have high skill and you put more effort towards and persistence and, and you have you show that you have the talent to do it. Yeah, I, I see. I see. Yep. And then also this Musk has a strong bias toward in-person work. Now, as the article mentioned, Musk, who recently told his employees at Tesla to come back to work in their offices 40 hours a week or resign, seemed to draw a distinction between working remotely at the car company and at Twitter. Tesla makes cars, and he can't make cars remotely, Musk said, according to a source familiar with the matter. Musk did not detail what his policy of remote work will look like for Twitter employees, and said if someone is exceptional at their job, remote work is fine, according to the source. But Musk said his bias is strong towards working in person. So to me, it screams like he wants to make sure that, according to him, because there are benefits and cons to each method 
if you have in-person work to get the right office layouts, all this stuff, you can have increased in-person collaboration, which can make things done faster. Certainly. However, if you're able to remote work, then you get the possibility of being able to enjoy, you know, more personal time to yourself. You get to be all comfy at home. Fufu Packer can make love with Hatsune Miku. All good stuff. Also, Musk on how he can build trust with Twitter employees. If someone is getting useful things done, that's great. If they're not, then, I, then I'm like, why they're at the company? So again, it, this is one of the things where it's like, he is... He wants to make sure, if you're getting things done, then I'm going to like you. And I know you can get things done, but if you don't, then... I'm not going to want to be around you very much. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's a bit of a coarse, you know, way of looking at it. It's very, uh, you're a cog in the machine. And if you, you know, if one of the cogs, uh, you know, if one of the, you know, pins or heads breaks off, however you call them, then you're going to get replaced immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of thing. Um, very black and white, but I understand it because, uh, it's, you know, a business is a business. If you are making, you know, a crap ton of money, obviously the, they're not, not going to be too happy if one of the inefficiencies is, you know, being inefficient because it's slacking, you know, I understand that. Of course. Um, however, I don't want it to turn into like a, uh, you know, uh, um, a poor condition sort of thing where if you were overworked and, you know, treated like uh, an asset instead of a person or an individual, that's the only type of uh, that's the only point in which it becomes too toxic to work there. Right. And you have to have a really thick skin and brute through it, you know, and try to either, you know, understand that it's going to be a very difficult job you know that you're gonna have to put all your chips in all the time 100 <laughs> percent yeah. so i that that's one thing that scares me about uh being a you know but then again it's twitter also elon musk has free speech and that people should be allowed to say anything they want but that doesn't mean twitter should promote it so in other words according to him he does not like he wants everyone to be able to say whatever they want without fear of that they'll get censored. However, there are certain things that Twitter probably shouldn't promote very much. So maybe like a terrorist thing, right? No, oh, yes, obviously, obviously there's like, a. So in other words, he's saying, yeah, you could post this stuff if you want to. However, we're not going to promote that. We'll leave that to like your. Two retweets and one like, thank you very much. We're going to screw you in the algorithm. Goodbye. Unless they open yeah. the algorithm. That, that'll make things different. Because that was one of the initial things he wanted to do was open up the algorithm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to like 
if he opens the algorithm up, could I, I mean wonder like if they're gonna have like backstage versions so they realize, wait a second, these sort of tweets are gonna get promoted. Can we like load up a backup point of the algorithm so that way we don't get these certain posts promoted? Mm-hmm. I think that would be very key though. Is that if you are going to open source algorithm, you need to make sure you at least have safety measures. So that way, if something becomes too chaotic or something you don't want to promote, maybe something like Trump's incursion on Washington, D.C. back on January 6th. Then maybe that might be something you may want to hold back. Mm-hmm. but then there'll be other things you can promote like maybe like a celebratory thing may i mean i understand you could maybe i mean i don't hear the thing though like while i just you could do a pride month thing i could see that but some people do have the view set that people that that companies just force pride on things just so they can get an extra buck and that these companies don't truly care about pride. Yeah, and it's uh, it's I'm going to be honest with you, it's very apparent. A lot of people are I mean, there's even a term for it now. It's called pride washing or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, rainbow washing or something like that. Um, and I know a lot of um what some people would see as right-leaning, but they call themselves more left-leaning in a sense. Um, I know some people who uh, feel that it's, you know, virtue signaling or whatever you'd call it. Mm. And I can get behind that because, um, honestly, I get what they mean. It's felt like more of a holiday than actually giving a damn about uh, making sure that you can, you know, uh, you know, be who you want to be and love who you want to be without being, you know, treated differently or poorly based on that instead of your uh, character, you know. Um, and I know it's a very complicated subject. Um, when you think of some people who uh, virtue signal in a sense, uh, they're not doing it uh, in, a, in a profitable sense. They're doing it as a, you know, that's how they, I, you know, that's how, that's their only way of expressing it sometimes. Um, but right. sometimes it's malicious or sometimes it's just, you know, I know some people believe it's annoying even. And I don't think it's too annoying. I don't have that feeling in my in my you know i don't feel that but i you know i um i mean you made love to hatsune miku anyways moving on um musk also asked why he loves twitter and this is because when Elon Musk asked why Twitter, I love Twitter. I learned a lot from what I learned on Twitter. It's a great way to get a message out. Some people use their hair to express themselves. I use Twitter. I mean, 
Honestly, you can really tell how much he loves Twitter because he posts frequently on there. He's very transparent on the platform. And I think that, that part makes sense. And then also employees are asking questions. Employees submitted questions they are most interested in. No promise they will answer, but highest ranked in categories of workplace policies, i.e. remote work, free speech, Elon suggested product improvements, and relationship with employees. Which I do feel like that is a point of concern. Like you don't want to weigh up too many employees that you suddenly decrease company morale. And obviously, you want to make sure these free speech principles you have are upheld. And you still want to make sure that workplace policies are good, unlike Activision Blizzard. Mm, of course. So that's what makes sense. But now we get to move on to the other the remote topic stuff. So look at this. Elon Musk tells SpaceX and Tesla workers they must return to the office full time. So as we hinted at that address that Elon Musk had, he mentioned how certain employees will have to return back to work full time. Well, Elon Musk delivered an ultimatum to Tesla and SpaceX corporate workforces, spend a minimum of 48 hours a week in the office or leave the company. Musk today confirmed in a tweet that screenshots and emails sent to workers was real. According to the New York Times, workers at both companies received similar memos from Musk that made clear that all workers must report to a main office for 40 hours a week. Musk also wrote that employees will no longer be allowed to work from remote branch offices not related to their job duties, given the full example of an HR worker from the Vermont factory who works out of state. He mentioned the more senior you are, the more visible must be your presence. That is why I spent so much time in the factory so that those on the line could see me working alongside them. If I had not done that, SpaceX would long ago have gone bankrupt. <laughs> must taking a hard line dance or remote work and start contrast to a number. Yeah, it's kind of true. Like, we see this, and it's just like a lot of companies, like we've seen Meta, Meta, and Apple, Twitter probably may be soon shoved into the same category as, you know, SpaceX and Tesla. I'm sure yeah. Krypton is probably enjoying some remote work too. And Nintendo and EA and probably most other tech companies you can think of, they're all doing remote work. Mm-hmm. And see Elon Musk kind of just like, nope, you got to stick with in-person work. Again, we mentioned there are some benefits to this, such as a better collaboration. So you have to worry about you know, being on camera all the time. You can speak up, oh, talk to you in person. We get actual ideas. We're going to do live demonstrations easily. Uh, this should screen share. Of course, there's, yeah, there's a lot to, um, there's a real lot to remote working that can be quite abused, I feel. Um, yeah, because then while it may be nice to have comfort at home, you also have to deal with the fact how many distractions do you have. Yeah, like I, I have a second monitor over here. I'm using that, uh, you know, I could, I could be using that for you know, 
something completely different, you know. But like, I could be playing Stadia games, which I could. Or yeah, you 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 could be like right now, and I wouldn't notice other than the clacking of the controller. Like, <laughs> I could do that actually. Um, or I could just be doing this all day, and death would ensue. <laughs> Um, the uh, rubber duck. Uh, I would be cryogenically frozen and then smashed with a hammer. Cue the JPEG. I mean, not JPEG. GIF. GIF. Biff. Uh, where is it? Damn it, I don't have it on me. Shit. I guess you have to find it again, because now you, get to, you might want to reuse it again in the future. No. Or maybe no, you want to stare at James Hetfield pop figures. And baby metal pop figures. Fuck you. Or maybe you you and Hatsune Miku could go on a date to a baby metal concert and bring your lunch boxes with you. No. But last but not least, we also have this last exclusive interview from on Reuters, who the two of us view as a very reliable, neutral, highly credible source. And that Elon Musk want to also cut 10% of Tesla jobs. The summary mentions that Tesla employed around 100,000 people at its 2021. Musk warned death on Tuesday to return to office or leave. U.S. executives sounding increasingly gloomy about economy. So, pretty much what happened to Tesla CEO Elon Musk has a super bad feeling about the economy and needs to cut about 10% of salary staff at the electric car maker. A message sent to executive on Thursday layout is concerned and told them to pause all hiring worldwide. The diet outlook came two days after the billionaire told staff to return to the workplace or leave and adds to a growing chorus of warnings from business leaders around other risks of recession. And at the time of the article written, Tesla shares fell 9% in U.S. trade on Friday after the Reuters report. Tech-heavy Nasdaq went down about 2%. And he also sent another email on the Friday of that week about how Tesla will be reducing salary headcount by 10% as it has become overstaffed in many areas, but hourly headcount will increase. So I think the translation for that is, hey, we're going to cut down the amount of people we have here. So we have to pay them as much, but instead we're going to give you more hours for those that are staying. And they say, note that this does not apply to anyone actually building cars, battery packs, or installing solar. So I think this translates into he wants to trim down the business jobs, it seems like. Because mm-hmm. how many marketing managers do you need? How many... HR persons you need, how many, you know, that sort of thing. Operations managers you need. He wants to trim those things down. Mm. And if you scroll down through this Reuters article, you'll even see a graph. This is so since before we get to the graphs, it's almost a hundred thousand people employed Tesla and subsidiary at the end of 2021. SEC following showed it did not break down numbers of salary and hours workers. So I guess you could see the employee count by year, it looks like. 
and then you could see the price of Tesla stock. I always thought it makes sense from 2010 to 2021, if we interpret it that way. But you can see how many people Tesla's been growing by. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so look at this way. Like if they have about thousand, like I guess a hundred thousand people, right? You're essentially trying to cut down job by at least ten thousand people. That's a pretty significant amount of people to cut. Yeah, that's that's a uh, a lot of hands that uh, that are being axed. Mm -hmm. And while that will result, in, you know, or, you know, it could reduce the amount of redundancy in a company like we discussed earlier. It's still 10,000 people losing their jobs. Which obviously is kind of shitty. Of course. Um, so, I, yeah, so all I can say is hopefully these people would be able to find work. Whoever these people that will be laid off will be. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's my only, um, it's my only, uh, concern is just that, although for the company itself, it would be more efficient like you said to reduce redundancies um but i feel like uh unfortunately that's that leaves a lot of people jobless in a in an economy that is pining for jobs more than ever with inflation being at an all-time high and a current possible recession in the future yeah i mean hey scary yeah i mean hey my rubber ducks need their water it's gonna get more expensive to give them water to swim on dude there's like a lake like a few miles away from you <laughs> but then we have a problem though the duck itch i mean God not only that i mean if it's a river they'll go away They would flow downstream and I wouldn't be able to get them in time. I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> if I fucking find them floating at the pond by the park, I'm moving away. Like, you'll set them free, and then one week later, uh, hey, I want to go take a walk to, you know, to the park. Oh, yeah, let's go down to the walk. Oh. I've been here the I'm stepping on the beach, rubbing my eyes. Oh, my God, there's a there's a bunch of rubber ducks. I mean, here's the thing, though. I live by the shoreline and a, a little river that could lead to, you know, the Long Island Sound, which then leads it into the ocean. Oh, okay, so I just have to avoid the actual beach. But to get to your your area in Maine, it'll take years. Unless okay, the sharks, so unless the sharks accidentally eat the rubber ducks. Well, that's good. I'll have a few years to prepare for uh, the anarchy. <laughs> That'll be good to know. Yeah.
thanks for clearing my mind on, on this uh, scary uh, thought of uh, world domination from ducks. I mean, until then. Yeah, you know, and until then. Stab. Till then, I work alone. Yeah. Wait, actually, I was gonna work on the video feed. Oh well. Anyways, I got two now. You better watch out. Watch the fuck out, man. I mean, we can also talk they about the Shanghai lockdown according to Argo too, because I mentioned how so far the man has a card on week. Electric vehicles, very made strong and major traditional indicators of downturn, including increasing dealer inventory incentives in the United States, have not materialized. But Tesla has struggled to restart production at its Shanghai factory after COVID 19 lockdown forcibly cost out, forced costly outages. It is always better to introduce austerity measures in good times than in bad times. I see these statements as a forewarning and a precautionary measure, said Hanover-based Nord LB analyst Frank Schwope. Musk's gloomy outlook echoes recent comments from executives including J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. CEO Jamie Dimon and Goldman Sachs President John Waldron. A hurricane's about is right out there down the road coming our way. Inflation in the United States is hovering at a 40-year high as we discussed earlier. It's caused a jump in cost of living for Americans. Which, God, I mean, if it wasn't for apartments being so freaking expensive, I would have had my own place by now. would brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then you could have came over and we could have had a rubber duck fight. Except, except if you threw the hot say Miku duck, I think my head would have been injured. You would have gotten concussion. Yep. Hopefully, you don't have any plans of making a rubber duck ball pit. Because that would be just it fucked. I mean, I would have to have Mr. Beast money to make that work. Yo, Jimmy boy. Can we have your moon? For a split second, we have to spend, help a fellow YouTuber out. We would need like ten thousand dollars and like a staircase to make a rubber duck ball pit, and they swim in the rubber ducks. And I know you'd enjoy oh. the rubber ducks. No, no, I wouldn't. In fact, I just had my cousin over recently, and she enjoyed the rubber ducks. <laughs> Yeah. She enjoyed the presence of the rubber duckies. That's good to know. Anyways, bye. <laughs> Anyways, um. But yeah, I mean, also he's mentioned about pausing hiring that before Musk's warning. Tesla had about 5,000 job posts on LinkedIn from sales in Tokyo and engineers at its new Berlin Gigafactory to deep learning scientists in Palo Alto. And it has scheduled online hire event for Shanghai on June 9th. And then meanwhile, all of it got canceled. 
but it also ca- caused some controversy because Musk's demand that staff return to office has already faced pushback in Germany, and that and, and his plan to cut jobs would face resistance in the Netherlands, where Tesla has its European headquarters. You can't just fire Dutch worker, said FNV union spokesperson Hans Walthy, adding Tesla would have to negotiate with a labor union on terms for any departures. Ouch. In a Tuesday email, Musk said that if Tesla employees were required to be on the office for minimum 40 hours per week, I discussed earlier, and they closed opportunities for, you know, remote work. And yeah. So what do you think of everything in regards to, you know, Elon Musk and his things for Twitter and his remote work slash return to office policies? Um, well, I think, um, I think when it comes to the uh, return to work policies, uh, I can understand the, um, fear of having employees, like you said, with a lot of distractions, there is way too much to account for. There's a, there's a lot of slack that you're allowing when it comes to, you know, not having a literal camera on them. Of course, there's a privacy concern, I guess, when it comes to, you know, hey, we need to know this and that. Um, you know, I get it. Um, for, I, um, I worry about uh, the lack of, uh, you know, the lack of, because uh, uh, from what we see, you know, from the prior article where it says, you know, um, how, you know, he's, uh, he uh, respects your worth that work ethic, you know, um, looking at that, it's a hard bargain to convince him otherwise that working at home is still uh, worth the uh, expense, you know, in time versus how much he'd profit off of that time, you know, spent. Um, so there's that and his cut of Tesla jobs. That's a lot of people that could be working and helping the economy get better. Um, so that's unfortunate and i don't appreciate that part but i understand also it's a money making thing you know um it, who cares if but uh then again in the long run who knows if the economy would get better and these people would uh be less redundant over time you know their jobs uh how much money they make if something just slightly becomes or or if you could retask them into something that they're also proficient at you know it's really it's really hard to to say of course Mm -hmm. um nobody has a crystal ball but I, i get what you know i get why he'd be cutting jobs and axing um you know uh Sorry, axing, you know, at home sort of stuff. It's it all comes down to the mighty dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Of course. We don't know how every company is. They always want the dollar, not so much the ethics. 
<laughs> At least mm-hmm. most companies. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at you, Activision Blizzard, with your Diablo Immortal microtransactions. I mean, well, they're the unfortunate. Yeah, they're the roasting target of this entire show. Unfortunately, they deserve it mm-hmm. without without question because they are not they're not the the greatest uh you know they're not the gold standard anymore when it comes to uh you know how they um do things and soon enough they'll i mean probably the acquisition goes through they'll be part of the same company as the famous chess club player and they'll get in just a few moves then every bug in Call of Duty will just be a feature yes <laughs> the <laughs> shitty cropped out PNG with with PNG crust um like the, the, so Vanguard introduced HUD overlays a few months ago mm-hmm. they look fucking terrible <laughs> Like, I, there was so like the Sten. Like, uh, the, I, there are so many things that are wrong with the game, that are on a fist like on a visual level, and on a gameplay level, both are evenly fucked. Um, mm-hmm. Like from, uh, like I keep on mentioning this, the glitchy ledges on Numa Numa. Mom, that's. Yeah. they are i don't think they fixed those there are ledges that you get stuck on and you try to jump over your character doesn't mantle over the uh you know as kind of the theme is that um they release a broken uh gun that you know it dominates the play field and then they nerf it once everyone buys up the bundles for them um they're they're just uh, when i mentioned the sten um in the trailer the sten's bolt was phasing through the back but in real life that that would like that would be impossible it would fly back and clock you in the face I don't know. There are just so many little visual and gameplay breaking bugs that it makes Bethesda look like squeaky clean. Exactly. Bethesda is not squeaky clean when it comes to bugs. No, and that's going to be a funny thing to imagine. Like, even though Todd... Imagine Trent. Yeah, when Todd Howard isn't developing the games, and yet the bugs will be features. Imagine trying to land your ship properly. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. But hey, we get to transition over to Epic Games and Bandcamp. Oh. Because Epic Games is in a lawsuit against Google. But this lawsuit won't stop Bandcamp's in-app payment, so artists will still get supported. So we got some bit of a... Some, Good news on this. And now we did talk about this lawsuit earlier in the show. <laughs> so rest assured, artists are still getting supported. 
So okay. as you can see in the article here, Bandcamp will have to worry about Google pulling its app from the Play Store in the near future. The music service has entered into agreement that it will let will let it use its existing in-app payment system on Android, while parent company Epic Games continues antitrust lawsuit against Google. Artists keep receiving the same share as before, but Bandcamp will put 10% of Android-related sales revenue in escrow until the case is resolved. Again, fancy word. You, if you don't know what it is, you may want to look it up. Mm-hmm. The company said in a blog post that it would absorb that cost rather than pass it along to musicians. So look at Bandcamp actually trying to pull off some good things here. Mm-hmm. The arrangement takes effect June 1st, the same day Google set to enforce a new rule requiring that apps like Bandcamp use only the Play Store billing system for in-app purchases. Google will still have the power to enforce Play Store policies beyond the exception carved out through this deal. And yeah, I mean, it looks like from what the article is saying, it's going to be a bit of a compromise here. I mean, it looks like Epic filed a preliminary injunction that it would have that would have barred Google from pulling Bandcamp's app without the escrow requirement. It's long argued that Google's billing requirement would hurt both artists and its own bottom line by reducing their revenue shares and delaying payouts. Google, meanwhile, claimed Bandcamp and Epic were, were trying to avoid paying for the store Play Store's value and that the 10% fee is less than what those companies charge through their own systems. So, good news for Epic Games and Bandcamp. I mean, more so Bandcamp, because at least the artists are still getting paid for their work. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Just a quick little, yeah, just a quick little thing here. But Alpaca, uh, do you have any other thoughts on this before we move on? Um, I'm no, not really. I um. I know that Epic has, uh, they're like, it feels like they uh, are doing their best to do whatever they, you know, whatever they can to, um, uh, you know, take money out of uh, whatever they're using as like, you know, a a platform in a sense. Well, not only that, but they want to seem like they're the hipster cool guys that want to be like, hey, we don't, it's like the at the establishment sort of thing. Yeah, sort of thing. Um, that. Um, so I, I, I have no further things. It's just like, uh, I'm just glad at least it won't, um, won't affect the actual artists. You know. Of course. And now we get to move on to some laws that New York passed. And there's two of them we have to talk about here because they both kind of tight. A little bit of each other. Actually, not really. One relates to cryptocurrency, you know, because we all know Fufo Paka likes to be a total NFT bro. He probably has an NFT of Hatsune Miku while still also proposing the, the real Hatsune Miku. And then he also has an NFT of the Alpaca God. No. Oh, I heard he has. No. I heard he also has a baby metal NFT too. On top of it, I'm not, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah, we can get going here. And as we can see here, the first of these articles that New York passes a bill to limit Bitcoin mining. And they said New York lawmakers have passed a bill that would temporarily ban new Bitcoin mining operations early Friday. 
of that week, state senators vote 36-27 to pass the legislation. It's now bound to seek for the desk of Governor Kathy Hochul, who will sign it to law or via the bill. The law would become into effect immediately after it's signed. And the legislation seeks to establish a tier moratorium on licenses for cryptocurrency mining operations. They use power-hungry proof-of-work authentication methods for validating blockchain transactions. Right now, Bitcoin and Ethereum fall under that category, though the latter is shifting to a different setup. The moratorium only covers mining operations that run on carbon-based power sources. Any that harvest entirely renewable energy sources or alternative to proof of work that requires less power won't be affected. Existing operations and those already going through a permanent renewal process won't be impacted either. So I guess that means like if you're trying to get, you know, newer operations in, sucks for you. But it's only two years though. And that's two years no NFT bros for Flipapaka to interact with. From New York. You're lucky I'm smiling. <laughs> yeah, so I mean obviously, you know, this is a good thing for the environment, I would to say. I mean, you can see continue on. While the moratorium is placed, New York will carry out a study into the environmental impact of proof-of-work authentication methods per the bill. As CNBC notes, New York has ambitious climate goals that require the state's greenhouse gas emissions to reduce by 85% by 2050 under the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. New York became a hotbed for crypto mining operations in part due to its plentiful hydroelectricity, low electricity prices, and cooler climate than other areas of the United States. So I guess if the crypto is powered by hydroelectricity, then Fufa Packet is still safe can, and can start making some really cool NFTs and cryptocurrencies. Alpaca coin could be a thing in New York. <laughs> you forgot all about Alpaca coin, didn't you? No, I didn't. I'm just happy I uh I don't want anything to do with it right now anyways and some mining companies have threatened to leave New York due to regulatory uncertainty set up shop in more crypto friendly states even so crypto proponents have suggested that given New York's set as a legislative leader other states could follow suit with similar regulations I'm sure like Connecticut Massachusetts Rhode Island maybe California Oregon Washington any states that are definitely more left-leaning in nature probably will take a crack at this. Yes. And states like Florida, because of course the Florida Ben. It, it wouldn't be surprised me. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Texas, Alabama, Virginia. West Virginia, maybe. Allen Bammer. Exactly. All the states that Hillbilly Lopaka would want to be a part of will likely be more lax with cryptocurrency, I feel. Yeah, maybe, maybe, um, maybe the representatives of uh, a certain other state 
will believe that um, 5G signals from uh, the Bitcoin causes <laughs> respiratory cancer. I, talk, I don't know. I'm talking about Nebraska. For the sake of uh, uncertainty, yes. I'll tell you later. <laughs> All right. And then also New York also passed another law, and this one is truly going to make Alpaca very excited. Because New York also passed a right to repair bill. No, you. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, right to repair. Holy shit. Yes. I mean, if I made it right to repair bill for Hatsune Miku Vocaloid dolls, that's a different story. <laughs> but no, I promise you, it's at least related to technolo technology. How are you? How are you? So New York had just passed the Digital Fair Repair Act, making one of the, just a few states in the United States to do so. The bill, which was introduced in April 2021, passed the Senate on June 1st and passed assembly to, at the time that article was written. It, at the time that the article was written, it was heading to the governor for signing and will take effect a year after it becomes law. The act titled Digital Fair Repair Act will require OEMs to make diagnostic and repair information for digital electronic parts and equipment available to independent repair providers and consumers if such parts and repair information are also available to OEM authorized repair providers. This means companies can no longer dictate where you can bring your device to get the repair by limiting the access to components or diagnostic information. If a part is no longer available to the OEM, it will not need to make the same part available to everyone. For things that require security-related locks or authorizations, the OEM has to, on fair and reasonable terms, supply the tools or documentation needed to access or reset such devices through appropriate secure release systems. The amended version of the bill also states that the proposed requirements will apply to products with a value over $10. The OEMs or authorized repair providers do, don't have to make available any parts, tools, or documentation if the attendant use is for modification of the products. So, in other words, think like hardware mods. This is strictly like... Like... If, if this is purely meant for repair, you have to provide the parts for repair. Anything extraneous, you, you don't have to provide parts for that. Okay. So it's a step in the right direction. I mean, it's not total open to everything, but it's a step in the right direction. Mm. The, yep. And again, the, uh, the amended version of the bill also to over $10. So think of it this way. If you manage to get an electronic device for $5 for some, whatever reason, you don't have to provide parts to repair that $5 electronic. Oh, it says, it also excludes public safety communications equipment and home appliances with digital electronics embedded with them from the act. Given the way the companies have been trending towards making smart fridges, washing machines, and more, this could potentially do an enormous loophole, or at the very least, exclude a large number of products. So in other words... 
You could repair your laptop, your computer, or your being console. But there's laws. But you can't repair your washing machine. Uh. Alright then. I don't know how to service a washing machine, but... So, yeah. Right to repair does not apply to home appliances. So, I, this, I think this also applies to microwaves. You can't repair your microwave. I'm sorry, Alpaca. Damn it, I thought I could finally get away with... Um, I could finally repair my microwave <laughs> and uh, be able to once again take a crack at uh, um, creating a ray gun from Call of Duty Zombies. Not really. Don't sue me. This has... There's no way to do that. And the funny thing, too, is that Massachusetts already has a right to repair law. And that California is also introducing its own right to repair law. So technically, you can move to Massachusetts, which, by the way, Maine was originally part of Massachusetts. And then have your right to repair. Okay. Yeah, you know that Maine was originally part of Massachusetts? I did. I mean, if you studied colonial history at, like, high school, you would know that. No, I studied in, like, fifth grade. I know, I know. Well, even then, yeah. What a time. I mean, it kind of makes you wish sometimes there was a truly united New England state still, so technically we could argue that the two of us live in the same state. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I would just... You know, I mean, then again, we'd be running into like Canada types. We'd have provinces instead of states, I swear. Or well, the thing like is that. that New England as a state, just, you know, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, yeah. Maine, would be about the same size as like New York. Oh, okay. Though there was at one point a dominion of New England that included. New York and New Jersey, and all that was one one colony, a super colony, if you will. Which, oh, if you right. have Boston and New York City in the same state, that would be the most important state in the entire freaking country, I would think. Mm -hmm. Like, if we know a contest, like, New York is already one of the most important states simply because of New York City. Yeah, and Boston has Harvard. Mm -hmm. And then where I live, we have Yale University. Honestly, I feel like uh, I feel like the education down there and in Boston are, are superior and that would improve Maine's like because I know Maine is like considered one of the worst states for ed education which I've despised that to be honest I feel like geographically you shouldn't be uh, you know dumbed down it should be a standard you know right but anyway back to the topic I do think these laws are pretty good I mean I do welcome the fact that you know we New York is looking into trying to make crypto mining more like environmentally friendly, or at least trying to tackle something to experiment or learn from it. Mm -hmm. 
while I also appreciate that they're also going the right direction with the right to repair law. While it does suck they can't repair your microwave. Uh, At least you can repair computers and tablets. And smartphones. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's some good news right here. But another thing that might be interesting, though, is the fact that the United Kingdom, a country that we've talked about quite a number of times on the show, is looking into Apple and Google. And yes, I mean, you always got to love the fact that Pokemon Sword and Shield took place in this country, too. Anyways, uh, uh, wait, what? Pokemon took place in New and uh, New Britain. Yes. Took place in the Fallout. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, to- Pokemon Sword and Shield actually took place in the UK. And uh, we quickly realized why um, there are regions because uh, you know um, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Uh, you know. The uh, government of uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield tried to uh, steal every other uh, uh, country and everyone else declared independence. And uh, the Wulus got uh, engaged with the Mareeps. I mean, also, Uwu Master and Flipopaka also engaged and proposed to fuck you the most ubu of vocaloids <laughs> fuck you <laughs> don't make me pl- play uptown funk vocaloid edition <laughs> again uh, you picked the i mean that's like the worst freaking version of that song <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you'd found, but that was like the worst version of Hatsune Miku I ever had to hear with. And then, oh, don't, 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 don't. Yeah. And no, then, it's fucking and then, terrible. And then Kaido, which is the other vocalist, which I'm sure would sound a lot better at other recordings, made him sound terrible. <laughs> it was probably ripped in like 64 kilobits. Right. <laughs> But back to the UK, so they have the CMA plans a market investigation into mobile browsers and cloud gaming. So as you can see here, the Competition and Market Authority is consulting on the launch of a market investigation into Apple and Google's market power in mobile browsers and Apple's restrictions on cloud gaming through its app store. Gee, that last one actually would be pretty useful. I mean, imagine if we can actually you know, have a native X Cloud app on the app store. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. But you have to go through hoops and get to a web browser for that to work on iOS devices. It's pretty lame. If only you could sideload more than just, uh, you know, uh, whatever iOS allows. 
Mm. Am I right? Yeah. In parallel, it is also taking enforcement action against Google in relation to its App Store payment practices. This follows a year-long study of the company's mobile ecosystems, the final report of which has been published at the time this was made. The study found that Apple and Google have an effective duopoly on mobile ecosystems that allow them to exercise a stranglehold over these markets, which includes operating systems, app stores, and web browsers on mobile devices. Without interventions, both companies are likely to maintain and even strengthen their grip over the sector, further restricting competition and limiting the incentives for innovators. While the report identified a range of potential interventions across these ecosystems, the CMA has looked at where it could take immediate targeted action to tackle these problems using its current powers. As a result, the CMA is now consulting on making a market investigation reference into mobile browsers into mobile browsers and access to cloud gaming on mobile devices. Andrea Coselli, chief executive of the CMA, said when it comes to how people use mobile phones, Apple and Google hold all the cards. As good as many of their services and products are, their strong grip on mobile ecosystems allow them to shut out com- competitors, holding back the British tech sector and limiting choice. We all rely on browsers to use the Internet on our phones and the engines that make them work have a huge bearing on what we can see and do. Right now, choice in this space is severely limited. And that has real impacts on preventing innovation and reducing competition from web apps. We need to give innovative tech firms, many of which are ambitious startups, a fair chance to compete. We have always been clear that we will maximize the use of our current tools while we await legislation for the new digital regime. Today's announcements along the eight cases currently open against major players in the tech industry, ranging from tackling fake reviews to addressing problems in online advertising, are proof in of that inaction. And yeah, this goes on for quite a bit, but I mean, you can see, I mean, if you think about it, yeah, I can see where the UK is coming from. I mean, there's only two choices. You either have to go with Apple or Google. And if you go through Android, you have you practically are locked into the Play Store. And then if you go to the Apple side, you're easily locked into iOS. And, and the article even goes on to say that 97% of all mobile web browsing in the UK in 2021 happens on browsers powered by either Apple or Google's browser engine. Apple bans alternatives to its own browser engine on its mobile devices as a restriction that is unique to Apple. So technically, when you have like, you know, a Firefox, it has to use, it has to be based off Apple's browser engine. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy itself. <laughs> And obviously, if an app has to be, you know, web-based, like, I even see this too. Like, do you notice how sometimes when you go on an app, like a website version of an app, it's a bit more sluggish? The UI is not snappy. Yeah, certainly. And it, it kind of does limit the innovation in that sort of field where if you're forcing certain apps to be web-based only, there are certain things you can't necessarily do because the, because the web browser is just that much slower compared to having a native app. I know trying to um, like on, on the web itself, 
trying to like uh there are certain sites that are like impossible to use in a snappy manner like you have to wait like a few seconds for the page to load like a few minutes like i'm, I'm not even kidding sometimes uh I, I wouldn't say a few minutes but like a minute or less which it should be just a few seconds like yeah like and uh i try the app and it's it's better but could be better also right <laughs> you know what i mean i mean don't get me wrong having an app that doesn't take as much space on a mobile device because it's just a shortcut pretty much is mm. helpful but it just needs to improve its responsiveness of course yeah and also too i mean you can even see here how the CMA concerned that this lim severely limits the potential for rival browsers to differentiate themselves from Safari and limits Apple's incentives to invest in browser engine. Like, that's an interesting thing to think about. Like, like as I mentioned before, every browser has to be based off of Safari. But not really much of a reason to download another mobile browser. Like, I know Windows 10 11's browser right now, which is Microsoft Edge. The current version is based off of Chromium, which is Chrome. Yeah. But at least there's certain functions of it that make it faster in some applications. Could they done Microsoft has done some work to kind of tweak it a little bit to their needs. Mm -hmm. Also, too, there's a section here at cloud gaming. And obviously, as we mentioned before, that Apple blocked emergent cloud gaming services on its app store. And yeah, I do agree that this is still an emerging innovation. And because Apple is just scared that, oh, these cloud gaming services are going to take away our revenue from our app store games and microtransactions. They don't want to deal much with it. And... Apple should allow these cloud games to be on the platform. I mean, as we also just talked to, I mean, the M2 chip. Yeah, you're going to pretty soon have a chip that can run a good chunk of these games on just that chip alone. So maybe they won't have as much of a need for cloud gaming, but just give these people an option like xCloud. We have to go through a web browser. And they also mentioned how the proposed market investigation will further assess the competition concerns identified to date in both areas and decide what, if any, action is appropriate. This could include making legally binding orders requiring change to be made to Apple's and Google practices. And I, I honestly, I kind of agree with this. Because <laughs> Apple does do some very anti-competitive things. Like we just discussed how Apple forces Safari to be used on its engine to be used on all browsers and it doesn't even allow xcloud like yeah google does have some strange payment policies as well but i mean apple i think is even more anti-consumer yeah no i i agree on you with that 
I mean, you know, when you're selling when you're selling a thousand dollar computer monitor stand, just the stand, kind of, kind of wonder. Of course, <laughs> but speaking of Europe, there's another thing that could make a big blow on Apple. Yep, blown Apple. Sorry. What if I told you that European Union is forcing USB-C on all phones? That's right, Apple fans. Yep, blown. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. Where Apple? Where not? Where said, I fully agree with him. No, nah, Apple. God, apples. Yep, blown. So, as we can see, this is right from the European Parliament themselves. Deal on common charger, reducing hassle for consumers and curbing e-waste. And also about the environmental argument. I mean, yeah, you're going to obviously make more cables, but the fact you can just, in the future, iPhones could probably just be using USB Type-C and have more uses for using cables. It's going to be a nice bonus. Certainly. So here's the thing. By autumn 2024, USB Type-C will become the common charging port for all mobile phones, tablets, and cameras in the EU. Parliament and Council negotiators agree today. <laughs> so that means in Europe, Apple has to make a USB Type-C iPhone. Get wrecked with your proprietary bullshit, Apple. You have to be so unique and hipster all the time, Apple. And now get to make everybody else, and everyone's going to love you for it. Except for the day in which Apple and Android have to merge to create the universal mobile operating system. But that's not going to happen, because Windows and Mac still happens. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so looking at the agreement itself, the provisional agreement on the amended radio equipment directive establishes a single charging solution for certain electronic devices. This law is a part of a broader EU effort to make products in the EU more sustainable, to reduce electronic waste, and to make consumers' lives easier. Especially that last part. I wholeheartedly agree. Mm. Under the new rules, consumers will no longer need a different charging device and cable every time they purchase a new device. It can use one single charger for all their small and medium-sized portable electronic devices. Mold phones, tablets, e-readers, earbuds, digital cameras, headphones, and headsets. Handheld video consoles and portable speakers that are traveled via a wire cable will have to be equipped with a USB Type-C port regardless of their manufacturer. Laptops will also have to be adapted to the requirements by 40 months after the entry into force. Also, too, I'm sure the headsets are going to include the VR headsets so you can look at Hatsune Miku. Good times there. No. Also, keep in mind, too, that this law will also be harmonized for devices that support fast charging, allows users to charge devices at the same speed with any compatible charger. <laughs> Thank you, European Union, for being very forward thinking. Certainly.
also too, uh, there's better information for and choice for consumers. Consumers will be provided with clear information on the charging characteristics of new devices, making it easier for them to see whether their existing charger compatible. Buyers will also be able to choose whether they want to purchase new electronic equipment with or without a charging device. These new obligations will lead to more reuse of chargers and will help the consumers save up to 250 million euro a year on unnecessary charging purchases. Disposed of an unused charger are estimated to represent about a thousand eleven thousand tons of e-waste annually. So I guess that means that if you are more comfortable without having a charger with your device, you'll be able to get the device without a charger. Because it's going to save on waste. All right. Think of it this way. How many chargers do you probably have for all the devices you have? Or cables? Or anytime you get a portable electronic device, how many cables do you probably get from each device? I probably wake up and look at that drawer out in the corner that has all of the useless cables that I only pull out whenever the other one that I usually like. I, I go on Amazon, I buy the anchor ones, though, like and whenever those get either they, they either get lost, usually lost. Uh, if they get broken, then wow, or stolen or something, um, then I use them if I'm desperate. But usually it's like, you know, <laughs> Yeah. So essentially what this is saying here is that, hey, um, if you don't want a cable or a charger with your thing, you don't have to get one. So you can just keep buying anchor cables. And not to worry about having more cables piling up on top of it. Good. So in some ways, that's good. In other avenues, if you're living in a country that has constantly been accepting expecting cables to come in, that could probably throw some people off. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the time in which the new 3DS actually did not come with a charger? Oh my god, yes I do. I remember people being fucking angry about it. <laughs> Did you have to buy a separate one that was proprietary to the 3DS? Uh, the new one? Actually, wait, I think it was the same one. I lied. Uh, well, that's still proprietary in a sense, but damn, that is sad. Yeah, I, f I forgot all about that. That No, that's terrible. That's fucking terrible. Why would you do that, Nintendo? Nintendo, apparently, with the eyes of this law, were ahead of their time. Oh, yes, they, they were they were so they were so progressive as to not give everyone a, uh, a uh, you know, a true cable that was proprietary to their system. That was that's so ingenious. It's like saying uh, that's like Todd Howard, uh, you know, reselling Skyrim for the wait. Hold on a second. It's been a decade, so. And on top of two, those who have Game Pass are paying monthly for Skyrim. And Starfield 1. That's me. I've been paying for Skyrim monthly. In addition to having a physical copy. 
And this is where I uh, um, go up to God Howard. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yes, Villain Dunk, God Howard. <laughs> and they say know. this is all supposed to incur technological innovation because as wire charging technology becomes more prevalent, the European Commission will be empowered to develop so called delegate acts on the interoperability of charging solutions. And it says Parliament Rapporteur uh, Alex Ajuice Aliba, I, I apologize for mispronouncing the name, said today we have made the common charger a reality in Europe. European co consumers were frustrated along with multiple chargers piling up with every new device. Now they'll be able to use a single charger for all the portable electronics. We are proud that laptops, e-readers, earbuds, keyboards, computer mice, and portable navigation devices are also included in addition to smartphones, tablet, digital cameras, headphones, headsets, including VR headsets, handheld video game consoles, and portable speakers. We have also added provisions on wireless charging, being the next evolution in the charging technology and improved information and labeling for consumers. Okay. What a fun day. I mean, overall, I think having USB-C be standard, including Apple devices, because screw you, Apple, for making try to be so hipster. Yeah, the, the lightning cable is... <sighs> You know, it's good, but it's not a standard. It's a standard if you only delve into the Apple realm or some device that thinks it's an Apple device, but it really isn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. It uses like a bootleg uh, female, uh, you know, uh, lightning cable uh, part. Mm. Right. I mean, USB-C is just a natural progression. I mean, it's a USB, and you can use it on both sides. Very easy to use. No, oh, yes. I've and it lasts a lot longer than micro USB, which is the stuff that's been dominating a lot of other devices. And now we see, actually, I've noticed, like, almost every single device nowadays is practically using USB Type-C. Mm-hmm. It started with micro uh, mini USB, and now it's uh, you remember PlayStation 3 had mini USB, that little like trapezoid shaped thing. Hold on and now a second. It, and now it's like a thinner trapezoid, and now it is a full oval. As a matter of fact, this microphone that I'm using is USB C. Because I have a dual shock. I do too. I have a gold one from Taco Bell. Ay ay ay! Hey, that looks like it doesn't conform to big hands. Thanks, PlayStation Two, by the way. Hey, I'll give you one thing. Look how much improvement has been made.
The dual sense is absolutely amazing. If you can get your hands on dual sense, it is absolutely amazing. But do you know what does power PS5s? AMD. And AMD was had their Copitex 2022 event that happened. And what did this event have? They had, ladies and gentlemen, the Ryzen 7000 series processors, Zen 4 core, 5 nanometer technology, all new AM5 platform. It's going to feature the world's first 5 nanometer PC processor cores with the Zen 4 CPU core triplets and 5 nanometers. All new IO die in 6 nanometers with integrated AMD RDNA 2 graphics, advanced low power architecture, and DDR5 and PCIe 5.0 controllers. So that just means that DDR5 memory demand is going to increase. Run. Yeah, um, I gotta be honest. Uh, it it may or may not be a good thing to buy it now, because other than because like uh, previous like uh, you know RAM shortages or uh, previous like uh, exclusivity, I guess mm. has shown that um, you know. This has happened before, where it's like you, uh, you know, if a new thing comes out, it's a shortage of it for a little while. Um, I, I've heard of it. I haven't really studied what happened specifically, but I, I do know about it um, a little bit. And it's either you buy it now and hope that supply isn't so low that again of course supply has been a constant issue so it might be better take the first option or just stick with ddr4 for now and uh, you know just uh, move on to the new platform when it becomes uh, a you know I mean, in my case, personally, I probably would jump on the DDR5 bandwagon as soon as possible. Just so I can make it seem... Because my goal with this new computer I want to make is have it be more capable than a PS5 or Xbox Series X. And one of the main ways to do it is get a more recent standard for RAM. Mm -hmm. And also, it's going to be an absolute beast. I'm looking forward to when I can upgrade that computer. But anyways, uh, AMD AM5 equals some solutions. They're going to have the AMD socket AM5 X670 E Extreme, which is unparalleled capability and extreme overclocking. PCIe 5.0 to 2 times graphics and one NVMe slot. There's the AMD socket AM5 X670. It's a PCIe 5.0 to 1 time NVMe slot, graphic card slots optional, and AMD socket AM5 B650, which is the which is mainstream price points, PCIe 5.0 storage only. Honestly, I probably would get the X670E if I had to go with AMD. 
uh, yeah, I, I personally, um, I think, uh, I think that the, you know, B650 is fine, I guess. Um, however, I think X670 right now is like not even just extreme, but just the the uh, usual X670 board probably the better option. Mm. You know, even though PCI PCIe 5.0 isn't a thing yet right now, mm. I think for the future be worth it for x670 just the mm. the middle option pretty much <laughs> of course yeah and then we get to the amd socket am5 total platform io this is 24 pcie 5.0 lanes for storage and graphics up to 14 super speed usb with 20 gigabyte per second and type c we know how important flat type c is nowadays so i don't blame them so we have 6E Wi-Fi support with DBS and BTLE 5.2. I take it as Bluetooth, so that's good to see. And up to four yep. HDMI 2.1 and DisplayPort 2 ports. So I think this is a pretty good section of I.O. right here. Yeah, I, um, I wonder about the, uh, about the, um, implications of having that amount of IO ports because AMD has been, you know, recently it's gotten better, but for the longest time it kind of has slack on integrated graphics. I assume this is motherboard graphic support. Um, however, it could be also, I mean, I assume it would be. Um, another thing to mention with the uh, X670 boards that I didn't get to mention is considering that am4 has been a future proof type you know it's been like x37 x370 all the way to ryzen 5000 processors you could you could have a ryzen 5000 processor on a uh, x370 board um so it probably could be worth it to have the x670 because of uh when pci5 with graphics cards becomes more mainstream. I think that would, that's that's where um that's where it'd be best. Um, but uh, right. continue on, of course. Yep. And then they showed off a couple of flagship AM5 motherboards. So you can see here, there's a couple eight X670 E motherboards. Actually, and the, yeah, these are actually like the fit cream of the crop. These, so mm -hmm. these are all X670E boards, which are the, that's like the top tier one. Of course. And they mentioned how you can learn more about building the PCIe 5.0 ecosystem and world's fastest NVMe drive, projected up to greater than 60% faster sequence read speed with PCIe 5.0 storage on AMD so socket AM5. And yeah, I mean, Looking at what we have here for our, the AM5 motherboard and the Ryzen 7000 series, no, well, like processors, these are looking pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Certainly. I um I think right now if uh DDR5 becomes like mainstream and supply is worth it, it would be way better to just upgrade to this um uh to this than uh go to the 5000 series for right now. Um, mm. when this becomes available. Uh, here's hoping that that's the case, and it'd be... Right. It'd be uh, easier to just, you know, uh, upgrade to the, you know, brand new thing. So, um, that that's factoring in, like, costs. If, if cost is not a concern, obviously, this is the first thing that comes to mind and also availability too that if availability is no concern and price right so what but, i'll probably have to do is that when i play on my computer i'm gonna be like okay this is the intel process i want and here's the motherboard i want with that one here is and like at least three different motherboards so at least i know which one to get and for amd i'd be like okay here's the amd processor i want and here's the motherboards i want to get mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, you want to make sure that when making a thing like this, that everything, you know, just works. As Todd Howard would say. Exactly. Not only just work, but make sure it's capable enough to do the things you want to do. It's just capable. <laughs> uh, exactly. And our last topics for the day, everyone, is some things with the James Webb Telescope. And the first of these topics here is the fact that they were, we're getting some colored images for this thing. On July 12, 2022, of all days. So we're looking at the European Space Agency website here, and as you can see here, at the largest and most complex observatory ever launched into space, Webb has been going through a six-month period of preparation before it could begin science work, calibrating its instruments to its space environment and aligning its mirrors. This careful process, not to mention years of new technology development and mission planning, has built up the, to the first images in data, a demonstration of Webb at its full power, ready to begin its science mission and unfold the infrared universe. This first release will be a remarkable moment for, for the mission. Give us a first glimpse of how Webb will transform our view of the universe. Said like Chris Evans, ESA Webb project scientist. We're looking forward to sharing the experience of seeing these first images in spectra with the public across Europe and the world. And for all Vocaloids. Ew. And VTubers. No. And behind the scenes, creating Webb's first images. I mean, we could go on and on about, like, looking at all the microscopic details. If we could see, like, Webb in full focus, we could see this image here. And how, if you look at the first quote here, as we near the end of preparing the observatory for science, we are on a precipice of an incredibly exciting period of discovery about our universe. 
The release of Web's first color images will offer a unique moment for us to all to stop and marvel at a new humanity as never seen before. This is from Eric Smith, Web program scientist at NASA headquarters in Washington. These images will be the culmination of decades of dedication, talent, and dream. They will also just be the beginning. Deciding what Web should look at first has been a project more than five years in the making, undertaken by international partnership to NASA, ESA, and the Canadian Space Agency, and the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, USA, home of Web Science and Mission Operations. Our goals for Web's first images today are both to showcase the telescope's powerful instruments and to preview the science mission to come. They are sure to deliver a long-awaited wow for astronomers and the public. And then we get to, we're just going to skip to the spawn part. I mean, it's all interesting history of learning what led to the eventual rise of like the other web telescope and all this stuff and how amazing it's been once it's calibrated. But these are two what we'll look at here. What will we see? While careful planning for Webb's first color images have been underway for a long time, the new telescope is so powerful that it's difficult to predict exactly how that first images will look. Of course, there are things we are expecting and hoping to see, but with a new telescope and this new high-resolution infrared data, we just won't know until we see it. STSCI's lead science visuals developer Joseph DePascal Early alignment imagery has already demonstrated the unprecedented sharpness of Webb's infrared view. However, these images will be the first in full color and the first to showcase Webb's full size capabilities. In addition to imagery, Webb will be capturing stereo spectro spectroscopic data, detailed information astronomers can read in light. The first image is packed of materials will highlight the science themes that inspire the mission and will be the focus of its work. The early universe, the evolution of galaxies through time, the life cycle of stars and other worlds. All of Webb's commissioning data, but data taking while aligning the telescope and preparing the instruments will also be made uh, publicly available. Woo! And what's next, I say? Science. After capturing first images, web scientific observations will begin. Continue to explore the mission's key science themes. Teams have already applied through a competitive process for time to use the telescope. And what astronomers call its first cycle or first year observations, observations are carefully scheduled to make the most efficient use of the telescope's time. These observations mark the official beginning of Webb's general science operations, the work it was designed to do. Astronomers will use web to observe the infrared universe, analyze the data collected, and publish scientific papers on their discoveries. Beyond what is already planned for web, there are the unexpected discoveries astronomers can't anticipate. One example, in 1990, when NASA ESA Hubble Telescope launched, dark energy was completely unknown. Now it is one of the most exciting areas of astrophysics. And yeah, Obviously, this is going to be really huge once we get these colored tele images. Certainly. Like, what will we be able to see? What sort of stars can we uncover? What will tout how we're doing the information? We'll be able to see in the future an improved star field. 
Oh my god, imagine DLC expansions that have like the planets featured in this. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that would be kind of dope though. We find alien life and one of them is an Easter egg in the new Starfield game. <laughs> like seriously, like, imagine if like you get this download pack. Oh yeah. Here's like a hundred more planets for you to explore. Go nuts. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, actually. Oh yeah, certainly. Imagine the aliens that we discover, and then Todd Howard puts them in an Easter egg, and then he becomes God Howard to the aliens. And then Elon Musk all of a sudden starts talking about them. Yeah, randomly. <laughs> Uh, you like, so yeah. that Starfield game, you know, I mean, hey, aliens, you know, hey, it's just a feature. It's just a chess club. Anyway, sorry. I mean, yeah, I mean, who knew these uh, things a whole? I mean, could we see AVGN to the past in like 2006? Who knows? Yes. Sorry. Well, I mean, without having to go through a YouTube video, but through a telescope image that somehow can go so microscopic. That we could see. ABGN recording an episode. Oh, yeah. Or even further, see him experience the rage firsthand as a child playing these games. True. Think of all the LJN games. Fucking LJN. I. They're not terrible, but goddamn. When they make a licensed game, they fucking knock it out of the park in terms of, holy shit, I could do better. I could create a better game in Photoshop. Right. But that would get I, to could, I could create a better game with a bunch of sticks and a rock. Hmm. I, besides memed things we hope for, I mean, maybe we could find the beginnings of the universe, like even closer to it. Yeah, um, maybe sure. we could get a better understanding of the you know the observable universe. Like, can we go farther than it? Yeah, can we truly, truly see a point in which we found out? Our good Lord and Savior's search history when he was a teenager. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: like, can this telescope be able to pinpoint like any potential edges of a universe? What is what could it prove? Multiverses exist. Could it do? We don't even know. That would be interesting, actually. Jokes aside, I would be afraid. Honestly, because sometimes knowing is the scariest part. Um, yeah, it can if, also be a gift, though. Yeah, if multiverses exist out of whatever reason, right? Imagine yeah. go to the gender swapped universe. Or the opposite universe. Where instead of myself being, you know, rather calm and collected and rational, with some moments of irrationability, it's the complete opposite. 
so Trevor from GTA 5. I guess so, where I would be the one that's completely brash. And, you know, not calm and not collected, but constantly lash out at people. I do have some moments of brilliance and stability, but they're not very many. My daddy was not nice to me. And then there could be an opposite universe for you, too, where instead of you being timid and shy and kind to everybody and married to Vocaloids, well, not married, but proposed to Vocaloids, you are very outspoken and you don't mind showing your face on camera. And you also, you know, did not very Hase Miku. Yeah. But instead, you married some sort of like Vegas hot star or something like that. I don't know. But we also have to think about too that this telescope has also been engineered to endure micrometeor impacts. So this is right from the NASA website themselves, and it mentions how micrometeorite micrometeor strikes are an unavoidable aspect of operating any spacecraft, which routinely sustain many impacts over the course of long and productive science missions in space. Between May 23rd and 25, NASA's James Webb Telescope sustained an impact to one of its primary mirror segments. After initial assessments, the team found the telescope is still performing at a level that exceeds all mission requirements despite a marginally detectable effect in the data. Thorough analysis and measurements are ongoing. Impacts will continue to occur throughout the entirety of Webb's lifetime in space, such as events were anticipated when building and testing the mirror on the ground. After a successful launch, deployment, and telescope alignment, Webb's beginning of life performance is still well above expectations, and the observatory is fully capable of performing the science it was designed to achieve. Webb's mirror was engineered to withstand bombardment from the micrometeoric environment at its orbit around the sun, Earth L2 of dust, sized particles flying at extreme velocities. While a telescope was being built, engineers used a mixture of simulations and actual test impacts on mirror samples to get a clear idea of how to fortify the observatory for operation in orbit. This most recent impact was larger than was modeled and beyond what the team could have tested on the ground. We always knew that Webb would have to weather the space environment, which includes harsh ultraviolet light and charred particles from the sun, cosmic rays from exotic sources in the galaxy, and occasional strikes by micrometeoroids within our solar system, said Paul Geithner, technical deputy, project manager at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. We designed and built Webb with performance margin, optimal, op optical, thermal, electrical, mechanical, to ensure it could perform its ambitious side mission even after many years in space. For example, due to careful work by the launch site teams, Webb's optics, optics were kept cleaner than required while on the ground. Their pristine cleanliness improved the overall reflectivity and throughput, therefore improving total sensitivity. 
This and other performance margins like web science capabilities robust to potential degradation over time. But yeah, I mean, this is all good to hear that it's able to withstand this thing, let alone being at above expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. a, I mean, then truly, this James Webb telescope can go back to the past and sing a- AVGN memes. No. He's the angry Nintendo nerd. Right, even back when he was the a- angry Nintendo nerd. You're right. But with that being said, I think this will do it for today. Our comment of the day is obviously none because we do typically get comments very much. And yeah, I mean, I don't have much else to say at this point. Me neither. So if you like what you see, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe if you're on YouTube. Also, follow us on any platform we're on. Also, be sure to check out Fufo Paka, where on Twitch, he will stream his wedding with Hatsune Miku. Fuck you. It'll be in the link straight down below in the description with all the Godcast links. Anyways, oh. I am HiJoyM99. Fuck Wabi Kotick. Exactly. And I'm a fluff alpaca. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. You will. <laughs> Hi, everyone. HydroWave99 here. I just want to say thank you all so much for watching Godcast. It means the world to me that there have been people out there that gave the show a chance. And that is pretty incredible, to say the least. And while I am thankful that you've all been able to watch the show, I also could not have done the show without Ghost Brother Game and Philippe Alpaca. While Ghost Brother Game left early on due to creative differences, Philippe Alpaca recently told me that he wishes to go his own way. I will be fully supportive of his adventures and wish him the best of luck. And the two of us will still be close friends and keeping in touch on a regular basis. Now, this show has been incredible. I mean, it gave us an opportunity to voice our thoughts on the gaming and technology industries. And, you know, we've had a lot of fun from all the different Bay Metal and Hatsune Miku jokes to covering the E3 stuff, like the Summer Game Fest stuff that happened this year. And also the ongoing journeys between the Activision Blizzard controversy and the Elon Musk thing with Twitter. And... It's incredible to think that so much has happened within this like one year that we've been able to host this show. And it, while this chapter may be, you know, over for the show, I still plan on continuing a podcast that will take a lot of inspirations from the show, but also have a lot of different changes to it. And I hope to show you this new show or what will be a continuation of the show coming very soon and again I just wish to say thank you all so much for watching the show and it means a lot to me that people have been watching the show like it really does and I can always just circle back to knowing that you guys have been able to watch the show and that's pretty incredible 
All right. Hope you all have a great day, and I look forward to seeing you all in the near future with the future of the podcast. Bye, everyone.